Here we go. Oh, God. Dory. Uh, Dory used to try to play this on the piano, I think, occasionally. This is going to be a tough show to do for a number of reasons. One, because, well, I mean, I love the guy. And um, he's such a perfectionist with radio that if he is what he's listening, I now, now, of course, he has my faith telling me he is. So we'd be like, you forgot this, you forgot that, you should have done this, you should what about this story, what about that story? Think about Dory Monson was is that you could sit in a group with him and people thought, oh, he's going to be the biggest personality in the room. He's going to be the loudest guy. No, he would just sort of sit and watch, just listen, listen. He was always curious as to what you had to say, kept the conversation going. But he wasn't the guy that took over the room, right, Sully? Yeah. 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 It's funny because he is so much shy right. in social situations. I remember he seemed uncomfortable at first at some of the, you know, I had the pleasure of working with him for a couple of Super Bowls yeah. there on Radio Row where he was really in his element. But then we'd want to go out to dinner or something. He'd kind of shy away. He's like, oh, no, I'm I'm OK. Right. And whatnot. So, yeah, he was never that that big, boisterous person in person. But yeah. boy, you, you get him on the radio and. Boy, he his ability. There's no one would, who would was prepared as him. Right, so that's as why the pressure of the show to 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 do to do nine hours on the guy <laughs> and, he's, and Nicole, his beloved producer, who's been up all night. She's down there. I just talked to her, and she's like, "I've been up all night, and the most frustrating thing is is that I know there is so much more. How do I take?" All of those years and and compress them into what we're going to do here. Um, we will miss much, um, but we got the best we can. And you at home that are listening, if you know them and you love them, um, this is, I guess you know I'm 100 percent Irish. You are as well, Sully. Yeah. So this is like an Irish wake, right? The Irish wake, which is classic. It's the last send off. It's a chance to be able to say goodbye to the individual. And what normally happens is we well, we won't have the booze in here, but speak for lots yourself, of yeah. stories, <laughs> story after story after story. And the thing about the Irish is it's the next guy up to always top the other guy with the other story. And you had that same sort of feeling with Dory in that he he would let you tell a story. Right, that he also knew, but that he'd wait for you to finish, and then he'd go, and then he would tell his version of it, and he was so unbelievably competitive. Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> you better hit all the moments in that story, and you better get all the jokes, or Dory's coming in right afterwards to tell the story even better. And that's good, because I, I know I, I kind of told it this morning, the most bizarre dinner we had during Super Bowl forty-eight, where a foot rub with Brock Heward happened underneath the table. Incredibly awkward, because there were others of us around the table as well. Uh, and I know if you get if Brock has a chance to come on and join, I know he's going to do it late, later today. You got to have him tell that story because I know from his perspective, it's probably a lot different and a lot better than mine. Yeah, but that was such a such a weird dinner and so out of character for what well, you know the Dory that I you know was uh, hung hung out with at work to see him in, in private. You know he he wasn't a, a big drinker, but you know we'd no. had a couple of glasses uh, that night and we were having fun and it was just <laughs> such an unreal evening that I'm pretty sure Dory. I hopefully uh, the Brock will tell that about Dory uh, and give you a much better detail of. <laughs> yeah. Happened and just how uncomfortable. 
uncomfortable that was, not only for him, but for the rest of us. I mean, with Dory, you never knew what you were going to get like that at some yeah. of those uncharacteristic times. So, yeah, that, that'll be great as you bring on as many voices as, as you can today to help you out with this, because uh, it's, it's a difficult day, man. It's a tough day. Yeah. Um, in fact, the all of his listeners... Have a chance to be a part. So we're going to open the phone lines, and you're going to. This is something Cairo stopped doing a long time ago, but we're going to open the lines. The text lines will be open, and people want to share stories. You know, again, in the light of the Irish wake. So if we are going to keep that tradition, that it would be that you would stop the clocks at eight o'clock on uh, Saturday night because it's it's typical of the Irish that that's the if the person had died at home, you stop the clocks in the home out of respect. So for Dory, he is he passed away in a hospital surrounded by his family. It was, I believe, around eight o'clock um, on a Saturday. I got a call um, from his beloved wife, Suzanne, um, that evening, a couple hours after the passing. And we just talked briefly. Um, and then I got a call about yesterday saying, would you be willing to come on um, as many guests as you'd like? We're going to be able to do this show in tribute to Dory um, from uh, 9 o'clock till 6 o'clock. So we're here um, for you. Um, and again, there will be tears and there'll be lots of laughter and stories. Uh, Jake, his producer, is going to come on. Uh, Brock Hewitt will be on. Um, we will hear from all the folks that uh, were a big part of his life. Um, in fact... The text line one more time, one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. We're going to open the phone lines. When you want to open the phone lines, there, Jacob. When you do that, huh? Uh, maybe in the in the next segment. Yeah, we can do it soon. Okay, just lots of fun stuff. Do you, uh, again? How do you take somebody who's been doing TV and doing radio since nineteen eighty two and ever just put all of it, the best of it, on the air? You can't do that. No, and we tried a little bit this morning on Seattle's Morning News with Dave uh, playing some of the highlights, <laughs> Dory bungee jumping and doing that. You know, the, plus the battle that he did. They did the air battle, the the combat flight thing, uh-huh. uh, and just, it's just so many different stunts. Uh, and what what has hit me through the text line throughout this entire morning were so many – the common thread was he, he was the best friend that I had never met. I mean mm. over and over. And that's the power of radio. And that's the power that he had with his audience and the trust he had with his audience. And, uh, and we forget that sometimes, just how powerful that connection can be uh, when you have someone that puts in as much work. Was, as I said, no one would ever prepare oh. as much as him. Uh, I remember, and you know, I told the story early this morning, is uh, during our first Super Bowl experience at 40 in Detroit at Radio Row, I kind of acted as per his producer uh, a little bit. I'd be do- done with our morning show, and then he'd be doing his show and be like, oh, my God gosh, there's, there's Barry Sanders. Go grab Barry Sanders. I'm like, I'm going to go grab, grab Barry Sanders. Sure. Whatever. Let me go grab Barry Sanders for it. Go grab Ronnie Lott. Okay, sure. Whatever. Go and, and, or, you know, Don, what a hater from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, yeah. bring Rob Schneider. And you sat him down and you thought it was going to be loosey goosey, but he knew everything. Mm-hmm. About their movies, about their what, and he, it was like he had prepared for them in advance, just in the happenstance that they showed up. Yeah, and it sounded so well put together. He asked such insightful questions, and questions that got people off their mark. Mm. Kind of like you do, you kind of off put them a little bit, so they have to think about it and maybe share a little bit more of themselves because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, his ability to do that in interviews uh, was legendary. 
And I think that's what made his ability to describe those conversations and get good conversations that weren't just cookie cutter out of the people that he had on his show from whatever stripe. If it was, you know, so-and-so who was telling you a story about his business to a political leader, it didn't Mm. matter. He could get them off point and get such a more insightful interview out of people. That was really his magic. Uh, and the connection with his listeners. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. Well, I think part of the idea of, of uh, the questioning and the being able to get the the different pieces, the humanity to be able to see the humanity of the individual, right? And not see them coming in as, as this or that, as the more divided we become with the language to describe individuals, right? So you can't ignore the fact that there were people that just absolutely hated the guy. Yeah. But they listened. Dory didn't care because he used to do this joke all the time. You know, I, I happened to get in the car and I was accidentally listening. <laughs> He's always like, oh, whatever, but at least you were listening. Anytime he would take a position where he would be talking about somebody and a- attacking their ideas, he always says, Nicole, get them on the phone or see if they'll come on. Have we called them? Can we get them on? Can we get them on? Let's have them on. We want to hear their their. I'd love to hear from them. I have some questions for them. And... Very infrequently would people take him up on that. Some would, and he always gave them credit whenever they would come on. But most people would not because, as Dory pointed out, because he was so competitive, it's like, I'll give you my position. I want to hear yours. I'll learn from you, but you, but I want to hear what you have to say. Where am I wrong? Show me where I'm wrong because this is what I believe is happening in this situation. And, again, many did not. Few did come on, and one of the best ones that we should try to try to find, Jacob, is the time, I forget who it was, was on, and all of a sudden, when Dory asked a couple tough questions, she, oh, I can't hear you. Oh, we've, I've lost the line. I don't know. I'm sorry. I can't hear you. Right? And Dory's like, come on. I know you can hear me. It's just this technique to, like, not have to deal with the questions and not have to give an answer. So there were those that just really couldn't stand what he represented. Um, but he was fair in that he wanted to hear your point of view as opposed to just scream you down or cancel you or demand that you be fired. And that's where the researching came in is that he knew the stuff probably better than the newsmaker did. Well, he has a photograph of memory okay, for the, numbers, right? The numbers he, is insane. It's yeah. bizarre. I, was he not allowed to go to casinos because he could card count or that's something? What, I've, I've heard that, that some of them had blocked him from that because he was so good at blackjack just because – of the way he remembered things, right? And the numbers that he, you know, he—you asked him any number combination, he was—it was ridiculous. He would be able to pull that off. And from yeah. ga- gambling and horse racing, I think he graduated from eighth grade. Was he at like thirteen years old? He was or at something? UW at fifteen, you know, something like that. I think uh, it yeah. just, uh, yeah. And then he just went right into work. You know, just want, wanted to work, and that was the heart. You know, that's why he got on Sound Transit. So easily, uh, which can be easy to do, yeah. is because he could he knew all the numbers from 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 jump. He knew all the numbers. So when someone would say, "Well, no, you're he'd be like no, no," from your own report, X, yeah. and he'd be able to run it down, yeah, uh, with with that memory and with that preparation. Um, and and I think he really gave a voice to a lot of people, you know, in this town that feel like they don't have a voice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and fought for. You know, fought for that for for everybody to ha- to kind of have something, someone out there that they could feel represented them. Uh, and gosh, he was he's the one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever run into, and and I mean that wholeheartedly. He helped me so much as a dad, 
because uh, mm-hmm. he'd been through it with his daughters, and my Tommy was you know younger than his daughters. So, yeah. and we co- I coached little league, and I coached football, and I coach, and he coached bat. We would talk about bat, kind of like we used to do when you yeah. coached uh, mm-hmm. Ryan football and yeah. whatnot. We talk about that kind of. So I spent more time talking to him about life stuff. Uh, when he was here than I ever did, you know, talking about the, you know, politics or stories that I was covering. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's just an, an unreal, great human being. Yeah. Uh, and the way, you know, a family man that you would, that inspired me to be a better dad, mm-hmm. uh, a better husband, because that's, that's who he was in real life is it's, it's, yeah, I'm, it's a gut punch, man. I, I, I'm having a tough time process. I really haven't yet. I've just been thinking of stories and probably deflecting it. I'll probably break down later today after I think a little bit more about it. But yeah, just just an incredible human being and a fabulous at what he did. I mean, mm-hmm. a legend in in this industry and in this town. You know, it's when somebody as big as Dory on the air. Again, the dichotomy being the smallness of the individual, not physically, but the smallness <laughs> of the individual. I'm what I'm saying is no, no, but. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it. When you're in a room with him, he wasn't the loudest guy. And he wasn't the guy standing up telling all the stories. Especially if he didn't know you. If in a small group, Rock, you, me, others, you get, you would get Dory. But it was never Dory, you know, taking the lead. It was always him asking the questions, trying to get the story out of you, and just really enjoying. And not an easy laugh, which is, I appreciate it, because... You could get them to laugh a little bit, but if you could really get them going, right, that that laughter, that roar, that kind of roaring, uh, rolling laughter that he had was the greatest. And, and then once you kind of got the – you get on the line of those jokes, and then you just keep needling him. He had such a great sense of humor about himself, and just keep poking, 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 and then all of a sudden he would just – tip and you could just get him to just put his head back and just roar with laughter and those are the greatest moments yeah and we played one of those this morning i hope you guys have a chance to play it later on when he and brock had the the whistling competition oh no no was that brock or jake uh, was, was it the producer brock. no it was with brock oh was it really yeah, so <laughs> do you have it somewhere well, i think Jacob? we played it during seattle's morning news i think in the maybe in the eight o'clock oh, hour Dorian, well like Let's start. This is um. Well, it's it's nine twenty, so we're gonna take a break at nine twenty two. But anyway, play that. It's just we'll that, that's it. the rolling laughter that is just. You got to the point where you knew he was over his skis and he just couldn't stop laughing, but he tried to hold the broadcast together. Right. But he couldn't. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. That. It's a, it's a really funny good, bit. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Really okay. good stuff. Uh, phones will be open. Something we haven't done in Cairo. For- do we still have phones to do that? <laughs> just that. We've got all Gen Z people in here. They don't even know how to work them. Um, yeah, I think this is a phone. Hello, hello. No, no that's yeah. a state one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. When you want to open the lines, Jacob? Ten. Yeah, that's ten. Good. Ten o'clock. We'll open the lines, but the uh, text as well. We'll be reading those and playing some of our favorite clips. We'll never get to all of it. Never, never get to all of it. No. Guy uh, Dory Monson passing away on Saturday night at eight o'clock. A guy's been a name in the news and making the news, part of the news, sharing the news. Since 1982, Dory Monson leaves us physically, but spiritually and emotionally will always be with us. We'll be right back on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Here we go. John Curley here. 
You there? The phone lines are going to be open. We haven't done this at Cairo Radio in a very, very long time, but we are going to be able to open them up and hear from you as we uh, spend the day telling stories about Dory Monson. I, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent Irish. I found that out from Twenty Three and Me. So we're gonna, I'm gonna sort of run this as an Irish wake. So we got tears and laughter. You know, you can tell all the stories you want. Um, and one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. We're going to open those lines at ten o'clock. Text messages are already pouring in. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. Or you go to mynorthwest.com. You can find us there as well. Uh, and guests, guests, lots of guests. I mean, we tried to make an entire list of everybody we wanted to have on. We'll be on the air until six tonight uh, as we say goodbye to our friend Dory Monson. Uh, Tom Nelson, Nelly. Hello. How you doing, John Curley? Good. Your uh, favorite fishing buddy's gone. Oh, it. You know, I, I'm I'm doing this interview with a pit in my stomach, and and I guess there's no other way to do it. It's uh, it took us all as a shock. It uh, it's certainly going to bring added significance to all the places we fished. I'm going to yeah. think about be thinking about him. Um, all the places that Brock brought him and, you know, you, you go back to when I, when I first met him, which was because of Brock and Brock bringing him fishing, but in, in the interim in the, you know, six or seven years, I got to really know him and hang out with him. Family's the right word for it. And mm-hmm. which is why your Irish wake, I think is very well apt, very, very, very taken. And then it's, Man, he was a mentor. Mm-hmm. He was an ins- inspiration. But at the end of the day, he had probably one of the most underestimated intellects that I've ever had the pleasure of visiting with. Yeah. He he was probably the smartest guy in the room in most cases, but he was also smart enough to not let you know that. And part of that was also because he was so competitive and a great card player um, that he didn't want to show you all of his cards all the time. And he wasn't out to get you as a gotcha kind of thing, but he, you knew that he had your back if, if you needed to get into something uh, that was a debate or an argument, even in some of the funniest categories. How was he as a fisherman? He was a wonderful person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know if you uh, – the, the last time you and I and him did radio together was the end of the circuit trip last summer. Yes. And and uh, there was – I was – allegedly I, I lit him up for hitting free spool on a really large fish that may, may or may not have happened. But but that was that was a pleasure, too, the whole fish-out-of-water aspect. I never knew how he was able to do his 15 hours of radio a week and the rest of the week was show prep. Oh yeah. He, he was absolutely passionate, would not think about tackling an issue that he hadn't looked at the left, right, center, top, bottom of he, he he was just he was an, an amazing preparation inspiration for me. I mean, just to to see to see how he did it right. But mm-hmm. it, for personally, 
that he would take a day or two off and come on board my boat yeah, and just kind of disconnect for a couple minutes. And so, so Brock brought him to Sitka twice. And the first time he, he would not take a day off his show. And so I set up my little broadcast kit in, in the office of fishbaronoff.com and Sitka and he did his show and it was, it was an amazing show and he did a great job. Brock, let him stay home a year, and then he said, "Listen, you're coming back up. You're coming back up this year. You're going to disconnect. Yeah, you you are not going to do your show. You're just going to sit and look at a rod." And he did. And you know what else he did up there? Hmm. The boatman. He slept. He actually got to sleep. And and uh, it, it was just to see him relax and see him take a step back. It was it was great to have him up there. But just like I said, it now. Every place that I had him on the water, my boat has, has taken on added significance and yeah. an added memory and everything else. But this is such a loss. It's it just to his family, who he was absolutely the, the, the patriarch and, and beloved. It, it's a loss to our station family. Yeah. I mean, I can I considered him family. I, I and, and, and you mentioned how competitive he was, and we – Recently made plans to fish this year because we made this donation to the tree house. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Foster kids deal. And he was, he was so proud that the fishing trip that we donated together <laughs> did so well in that. I mean, John, is that just him or what? No, I, mean, I actually have him. You want to hear him talking about competition? Oh yeah. Do I, can I play Jacob? Okay. So this is sort of, and understand that, if I, I'll set up because I don't know how, actually, how he starts, but this guy would see other people exceeding at something, succeeding at something, and then he sort of used though their success as a benchmark, and then he would sort of fire off the the competitive juices in order to strive to get to where they were. Um, and this is he had gone to an auction that I had done, and then he had me on and he was talking about sort of how he has, as he has aged, he, he now has settled in to allow other people to, uh, to exceed at things and succeed at things without him feeling challenged. But then I guess sums him up here. I, I don't, I don't want to embarrass you, but Saturday night I go to the stronger families auction and, and it's tough in any profession for for somebody to rise so far above their peers. But what I saw, John, was an yeah. auctioneer. It was it, it was Mike Trout or Aaron Judge versus Little mm-hmm. Leaguers, all the other ones that I've seen Uh-oh. in my lifetime. You're very good. I, I've, I've been to an auction before. Thank you. But it was at Safeco Field. And, and yeah. the smaller venue was much better suited to you. It was just great. I really mean that. You're, you're yeah. unbelievable at what you do. Thanks, Dory. I actually heard, I went back, because uh, Nicole, your producer that sometimes works and sometimes goes to concerts in Texas, she um, had told me, you listen, need to listen to the whole thing. And I, and I so Dory talked about the auction on Monday, and I was really flattered. And I thought, aside from the incredible crate, kind words you had for my my skills was an interesting take and i think a lot of people that get to a certain point in their life is to be able to give up the fact that 
you said, and I'm not quoting you generally, you're in your 30s or 40s or 20s, you see somebody doing something, you think, well, hell, I can do that. Oh, because your natural competitive that. nature, yeah. your natural competitive nature kicks in no matter what it is. You're like, yeah, I think if I applied myself, I could do that. Or why does that guy think he's so good? I can do that. And then you imagine yourself, you know, applying enough practice and then going, yeah, I would be better than that guy. No matter what the guy's skill is, right. you're always thinking, why are they making such a big deal about that guy? I can do that. And you said you've reached a point in your life where... By the way, I should mention, Tom, I don't think at any moment he ever thought he was going to be a good fisherman. So here he is explaining. <laughs> you're, you're, you're comfortable enough with who you are and the great and the work that you're doing and the focus of what you're doing, which is this, your radio show. And you yeah. said, and I can let all the other stuff go away. The, that kind of, you know, that animal that's on that leash that bark, 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 bark goes out, you know, the competitive. Crap, Jake, this is mostly me. I'm We're sorry. Story. <laughs> Jeez. The animal, you sort of have, you've tamed it. So now you're, you're able to appreciate other people's skills. And I thought that was such an interesting take. And I was sitting in the car nodding my head like, oh, my God. Uh, that's who I am as a competitive person, but I realized, what am I? Where's Dory? Why chasing after that guy for? So here we go. Yeah, yeah it was really nice to hear. Interesting. Here we go. Perspective. Everybody who knows me here says that uh, there's one word to describe me. It's competitive, and and that has been my my greatest gift, and it's been my greatest burden for that very reason. Mm. Uh, and there are a lot of people in broadcasting who do auctions on the side, you know, and and so I've always, and I've done a few auctions. I'm no, I mean, I thought I was okay, but I'm, I'm nothing. And, uh, and and yeah, there was a time, you know, and I think the other example that I mentioned, Jason Rance, you know, he's on Tucker Carlson. He's mm-hmm. built a great, great uh, you know, career along with his radio show, where he's uh, on the most watched cable news show. And there would have been a time in my life where I would have been jealous. But instead, you know, Jason and I have just become really, really good friends. Uh, and, and I hope that's just me evolving as a person because I was too competitive to appreciate and enjoy others' gifts uh, the way I try hmm. to now. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't see it. You could only see it as a challenge to yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. and now I'm doing exactly what I want to do professionally. I I don't I don't want to be syndicated. I don't want to be on TV. I'm doing exactly what I want, and and, and so now it would be slapping God in the face for me to not just appreciate what I have and instead always envy what others have and and i i wasn't good about that years ago i really wasn't well you wouldn't be that you would yeah listen one of dory's absolute talents and gifts and the basis of his genius was he made it look easy he made it sound easy but nothing about what he did really was that easy yeah does that make sense, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the pros. The pros make it look simple, and that's why they're pros. Except when it comes to fishing, he apparently I've heard from you, Brock, my friend Larry, everybody that's ever fished with him. 
he didn't like killing them, like bonking them over the head, and he was not good about not having a bathroom nearby. There, there was there were a few of those shy bladder incidents. Yes, right. It yes. was there was you know when you're on a boat, it's, the external plumbing is very very handy, right? So he, he didn't really avail himself of of that very much. So. Then that's that's going to be that'll be a few more stories. I, I, I don't think I don't think I'm quite there yet. I got it. I got it. I I know he uh, he enjoyed eating fish. I in fact the last text I swapped with him was or late last week when he was finishing up a halibut recipe that was for some of the last halibut that he that he had in the freezer from our fishing trip in Sitka. It was yeah. And, and, and just, and I swapped a couple recipes back with him. Happy, you know, Merry Christmas, all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was the last communication I was to have with him. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're all going to have these feelings. We're all going to have these, gee, that was the last time I, I talked to Dory. But it's just, it, it, it's, it just feels so surreal. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, you got no, you got no words. And, and, I, and I wish, I, I wish there were words to, help Suzanne and Dory's family with the grief right now because the suddenness of this is just one of the most brutal aspects of all, John. Yeah, I know, Tom. Well, listen, as they say, the Irish wakes, that the pain goes away, but the memories stay forever. So you have that to know that he loved you. Well, and I got to, I got to communicate that with him too. And, and I, and I did love him. I, I just respect him and he's just going to be missed. Yes, he will. Tom Nelson, Nelly, thank you. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you for what you're doing. Sure. And uh, God bless you, my friend. And, and uh, there's room on the boat for you. <laughs> All right. Fish on, fish on. Thanks, Tom All Nelson. Right, buddy. All right, buddy. Right back. Here we are. So Dory Monson passes away on a Saturday night, eight o'clock, after a, some heart problems. And um, how do you take somebody who's been on the radio and TV and been in broadcasting since 1982 and then condense it all into there's going to be nine hours? Um, you tune in and out, come in, come out, because it's going to be just basically. Us sitting around, sharing stories, playing clips you're writing and you're sending in letters and you're going to get the phone lines. It's going to be your show, by by the way. I'm just going to sit here and press the buttons. As John Curley, honored to be able to be asked to be a part of this. And also humbled and knowing that right off the bat, I start out with a big fail. Because, uh, you know, how do you take somebody like Dory Monson and then try to find, oh, here's a clip, here's a clip. The guy's been on the air so long. So much great stuff. Um, like this letter. <laughs> well, we gotta play. We gotta play this guy here. Yeah, yeah. Let's, here's this letter from Andy and Lacey. One of my favorite moments was when Dory accidentally called Brandy Cruz the liquor pig after he was interviewing her outside a liquor store in Minnesota. She was traveling to see her family and needed to stop and get some alcohol. Every time Dory said Brandy Cruz, I just had to add the liquor pig. From St. Cloud, Minnesota, the liquor pig, Brandy Cruz, joining us. <laughs> That's it. 
<laughs> Brandy's got to come on. Um, and we have to thank her for filling in for Dory last week. Dory took off two weeks, but she never takes time off. Never. But he decided he would use his vacation up because if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, and he was at home watching a, a football game. And uh, uh, that's where it began, the saga, the end of a great man. Um, I just say that it's, it hasn't hit me yet because just, you know, just a couple days ago, I was listening to him on the radio. So I said as an Irishman that we're going to do this show like an Irish wake. So that means stories, lots of stories. We love the stories. The funnier, the better. And remember, he's not here to defend himself. So you can change a few facts around a little bit, but uh, he'll be watching from heaven and taking notes. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. All are welcome as we say goodbye to Dory Monson. Say goodbye to Dory Monson. God. Never thought I'd say that. Uh, Dory passed away on Saturday night. So we thought, well, you know, we got nine hours. We need another 90 or 9,000. How do you take somebody's life from all the radio that he did, all the stories, all the comments, all the rants, the jokes, the laughter, the tears, all of it. We try to compress it. But um, we're going to turn the show over to you, the listener. You're going to be able to talk. Tons of letters pouring in. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. And the worst part of this whole thing, not only the fact we have to do it without trying to cry the whole time, is that I know Dory is probably going. You forgot about this one. You get should have done this story. You should have had that one. Get Nicole. Get Nicole to get the clip. Um, so that's the best we can possibly do in such a short period of time. Brock Cure, it's an odd couple because you get this great, big, tall, good-looking guy, and then you get this scrappy little guy from Ballard, and you put the two of them together, and it is nonstop humor and tears and love. Hey. 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 <laughs> uh, and Dory was a crier. So, so he's not yes. gonna he's not gonna mind you and me crying and his audience crying because goodness gracious, I think some of the biggest tears that I have seen in the last ten years of my life were at SeaTac Airport after our last fishing trip where he unplugged. Mm. I think that was one of the rare places um, where he could actually find peace and totally unplug from. From his show, about the only place that was a refuge for his his soul, John, was up yeah. there in Sitka, Alaska. And uh, he went twice with me. And the first time, he, we had one of the most glorious days on the water you could ever have. 60 degrees sunshine. It was like, uh, it was like the apostles pulling fish out of the water. Yeah. I mean, it was just an epic day. And then the next day, blown off the water, couldn't even fish. And he brought his little machine up there because he mm-hmm. had to do the show. He couldn't leave his audience. He That's had right. to do the show, right? Mm-hmm. And I told him, Dory, the next time you come up here, 
you are not doing your show. You are going to unplug, and you are going to be in nature, and you're going to be with Captain Tom and me in this beautiful refuge, and you're going to let go of your mind that never stopped for his audience that yeah. he loved, that he loved, 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 that microphone that he loved, John, and you know it. Yeah. And uh, and he did. He unplugged, and we went our separate ways at SeaTac, and he gave me this hug, and he had the biggest freaking crocodile tears. <laughs> going down his chubby cheeks that you've ever seen. Yeah. And he's like, I needed that. I needed that. And I said, no, we needed that. Yeah. And uh, so he loved to cry. He was not <laughs> bashful about sharing that emotion. And today I'm not going to be either. You're not going to be. His audience yeah. isn't. The people that loved him isn't because, man, he was all in for all of us. Talk about how hard it was to get him uh, to, as you say, unplug. People don't realize he his show would end at three o'clock, he would immediately start working on the next show. And that's no exaggeration. Show prep. Show, show prep. prep. And show Nicole prep. would write him at nine o'clock, Dory, it's done. The show's done. Go to bed. Go to bed. Dory sends her a text at, at 1230, 2.30, 4 o'clock. Nicole gets up and says, Dory, go to sleep. Stop. But he couldn't. And part of that was the demise of his health. But you saw that this guy, the job was basically killing him. And what the job was, not his ego to be on the radio. He was so, and this sounds so cliche, but he was so unbelievably dedicated to the listener that it was in service to them that he would stay up for 20 hours because he wanted to make sure everything was included that needed to be included. So you actually got him to commit to... Some yep. time away from the microphone. Yep. Why did you? Why did you push so hard that at that because, time? Because of what you just said, it was killing him. Yeah, and ultimately played a role in '61 and way too young. Yeah, because he carried so much of that. He cared so deeply. He loved his audience. He loved this microphone. He's one of the most competitive, and I hate this in sports, John. I really do. As yeah. I've gotten older, I hear people say, oh, I'm so competitive. I'm so competitive. I'm so competitive. Everybody is is competitive. Everybody that stri- you know, strives to achieve and, and, and gain a platform and do that is competitive. Mm-hmm. But that, that guy, Oof. that guy was, is, is the 12-year-old from Ballard, right, that just yeah. had nothing, came from nothing, was handed nothing, had to work multiple jobs, graduated from high school at 15 to go to the UW or had multiple jobs, and he worked all night. And that's what that's where it started, mm-hmm. right, that just incessant work ethic that I'm not going to be told I can't achieve. I'm not going to be told that I got a name that sounds like a girl and a voice that's even worse and not made for radio. <laughs> and I'm not going to be told that I can't do something, right? Yeah, yeah. And he just – had that competitiveness that I, I'm a, and you know, and I'll let it on a little secret right here. Yeah. My bosses may not like this, but I don't care. Okay. Okay. Right. I sent him all the ratings. He needed to know, like he had to know the ratings of where he was, even is all that he achieved. Yeah. Right. And being yeah. the number one show for decades, he never was settled. He never satisfied. He never stopped striving. Yeah. He never stopped being that 10 year old, that 12 year old, that 15 year old, from Ballard that worked all these jobs and achieved, achieved, achieved when handed nothing. And he always wanted to compete and he wanted to beat me. Uh-huh. Right? He, wanted, he wanted to beat my ratings. He wanted to beat my numbers. He wanted to beat your numbers. He yeah. wanted to beat everybody. Always. He wanted to be number one in the market. And he was. And you know, the funny thing was you didn't mind 
<laughs> when he took that spot, you didn't mind that he would just be busted on you because just sort yeah. of the fun play. Yes. He never, he never gloated. Nope. And not without it being in a fun way. I have a clip. I have no idea what this is other than it's four minutes and five seconds, but it says Brock's fish. Do you know what the uh-uh. story is? Uh-uh. Okay, here we go. Okay, next up in the fastest 15. Hey, really, really quick before we get to that. Yes. I promised Brock I would mention this today. <laughs> so I went to the freezer. Right? I right? put Yeah, so Brock, and he's bugging me. He's got Sean all excited that I was going to call you out on this, but... Oh. I went to put something in the freezer this morning. What's going on here? We, we're all in on this story. It's like an intervention right now. Do you, do you know about this, Ursula? No. I'm getting no. called out in the middle I know. of the fastest like, wait, 15. Brock's just hijacked the fastest 15. He did. He did. Because he's bugging me about it. So I had to, had to call you out. Because I think he's very proud to have done this. So uh, I went to the freezer this morning. I had to put something in the freezer. And I opened it up. <laughs> and it is loaded with fish. Uh-huh. And so I said to Brock. Brock, is this your fish? And he's like, well, yes, of course I brought fish in and gave it to all of my team members here. Yeah, and then I saw Brock earlier today, and I was like, hey, it looked like you had fun on your fishing trip. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I've got fish for all the ESPN girls and and guys. And he was like, Dory. And I was like, what, did Dory not bring anything for us? He's like, "Ah, I didn't say anything. (laughs) So he's like, "Why why don't you tell Dory? So I took a picture of the fish and sent it to Nicole. And I, I I'm, I'm gonna give you guys some. It's in my freezer right now. This is all Brock's fault, Dory. What, what are you doing? Doing Brock's bidding during the fastest fifteen? What's that all about? You know I love. Is Brock. he listening right now? I pretty much do way, anything for Brock. Dory's gonna have us over for a barbecue. Yeah, so I would, yeah. Well, it's easy to just give somebody. <laughs> yeah, and have, have them do the work. To give them yeah. a fish, but if, you know what I'm doing here? I'm teaching you how to fish, <laughs> so you will be fed for a lifetime. Uh, Lovely. Yes, okay. that's what I do every day on the show. I don't give you a meal for a day. I feed you uh, intellectually for a lifetime. For a lifetime. Right. Okay. Uh, Okay. Gee, I'm going to have a bar- it, looks, it looks real good, though. I gave some to my sister, to my brother, over the weekend. Dory, if it helps you, I didn't know nothing about this until Brock told me about this today. Like, don't feel really bad. wants to let everybody yeah. know he gave his whole team fish, and Dory has not brought any. <laughs> wow. I, didn't I mean, know you there should was see the time, freezer. I didn't know there was a time limit on this. What's today? Thursday? I've only been back for four days. And quite frankly, there isn't. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, I could list off the people that Brock. are getting fish from Brock. Lydia, boy, howdy, probably Mora. What, what do you want, salmon or halibut, Sean? Uh, halibut. Okay. Thanks, sir. What do you want, Nicole? Halibut. Okay, yours? I want you to be happy. Thank you. I really want you barbecue. to cook it for me, though. I don't trust myself. I, I, made, uh, I had a big family barbecue on Sunday. And uh, all the girls came over, and uh, I'm I'm starting to experiment with different recipes. I like it. Barbecuing. Beer batter? Are you going to do that? Yeah, wow. I, yeah. I got you know, a uh, beer battered. Yeah, for fish and chips. I got yeah. a. Brock sent me a recipe for that. Is that what you want when you guys come over? Yes. Does Brock is Brock having anybody over to his house? No. And by the way, yeah. When was the last <laughs> I time haven't Brock got that had us over? Yeah. 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 Let's call him out for not inviting us. Over to his place. Yes. Brock. You've, you've been to my house, Sean. Uh, 
Both Numerous times. Ursula yeah. and Nicole yeah. were, I barbecued for you guys yes. two weeks ago. You don't even need to justify this. He's just being a brat. <laughs> he is being a brat. Ouch. Brock. <laughs> he was He's so like, excited uh, about it. Geez. I was like, we're not going to do that. And then Sean's like, Brock's really excited about what you're going to do today. He's a very <laughs> weird man. We should send him this whole segment. He's a, you know, I'm sure he's listening. Oh, yeah. Um, wait a second. If he's listening, he's already texted. Oh, he's not listening because he would have texted me already. So, yes. <laughs> Weird. He texted me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brock, oh. did you know that they did that? The no, whole. No. No. But you I know were... this, John. Yeah. I yeah. know we got to run, but yeah. I know this. <laughs> I didn't know you're going to play that. Uh-huh. Uh, full circle. The last text I got from Dory at 630 Wednesday night hmm. was a picture of his halibut. <laughs> That, a picture of the recipe from Captain Tom of his mm-hmm. halibut, sun-dried tomatoes, and olive oil. And oh my gosh, does this look good? Yeah, that was the last text I got from my buddy Wednesday night. Mm. Mm. Boy, if you get on the phone with him, I would get a text. It, it would say, "Hey, call me." So it's from no. Dory, and then I would call him, and I would look at the clock, and he go, "You got a minute?" I'm thinking, well, that's the biggest lie, <laughs> because I'm telling you, you can get off your phone with him. Your head is all hot. The phone's hot. Yep. And you look down, and it's, you know, one hour and 14 minutes. Yep. Right? Because it was story after story or question or comment. And it it was this. His mind never stopped. Never stopped. And never it, stopped. And it, but the thing was is that it, even if you had heard the story before, and I had this sort of thing with my dad. Even if you had heard the story before, he goes, did I ever tell you the time we would do this? And I'm like, and I knew he had told me before, but I'm like, no. And then with that, he'd launch into it. And I would just along for the ride. It's like riding a roller coaster. You've been on it before. You know where the dips and turns are. But still, at times your stomach goes, woo, because he loved to tell a good story. Right. God, what a what a huge person. Hey, what do you say to the people that might be tuning in because they didn't like him? Right. Because Dory, either you uh, either you loved him or you hated him. There were no nobody was like, eh, I don't know, I could take him or leave him. There was, you know, he drew a very very bright line and was not afraid of his opinions and would challenge people that challenged his opinions to you know a healthy debate. But there are people that be like, eh, that guy. Yeah. What would I say to him? I would say to them what he said to me when we had breakfast when I asked him, hey. What do you think about this? Because he and I had done the pre and post game Seahawks show, John. That was mm-hmm. my introduction to media. Yeah. When I was done playing in 04, the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl in 05. Mm-hmm. I started to, to work at Bonneville there just with the pre and post game show. He led it as he did for so, so long with, right. with Dave and Paul and that time Sam Atkins and others came along for the ride. All wanted to be a part of it because he was the ringleader and an amazing, amazing host. Uh, but when it looked like the station was coming, the sports was coming, they were going to flip to the news to the FM. He and I went to breakfast, and that was one of the pieces of counsel was just, you know, you will know you you enjoy this job and it's for you when it's not just the people to please, the people that love football, in this case for me or that sports audience, mm-hmm. but that those that don't agree with you, those that don't have your worldview, those that don't have your faith, those that don't see the world as you do, they tune in. Because they're curious mm-hmm. and they're intrigued and they want to know, is this real? Like, is this real or is this just an act? Is this just a show? 
And for 40 years, that guy showed you and proved to you, and that's why they all tuned in and listened, because they knew it was real. Yeah. He was not a poser putting on a show to get a number. He was genuine. He was authentic. He was the real article, mm-hmm. and it was why those that loved him tuned in every day and those that didn't love his views tuned in. And that's why he was the best of the best. Yeah. Brock Hewitt, thank you. I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm happy for your gain that you had so many wonderful hours with a man. John, you are going to carry this show. There's no one better to do it. You loved him, as we all did. Um, I am thankful that you're going to carry this for seven hours. I'm going to be tuning in. I can't wait to listen to his audience who loved him. Pray for Suzanne and the girls. Yes. Lift them up. Lift them up. And um, I know we will support them. I know we will love them well. Um, but they're hurting as we're all hurting. Yeah. Thank you, John, for your heart. I'm here. If you need me six Thank hours you, from now, yep. uh, text me and I will jump right back on, brother. All right. And allow, this is, we're going to go out with you talking about how halibut are the linebackers of the sea. <laughs> I thought I was going to feel guilty pulling these majestic salmon and halibut aren't majestic i've learned that <laughs> halibut are just oh there's an octopus i guess i'll eat that one now i thought they were a lot cooler than they've, they've proven to be but but halibut are like middle linebackers <laughs> okay and dave wyman sam are like quarterbacks. all right dave yes. wyman yes <laughs> Dave Wyman is the, the halibut. <laughs> of the, oh, I'll jump on that. Let me go hit that thing. Let me go see what's, Let me react to that noise. This is Cairo Radio, and we say goodbye to Dory Monson. Oof. And you get a chance to say goodbye to Dory. Dory left us uh, 8 o'clock on um, Saturday night. Around his family, there beside him, in a hospital. And... Um, I got a call from his beautiful wife. God, he loved her. Amish to South Lake Union. This is Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. News and talk powered by the Pacific Northwest. Valentine's Day. So I get out to my car this morning, Nicole, and I, I've never, I've never been good at Valentine's Day. Never. Uh, and you know, I, I, it's not that hard. I don't it's understand. Like the holiday. It. You just treat people nicely all year round if you love them. Yes, but... You don't need one special day that's this contrived thing. I don't know, but it's just a thing. And you just grab some flowers. It's easy. So I get out to my car this morning. And sitting on the driver's seat is a, a 
set of cookware that I've been wanting because our pots and pans are kind of, they're, they're kind of old and I like to cook. Yes. And I know all the ladies who are listening, smart, funny, and he loves to cook. Sorry, girls, <laughs> I'm taken. But I'm excited for you because if they're anything like the ones I got for Christmas, they're great. Well, yeah, but I haven't. I don't. Well, I have lucky gotten... for you, you have time after the show to go do that before you go home. Where? What? Flowers? Well, I don't know. She she stepped up. Yes. You might have to do better than flowers. So anyway, then I get here and I I see that there are some Instagram videos that have been flying back and forth between the quarterback of your Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson and his wife, Sierra. And uh, see, I don't really, I don't really understand public professions, why you would post on Instagram what you could say to somebody just one-on-one. I just don't really understand that. I may try to rectify that in a couple of minutes here. But see, here's what Sierra Posted because she has it's all to market her new song. She has a song called Greatest Love. And anyway, so here's what Sierra posted on Insta, as the kids like to say. Okay, so it's only right that I join you all and shout out my greatest love to Faye. I just want to tell you, I love you so much. I love how you are always there for me. How if my wig is tilted sideways, you're gonna help me tilt it right back. You always got my back. You're always there when I call. You are the best partner in life I could ever hope for. I'll ride for you. I'll die for you. I love you so much. Happy Valentine's Day, babe. Okay, so she's looking at her phone recording this. Russell is apparently off to the side at 90 degrees. She's not saying it to him. She's saying it to her Well, he sounds like he's in a different room, maybe. Well, but then he kind of calls out. It it sounds like he's ready. Sounds like we shouldn't be listening. It sounds, you can't really hear what Russell says, but it sounds like he's ready for some loving. And he says something to her, and then she, now here's how she responds to all that. I think he says, come over here or something. Buddy, he always all up in the... Mm-hmm. Okay, here I go. See, I, I don't know about sharing all of this. And then here's the one Russell posted to Sierra. So I see there's a cool challenge going around. Uh, yeah, where people are hashtagging greatest love and who their greatest love yeah, is. I see there's a cool challenge. No, yeah. this is something that their they're doing to market her greatest love new single. So I see there's a cool challenge going around uh, where people are hashtagging greatest love and who their greatest love is. And uh, baby, you're my greatest love for several reasons. Uh, I think, first of all, you inspire me. Okay. Now, a friend of mine, like they did it on air, I think. Didn't they do this on air? Uh, I think they did on air. So I can name him. I think you can name him regardless. He's proud of giving us this content for today. So Brock Heward's the one who said, did you see this? And, and the way Brock presented it was he, he had his phone at my desk, and I think he said they did this on air with a variety of people. And they said, how long can you watch this Russell Wilson love message to Sierra? 
and I made it 11 seconds. And I said, which is right where I just got it up. Uh, I, I said, I, I, I don't want to watch this. I want to hear this. But I'm going to play the rest of it for you. But I made it 11 seconds that I could stand watching and listening to this. So I see there's a cool challenge going around uh, where people are hashtagging greatest love and who their greatest love is. And uh, baby, you're my greatest love for several reasons. Uh, I think, first of all, you inspire me. Um, the way that you care for others, the way that you make the world a better place, how dedicated you are to being great, uh, truly inspires me. Um, I think second of all, um, the mother that you are, you know, how you take care of our children and how you care for them and go wherever, whenever for them is the most amazing thing ever. I just, I find this so weird to say it into your phone for the world to hear when you're speaking to one person, you could just say it to that one person and not put it on display. It's a marketing Not make toy. a big look at how loving we are. Look at how wonderful I am. We're yeah, totally I, I falling think third for of all, too. you make me a better man. You challenge my faith. You increase my faith. In the Bible, it says when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And I find a good thing in you. And I think finally, you're the sexiest woman on the planet. You're bad to the bone. And I'm glad to be you. Is bad to the bone in the Bible? <laughs> well, I think he had gotten out of that. Oh, so you just made, did it back to back. This was number three. Okay, Bible and then, and then bad to the bone. And I think finally, you're the sexiest woman on the planet. You're bad to the bone. And I'm glad to be your husband and take care of you and provide for you. And yes, I will fix your wig. And yes, I will do whatever you say. I love you. And uh, you are my greatest love. Love you. Okay, let, let me let me try. Since this greatest love thing's going around here, Ugh. in case my wife's listening, because you know, school was canceled again today. Don't get me started on that. But in case my wife is listening, do you have any uh, music for this, Sean? Can you hook me up? I'm nervous. Hey, hon. I'm gonna be home about. 3.20 this afternoon. And I was thinking, when I get home, I'm going to start doing some show prep for tomorrow's show. Then, about 4 o'clock, I was going to watch a little college basketball. Then after that, dinner time. I don't know what you were planning for dinner. But I still have some leftover pork chop and then scalloped potatoes in the fridge. I'm just going to heat that up. But those scalloped potatoes, hon, they're really cheesy. Yeah. Then, after a little bit of dinner, want to watch The Rookie or something? Maybe The Americans? And after that, huh? I'll do my second round of show prep for tomorrow's show. Love you, babe. You are my greatest love. That was a lot of you. You're supposed to make it about her. We have lots more straight ahead here on the Dory Monson Show. It is on this day that uh, 
We say goodbye to our buddy, Dory Monson, who had been on the radio here at Cairo and been a voice in the Northwest for years, been involved in broadcasting since 82. And uh, this is the show that we're going to let you basically do. And that's uh, a phone line that's going to be open, one 5476 And uh, a number that hasn't taken phone calls since Cairo a couple of years ago decided they just have the host talk. And occasionally those hosts say things that people disagree with, but they continue to listen to. And the one interesting thing, or the many, many interesting things about Dory was he had an opinion which he would gladly share with you. But at the same time, as equally passionate was about his opinion was, he wanted to hear yours. And in the battlefield of ideas, he was a fierce competitor, but at the same time, he was a fair one. So occasionally he would inspire people to uh, rise up and, I guess, protest against him. And you would end up winning somebody, not by beating their ideas, but by seeing the humanity of the individual. Marty, who now lives in uh, Texas, did you actually protest Dory Monson at some point in your life? I did. Dory Monson made a comment about the U.S. Senate chaplain on negative comments. And I came down to the radio station and I protested for a week with signs. Dory Monson came out and was talking to me and tried to convince me to debate him on the radio. <laughs> I didn't do it because I knew I could never win. Uh-huh. But you know what? We moved we moved to Texas two years ago. Uh-huh. I have never missed a Dory Monson show in the last 26 years. Wow. Why, Marty? He he was the only voice. Well, I guess you could be one. <laughs> Other than, than you or maybe John Rance were the voice that the the people of Seattle and the Puget Sound we needed. Uh, and Dory told you exactly what he thought. He didn't care what you thought about what he thought. But he he either told you the truth and he would not back down. And he's taken on many politicians. And he only did it for the people. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. Do you, do you remember how you felt when you were standing out in front of uh, the, the radio station and he came outside to talk to you? Were you surprised? <laughs> I No, I wasn't surprised because he's that, he had that kind of personality. Yeah. And uh, he was very friendly. He wasn't argumentative. He said, why don't you come and debate me? Actually, he had a portable telephone, one of those. He bought not a cell phone. Just a regular phone he brought out with him so that I could talk to him on the radio. Yeah. So, no, no, I'm going to miss that guy. I don't know if anybody could ever take his place. Probably not. No, no. I thought maybe you or Jason Rand could probably do it. Okay, Marty, uh, Marty, I liked you up until about 30 seconds ago. The rule of radio is you never want to be the guy that replaces the... The guy, right? But um, well, yeah. But the thing is, they need somebody. Yes, yeah, they do. 
We do. We all do. I mean, the voice of Dory Monson, as you say, the guy was, you know, speaking for the little guy. Um, but he will leave an enormous gap in everybody's life. But, yeah. Marty, I'm glad even to Texas, you're not involved in local yep. politics, but still he was part of your show and part of your life because it so began. I, yes, I, I, I moved to I moved to the USA. Marty, did you get that? You moved to the USA. Yeah, I'm no longer in socialist uh, Washington. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, enjoy your freedom there. God bless you guys. Have a good day. Thank you, Marty. Appreciate it. Bye. Uh, I'm going to read the letter that your people letters are coming, and you write us at mynorthwest.com. You text as well one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. In the final minute here, if I can do this. Understand that Dory was always so unbelievably focused on the show that you couldn't go talk to him. There was no way. And you interrupt him. You know that like five minutes before, two minutes, he'd be at his desk with all this stuff all around it. A huge pile of paper. And you just never went with him, never near him because it just just didn't do that as a courtesy because the man was preparing. This guy writes in from 253. I first met Dory about 12 to 14 years ago. I was active duty Navy. He said he transferred from Denver to Seattle. He happened to be driving by, and you notice that the building, Cairo Radio Building, was there. And he thought, geez, I listened to Dory. Cool, I'll stop by, and I'll see him. Unannounced, he says, I was wearing my service dress blues at the time. Nice lady at the front desk told Dory that I was there. I hadn't made an appointment. I didn't know Dory. Ursula came out. It was the first time I had met her. Um, And then I said I just stopped by to say hi to Dory. Dory came out, and he was so warm and so nice Happy, a bubbly personality. He could have just said, oh, sorry, pal, I got to get ready for my show. But he sat down on the couch and we chatted a bit about the Navy career and the family. I knew he was busy and I didn't want to keep him. So I told him I had to go to my next appointment. I think he wanted to talk longer. I wished I stayed longer after I realized I didn't. I didn't get a photo with him on my cell phone. Once in a while, I would call in and remind him that I was that Navy officer that he met at the station many, many years ago. And he remembered. Listener, a writer now. I'm floored by the passing of Dory. Affected. Seldom by the loss of someone I've never met. Someone like Ronald Reagan or John Denver. But I spent many, many years, many hours listening to Dory. Agree or disagree with his ideals and his ideas, but mostly agreed. He was a huge part, the fabric of my life. And I feel a void with his passing. Prayers to his family and to the Cairo family, and he will be missed. And Claudia writes, and Dory kept me company for years as I delivered the mail on the mean streets of Edmonds. Whether laughing or crying or disagreeing with him, I was entertained always, daily. 
He made me think. Is joy for life. His vulnerabilities and his sense of humor will be missed. Some of the letters, there are many, many will never get to all of them. And the phone lines are going to be open. And for those people that are holding and those people that want to get online, here you go. one 973 And again, every single letter will be read. And we're going to make sure that uh, Suzanne and the girls get these letters as well because they are, some of them, just absolutely heartbreaking. And I am too weak at times to read them on the air. But... Spike O'Neill, who does evenings here at Cairo, do you actually are crediting Dory Monson with your career? <laughs> uh, John, I got to tell you, um, we've got a little bit of a, I got, got feedback, but I'll try to move through it. Okay. If it's just in my ears, I don't mind. Okay. I think it is. Uh, we, we, were, we were doing a rock morning show, all music show, and... Bob Rivers, my co-host, met with Dory Monson over lunch, as they did all the time. And Dory kind of told Bob that the future for any of us was was to be talk radio. If you were a music show, you were subjected to the popularity of the music you played, and that was all you had. As soon as people changed their mind about the music, you were done. But if you became a talk show and part of their lives, you had value. So literally, he kept us on the air. He, he gave us the transitional guidance to, to, to be more than just, you know, introducing the stones. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And, and even then when I was out of radio for a few years and, uh, this is really hard. You're right. Man. That's okay. Um, I, I got, I got to say to you, first off, thank you for doing this. I know how hard this is for you and I can't imagine having to keep, moving this forward and sharing all the love and loss yeah. from the audience and the, and the family of Cairo. So thank you for doing sure. this. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Um, when I was at a radio, I got uh, to work for a company as a public relations, in a publications component. And I was doing uh, interviews in the media for the affordable energy coalition, affordable natural gas. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed on Dory's show. And he was such a great host and interviewer and put me at such ease as he does all his guests, did all, all his guests. Um, it, it, got, it actually got the attention of Cairo's management. My segment was him, and they reached out to me and asked me if I'd like to be a, a guest host and a fill-in. And that led to me getting back on air. So I, I fully credit Tory with my livelihood. Yeah. Well, he was a great uh, judge of character, uh, and he really prided himself on that. And he saw a talent uh, where sometimes people missed it. He was great at nurturing it, uh, never squashing it, always giving you good positive reinforcement as a coach. Really a unique yeah. guy that would always coach up, right? You know, never yell down, but coach up, get that kid. And he always found it as a challenge to be able to pull the best out of somebody. If you asked for the advice, he would he would give it to you, but always with respect to your, you know, your artist's soul. So um, you are just one more that whose life was changed effectively by a guy that uh, 
was very, very, very strong in uh, trying to raise all of us up, right? Yeah, and it's funny, the listeners mentioned the fact that, you know, I didn't really know him. Yeah. But when you have somebody in your life, like every day, like Dory was with his audience, you, you know him. Yeah. He knew, you know, you knew him intimately. And it was, it's a loss for everybody in the city. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dory was in my phone and my contacts as damn Dory. <laughs> um, because I we didn't agree on much of anything. No. But but he showed me how to see things from a different perspective and how to have respect and empathy for those I disagreed with. Yeah. It's it's a valuable gift, man. It is. Well, you you, you got it. You deserved it. Keep it. As they say... Is the Irish say that the pain will leave, but the memories will always be with you. So, uh, yeah. Sp- Spike, Amen. enjoy your day off. We'll have you back in here. Cover radio, doing Thanks, nights. Buddy. Thank you. You, you know, thank you. Bob Rivers, a legend in the market, a voice that people heard and the humor that uh, Bob Rivers brought uh, every single day. Uh, it, it, you know, is. It's legendary. People still talk about Bob Rivers. People still like, bro, Rivers, Bob Rivers, Bob Rivers. Uh, you hear it all the time. So I would put in the same category with Dory Monson, Bob Rivers. There are other names as well, but just for time being what it is. Bob, when you got the news. Sorry, Bob's next segment. Sorry, we don't oh, have Bob at the moment. I'm sorry. I got my big build up. I, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't express this correctly. Yeah. Oh, next segment. I was going to go Correct. Spike and Bob. The phones are open because we do want people to be able to respond to the news. And the news is that Dory Monson passed at 8 o'clock at night on Saturday. I got a call from his beautiful wife, uh, Suzanne, who wanted to make sure that I had heard. And then she immediately went into, um, you know, mama bear mode and wanted to protect uh, Dory and uh, Dory's legacy and the people who would be called and told about the news of Dory's passing, you know, I've been asked, I did a couple of different TV interviews and this is the hardest part of it. Are you, were you shocked? And then I'm going to be honest that I kept saying to Dory, 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 and Nicole and I, Nicole, his producer, Dory, take care of yourself, take care of yourself, take care of yourself, get sleep. When his knee went and then he'd get surgery on his knee and then it didn't recover, he wasn't as active. And he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew he needed to change. He knew he needed to get sleep. He needed to eat better. He needed to exercise. But it was so hard. And so much of his energy was always put into the show. When he said, I love you, the listener, that wasn't just words. He really felt. It drove him an obligation to be able to be there for you every single day. So even when Nicole would be like, Dory, go to bed, Dory, go to bed, Dory, Dory. But still, he's sending out emails at one thirty in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Grab this interview. Grab this. I found this. I found that. I found this. Please put this on. Uh, he worked and worked and worked. So when I got the news that he, Dory had suffered a heart attack, I just thought, well, yep. Of course, you would want it to come later. I don't know when it's ever supposed to be a good time to die, but you know nobody ever wants to be, get that call. The country song about country western song about everybody's talking about heaven, but nobody wants to go. The uh, I got a whole bunch of cuts here on the screen in front of me. Dory and his family and Dory's predictions and 
Here we go. This is marked possibly the most <laughs> the most awkward moment in the show's history. But I have to say that the show had been on for so long. I mean, the hardest part is trying to get it all on the air. But here's Dory Monson. Hey, you know that Swedish politician who wants people to have paid hour off to go home and have sex? A bunch of listeners have pointed out there's no way you can get home and back here in the Seattle area in an hour. So it just wouldn't work around here. Traffic's too bad. You have to do in the car, probably. I only live a block away. All right. That was, that was awkward. <laughs> Everyone knows where they're going. <laughs> wow. That might have been the most awkward moment in the show's history right there. <laughs> We also have a family bathroom downstairs. <laughs> All right. So if you're close to East Lake in the South Lake Union neighborhood, uh, just get all the. Stop. Stop. Sorry. It was wow. just too easy. <laughs> man, oh, man. All right. With that as mere prelude. <laughs> um, poor Nicole. That's <laughs> crazy. Uh, am I going to be able to get through this letter? I do you want? I can, be, I can be ready to take up. Right, right. Yeah, over under. How many? Is this lines? hers? Is this it right here? Is this where it starts? That's right. Yeah. Um, was it six years she did? How many years she did this show? Um, I talked to um. I called Nicole this morning. I can't do it right now. Dory interviews a bison. We go to the funny stuff. I haven't heard this yet. Does he interview a bison? I mean, it's um, kind of, no, not no, not technically. Okay, here we go. So, where were you when you heard the news? Nice. Did the president himself call you? Okay. So what did you do to celebrate? Really? Very cool. All right. Well, hey, look, I didn't want to take too much of your time. I know you're really busy today. Just wanted to say congratulations. Thanks for popping on with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I... Is Tony Ventrilli going to come on? Yeah, he's a little bit later, okay, but yes. Okay, Let me just, I, and I might just screw this up. And as I had mentioned at the very beginning, we came on at 9 o'clock. I said the hardest part about doing the show is, one, the guy, there's so much stuff to pick from that it's all there and trying to find it all and put it on the air. You never do it justice. And I remember I called Nicole this morning and she said, it's, I need more time because I just know that when this day ends at 6 o'clock, there'll be so much that I didn't get a chance to play. And then the reason that so much of an intense emotion and reaction on her part is because when it came to producing a Dory Monson show, he wanted everything in there and he was going to find it and scrap and scrape everything he possibly could to get all of it there and pack it all into the show and get it all on the air for you. Um, 
So we we'll get Tony on to tell a story. And I again, I'll just sort of set it up. And I know I'm going to miss vital pieces of it. But Dory used to produce over at King Television uh, for the sports. And I forget how it all started. But he and Tony, Tony doing the sports over there, Dory had a made-up university, a made-up college, and they used to put it in the the um, the highlights, not the video, but just the name of the team and the score of the team. Nobody knew, but it was Dory would do it for Tony and a few other people, and it was all just inside joke. And I forget the name of the team Tony will be able to talk about. And they were always, whenever they just wanted to, they would just stick it in the into the broadcast. And this was the unique thing about Dory, that when you would come on the air with him, there was the topic you were talking about. And then there was the under thing, the underlying thing, the inside jokes that he would do and poke at me or and I would do back to him. And... The best was when you could, he'd be on the topic, you would sort of slip this inside joke in, and he would look at you like, you, without missing a beat, you SOB. But he would stay on the topic. I'll like, go back and do it. I will whack him again. And the heat would give me this another look like, oh, I'm going to get you. But he never missed the beat. And it was this sort of play of, Doing the job, but at the same time having fun with the job, you know, and it, the fact that early on in his career, they were sticking in some made up college into the middle of this sports report is an example of doing the job, but at the same time having fun. And I remember asking Dory, when we, will you ever stop doing radio? And he said, well, it's just not fun anymore. And I said, you ever see that happening? He said, no, oh, always. And it was up to him to be able to make it fun uh, because it's often the news was just so overwhelming. So between Nicole, his producer and Dory trying to weave all of the, the, the complexity of the news, but then making it palatable, making it understood, but then being able to leave you at some point in the day at the end of his show often with the awesome audio, which were just you know, ridiculous, silly, in, inane, profane, whatever, things being said by famous people. He always loved to play clips from The View, which I never understood. But he loved to be able to just sort of drop it in and make those comments about it. This was a unique individual that God gave us. And I think the best part of it if you know Dory, you listen to Dory, is that you felt you knew him. So 253 writes, I really think we need to get a bench and a plaque and put it up in Ballard in his honor. But we shall see, Mr. 253, we shall see.
Goodbye, Dory. We'll be here till six tonight. Heck, we could be on for months and months and months doing a Dory Monson tribute. Keep saying it, but it's true. The hardest part of the whole job today is just simply not crying and then also thinking, good God, what about that clip and that clip and that clip? And how about that and that and that? Knowing Dory's watching going, hey, wait, wait, don't forget the time I I, I was on Ambient. How about this? We'll also talk to the Titans uh, play-by-play crew, the Texans play-by-play crew. The Houston Texans, as we keep counting you down to kickoff, between the Seahawks and the Houston Reckon Texans, you are listening to the yeah. Bing Radio Network. <laughs> oh, my God. Bob Rivers. Bob Rivers. You and I are old enough to, to know the news that breaks when somebody passes that's been in this business for a long time. And it's strange, isn't it? Because... It's like their voice was just there just the other day, but it's been there for so long. And then it's all of a sudden thinking you're not going to hear it again. It's going to be all old clips and they'll get old fast because people like Dory Monson and other radio people and TV people that you and I have seen come and go. They leave such a giant, giant void in our lives. Yeah. Is this time, am, am I really on this segment, or are I going to get a third intro next week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, like, all right, yeah. No, yeah. I've, I've been listening, and uh, and the first off, my heart goes out to all of you at Cairo and Suzanne and the girls, and, and really Dory's audience, because um, he loved you all. And, um, and, and Curly, I'm sure you're like a brother. And I, and to me, um, well, first off, I want to say this about Spike. Um, you know, he's prone to exaggeration to make okay. a point, right? Yes, sure. He calls it humor, but in my contacts on my phone, it's, he's under Spike BS. <laughs> okay. Noted. But in this case, yes. I have to tell you that he didn't. He not only didn't exaggerate, but it's a true story. Um, and yes, and no. I, when you talk about losing a broadcaster like that, I, I, um, I don't think I've ever had been hit this hard. Uh, so I don't have anything to compare it to. Uh, partially because Dory and I were just talking last week, and um, and he was reaching out to help me. Um, you know, I had some health issues yeah. this past year, big ones, and. Dory called out of the blue. We hadn't talked in a little while. And he wanted to know how I was doing. And I thought, oh, that's so nice. My legendary, you know, my broadcaster friend. And I view him as just a massive talent. I mean, yeah. we'll get to that. But I thought, oh, how nice that he's reaching out to me. Well, a month later, three months later, five months later, he would call. And he would say, I've been thinking about you. And I just want to check in and see how you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, he would listen, he would share. We talked about meaning of life. We talked about spirituality. I mean, we, you know, we got into, wow, this guy, I remember him as doing so much for me, but this was, this was huge. Flashback to 1997, uh, Cairo um, and Bonneville stations had just been bought by, I think, Entercom. Yeah. 
And I was listening to Dory on the radio, and he was doing a remote in a trailer out in front of Michael's Toyota in Bellevue. Mm -hmm. And I said, I've been listening to him since Como. I should stop by and introduce myself. And I did. And we sat in that trailer in between all of his duties, you know, going on the air, dealing with the client, meeting people who came in to see him. And I stayed for a long time and told him, I dreamed that maybe I could do a talk radio show too. And he said, oh, you've got to do it. I said, yeah, but I, I can't do it. I, I, I need a lot of people around me. I can't, you know, I can't monologue and I can't prepare. All, and, and he said, ah, he says, you just go for it. And then he talked about, he used this word flop sweat. He said, when you first start, if your palms are sweating, that's a good sign because you care. And uh, shortly after that, we, you know, gradually dropped the songs and changed the show. And Dory stayed a good friend, and we would powwow every month or two. We'd talk, and, you know, probably five times a year, we'd meet and have lunch. And it was kind of an executive lunch. I'd complain about annoying my co-host Spike was. He'd calm me down and say he didn't have that co-host problem. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, but but it was, he was the brother. Yeah. And... um and he would uh, just uh, a week or so ago, I was talking about my hernia surgery. So I'm going up for the surgery. And he said, uh, I wish you well. He said, I got a hernia I should take care of, too. It looks like the gopher popping out of the hole of Caddyshack. And, and I thought, wow. Uh, I don't know. So in the last few days, oh, and the last thing he did is reach out to me and ask for Spike's number. Yeah. He said, I want to connect with Spike. And I thought, ah. So when this happened, I just, I mean, he's literally a phone call. I'm about to return. So yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little shocked. But it has to remind you of the finality and the sort of ephemeralness of life. That that very very thin silk, one one tiny strand that holds us here to this to this earth. Right, and as you see more people begin to go, as you and I get older, it it reminds you to to live more fully, right? Because everybody has plans. Dory was like, he had no retirement plan, nothing. I mean, he knew he was cut a couple more years in the contract year, but then he was like, going to do this and then that and months in media, and he was going to take it here and the podcast and this. And he was going to go, 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 go. And I said, when are you going to stop? Or like, what at what point do you just stop? But. And again, this sounds so hackneyed, but he had this incredible yeah, drive. Really. I mean, he did this incredible yeah. drive, Bob, for the listener. Yeah. It was like had to be there for the listener, not for himself. Uh, uh, he he talked to me about retirement over the last year because he was like, I call him retire curious, and uh, but not ready. And and he just loved what he was doing so much and so good at it, and. Um, you know, he even talked about Vegas because we moved out of Vegas. He was like, well, that'd be a nice place. I said, yeah, you love Vegas. We got to get together. Uh -huh. um, but he, let me say this, there, was, there is something about him. When I first met him, he is very self-deprecating, um, in, in, you know, in person and, and often on the show. But he, he would say, oh, I don't have a really great voice for radio. 
you know, his words. Uh, but I, I would say you have such character and such personality. And over the years, he got so good. Like I would pull into a parking lot that if he was kicking off an hour, mm -hmm. he would start to tell a story and I couldn't get out of the car. Yeah. I, I, I had to sit there, see where he was going up with it. You know, he would have a setup. Sure. He would be super clever about how he would make a point. But, uh, but the one thing, he, you know, without fail was his passion. And, um, you know, there's a comedian say, there's an old comedian saying about passion. Uh, one famous comedian said, uh, only joke about what you love. And the other comedian, another huge comedian whose name I can't remember, said, only joke about what you hate. Oh. And the point of that is be passionate about what you do. And he, and he did that. He was um, just uh, incredible. And I, I, by the way, was still a listener. I would... Yeah. Scroll through the podcast hours that if I would see an hour I liked, like the Ed Troyer verdict, I would go, all right, I'm going to agree with Dorian today. I'm going to, you know, go listen to it. Yeah. And, uh, and so just what a pro. I mean, literally what every broadcaster wants to be, which is irreplaceable, a huge part of your audience's life, one of a kind. That's coming from a man who is all three of those things. Bob Rivers, thank you for your tribute. Thank you for your joy, your humor, your intellect, and your kind words about Dory Monson on this very sad day. Thank you, Bob. Take care of yourself. You're very welcome. Bless you, Curly, and uh, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you okay. so much. Bye-bye. Eric Clapton. Yeah. Um, of course, you'd be competing with Dave Wyman to try to guess who, what song it was, right? You'd be doing that. Let's see. Man, this is not an easy day. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I just thought, like, oh, I just read letters and just make take phone calls. We're saying goodbye to Dory Monts, and it would take forever to say goodbye to that guy. Um, Jonathan Show, much hated in the media, but much loved by Dory, who was over at Como, I believe, and then moved over to the Discovery Institute. And Dory deeply admired your courage. Uh, and when you got the news, I assume, what day, Sunday, Joe, that you heard that Dory had passed? Yeah, just uh, it was just blowing up on social media. Then I was getting texts from, you know, colleagues uh, like Jason Rance. Uh, I was texting with Brandy Cruz. I was texting with Dory's producer, and uh -huh. they just confirmed this bombshell news. You, uh, what Dory really admired about you was that you didn't play by the rules because the rules were written by people that don't want people like you and Dory to have a voice or at least to give voice to those that have a different opinion 
How did his encouragement uh, and respect for you help you? Look, uh, I'm forever going to be grateful to Dory because he didn't have to do this. But uh, about seven, eight months ago when I was fired from Como News, pretty much most of Seattle media, mainstream media, canceled me and pretty much believed all the rumors and, and the lies and, you know, believed the controversy and said, Jonathan Cho, uh, he's too hot to handle. But Dory, one of the few to call me up and say, hey, you got a raw deal, man. Just keep on reporting because you're one of the few who are trying to shine a light and hold the city leaders, county, state leaders accountable. And we need that. Yeah. So he he told me he didn't have to do this. And this is what I want to emphasize. He did not have to even talk to me during this very difficult time. But I learned very quickly, you know who your real friends are during a crisis. Mm-hmm. And he said, Jonathan, I'm going to have you on regularly when you want to bust a story when you want to talk about something that you think is important for this region, for our listeners, you contact me. And he followed through. So for the past year, almost, he had me on regularly, just talking about the issues that were not being covered by the mainstream media, yet were so important for this community, especially when it came to accountability mm-hmm. of our public officials. Who gets the torch now? Because there aren't many people that want to pick it up. One, because it's just too much trouble and it's so much easier just to remain quiet. You must sense some some pressure, some responsibility now. I mean, you're not going to fill the shoes of Dory, but you're going to certainly pick up, at least learn from the legacy of it and have and hold people accountable because it's the media here is so in the bag for the political powerhouses that run the show you lost your mentor jonathan yeah a guy who believed in me a guy who believes in real journalism in shining a light and bringing out the truth um like you said there's never going to be another dory munson but at the same time we we have a legacy there are people he touched and that's what i wanted to talk about today what you don't hear on the radio, what you don't see on television, man, the personal one-on-one relationship that I had with Dory, just encouraging me, calling me, texting, see how I was doing during the early days after I left Como and went down this road of being an independent journalist mm-hmm. and just checking in to see how I was doing. Yeah. I mean, so many of us in this industry, we, we measure our success by maybe ratings or how much money we make or, you know, our viewers and so on and so forth. But for Dory, his legacy is going to be the number of people he touched behind the scenes, not just the listeners, but the other journalists and members in the media who he encouraged and gave a chance to. And I'm one of them. Yeah. So I, I have this tremendous responsibility now, I feel like, not only to carry on Dory's legacy, but to the people of this region, to Seattle, King County, to Washington State, that he wanted to serve every single day. He told me all the time, Jonathan, this is calling. This is not just a job. This is a calling, and we got to keep on going. At the darkest point of your life, you get fired from that Como, and you just think, well, where am I going to go now? What am I going to do next? You start to question who you are, and like, maybe they're right. Maybe I, maybe I was too outside the mainstream. Maybe I was too, quote, unquote, hot to handle. And he's there with a phone call, and he's there with a text message to you to tell you, nope, you're exactly where you need to be. 
And I was going through that text thread last night, and I was in tears, man. Yeah. Because of how personal this guy uh, took it and how much he cared about me. Yeah. And he didn't have to again. When others didn't, when others canceled me, he said, nope, we're going to do this together. We're going to walk together. And he took me under his wing. He's not only a friend, a colleague, but a mentor. How many people do that in this day and age? To walk with somebody and then to encourage somebody and then to give them a platform to, to keep on going. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, especially on this beat. Homelessness, crime. Th- these are the stories a lot of journalists in this town don't want to touch because it's difficult. It's challenging. It's dangerous. But Dory said to me, we need you to keep on going because, again, this is calling This is to serve the community because in this town, and I don't want to get too political, I don't want to get Uh too personal, but it's about access journalism, right? If you say anything critical or or ask the tough questions, we know how this community works, the city works, public officials, they'll cancel you. They won't invite you to the press conferences anymore. They'll say you're not a journalist. But Dory said, when that starts to happen to journalists in town, that's when you're doing something right. And that's what I'm going to hold on to as I keep moving forward. Jonathan Cho, thank you for those words. That courage. I'm glad Dory could leave you with the inspiration you needed. Yeah, and I just want to encourage his family, his wife, his daughters. You know, I was reading this morning Bible verse, well done, good and faithful servant. That applies to Dory, especially his deep faith as well. So thank you so much. And uh, normally at this point, it would be the beginning of the Dory Monson show. The big show. The big show. As it had been the beginning of the big show, um, Andrew in there, Um, for for 25 years? Is that about right? Golly. Brandy Cruz had been filling in for Dory because Dory decided to take a vacation, which she hardly ever takes. But I guess it was the Cairo Radio and Bonneville policy that if you don't use it, then you lose it. So he figured, well, why not? And then he doesn't trust the show to just anybody. So when Brandy said, yeah, I'll come. I'll come in. I'll, I'll be in. So Brandy ended up uh, coming in and she'd been in. And then um, news breaks that on Saturday night at 8 o'clock, Dory Monson passes away. And now we, what are we going to do? We're going to sit here for nine hours and give you a chance to be able to talk about Dory Monson and bring in some folks who have the pleasure of working with him. Dory's producer, Jake, uh, sat in there, and that's chair right there to the left of me. And for the longest time, you got an opportunity to sit with a guy. And how would you describe it? Uh, I think my job was basically to... Say something quick and get out. Uh-huh. You know, if I had an opportunity to make him laugh or to do something a little unexpected or kill time with him, uh-huh. that's basically what we did. We just got paid to hang out on the air <laughs> and have fun. I mean, honestly, it was like it was the greatest job. It was the greatest job ever. He wasn't easy to share the stage with, though. No, no. <laughs> I would. Well, I was just telling you this off the air. I think the reason I don't know if I get 
I guess it's fine to say, but like I think the reason that we got along so well, uh-huh. you know how competitive Dory was. Oh yeah, I did not want his job, and it wasn't my aspiration to host his show. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I I think he felt like all right, this guy's I'm comfortable with this guy coming in. And like everybody you probably talked to, he was the best mentor in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole way down here, I'm just like trying to figure out how to like brace myself so I don't cry the whole time. Um, he was just the sweetest guy. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity to come in here and literally just have fun with somebody who was basically like a big brother mm-hmm. for years, for almost eight years. And uh, we got along real well. Very lucky. Set this up. Dory gets a cramp. This one, uh, <laughs> this one didn't is not ringing a bell. Honestly, no. Uh, <laughs> it's two twenty four. Maybe just play it. Let's just. All hear right. It. Up next in the fastest fifteen. For some reason, Will Ferrell decided to write. It- <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm starting to get one of those horrible cramps in my leg right now. I was wondering what you're doing. You started moving in a weird way. <laughs> Oh, man. Are you okay? Oh, I got a crap right now. Like, <laughs> you can't believe. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Stretch it out. Oh, 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 man. You want some milk with salt? <laughs> Isn't that the fix? It's milk with salt. Are you, milk, Aaron? <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. Oh, man. Once in a while, you know, we I thought you were having a seizure or something. <laughs> All of a sudden, you jump out of your seat and you start stretching your leg in a really weird way. This is happening more and more. Because we play basketball on Thursday night. Yeah. Oh, jeez. We had a really hard two-hour run last night. And the thing is, since you started playing and uh, Brady from my Northwest, who's 25 years old, he's playing. And the game is is more up-tempo than it used to be. And I'm running more than I was before you guys started playing. So about, I think it was a Friday two weeks ago. I'm sound asleep in bed. It's about 3.30 in the morning. I'm sound asleep in bed and I get this cramp. My wife bolts up and goes, are you okay? Are you okay? And I couldn't talk. It hurt so bad. And, uh, and she, my, wife, my poor wife, she said, you know, she's been sound asleep. She wakes up to this and she goes, is it your heart? Is it your heart? Are you dying? <laughs> Tell me if you're dying. Oh, Are you okay? Yeah. Is it's it starting, starting, to, is starting it... to loosen up here? Oh, man. You should, uh, I don't know, massage. I won't do it for you, but maybe massage it out. Yeah, would you come rub it out? No. Oh, man. Aaron's got great hands. <laughs> Maybe he can do it. That's a first. I've been doing this show for 17 years, and that's the first time. Oh, I'm crying here. That's the first time I've gotten a paralyzing leg cramp on the air. Oh, man. The Dory Monson burp, that's somewhere. Nicole has that. I'm trying to find that one. Can, but. can I just say real fast about yeah. that cramp thing? <laughs> he the, the thing that he hated more than anything would be to not be perfect at this job. Yeah. He works, you've mentioned this all morning, you guys have been doing, by the way, an amazing job doing this. Uh, but the thing that he wanted to do more than anything was to just be the best radio host he could possibly be. And that was like his personality, back to the competitiveness, that was his personality in everything. It was, uh, you know, in anything he was doing, he just wanted to be the best at yeah. it. And so 
for him to get a cramp on the air and to embarrass himself is like the worst for him. So, yeah, we have more stuff like that, I'm sure, to play. Well, I have you and Dory arguing about birds. Because remember, you said this job was nothing more than sit here with your friend <laughs> and say something every once in a while and have a laugh. Yeah. Do you remember this? Arguing about birds? Sounds right. Every time I walked outside, whether I was going to my car, they would start screaming from the trees and they'd fly in from all over and they would circle, but only for me because... And you're positive it was just for you. I am absolutely positive. Hand to God. I am certain of it. Yes. Absolutely. How would they even know, though? Because... After three months, how would they know? They knew. I don't know how. The same way they can... They can use sticks to manipulate rocks to drop a bigger stick to get a piece of food. So you're telling me that that crow that you murdered, you murdered him. Yes. His friends saw. Yes. Passed that story down to their family members through some sort of an oral history. Yes. And then they targeted you for months afterwards. I I bet you our listeners will actually, I bet there will be demails from people who will... Have email. stories that it's are similar to mine. It's a great cautionary tale, but I don't believe it happened. It's absolutely true. I don't believe it. What have I ever lied? I've never lied. There's no way a murder of crows would spread that message. They did. And they that did. they would then target you. I that makes swear so, to you. How would they even know? Check the emails when they we get saw off you the take today. the shot. One of them did, and let everybody know. He <laughs> believed that, by the way. <laughs> And I have told that story since. That's something that I have now told my children. I was like, yeah, Crow, like crows remember. Don't do something in front of a crow. And they tell others. And they tell other yeah. crows. No, he believed that with his whole heart. Yeah. That those crows were targeting him. What do you say to the people out there that, because there are people that really hate Dory. Yeah. And when you used to meet people and they, what do you do for a living? Oh, I work at Cairo Radio. What do you do? Oh, I, I produce. They at me. <laughs> yeah. No, they wouldn't. Uh, some, some did. And what, how would you explain to them that, you know... Who Dory oh, was? Yeah. Would you feel a need to sort of protect him or to explain him he or to convert he, somebody? He, he didn't need me to protect him. He was a very big personality and he was a big boy and he knew what this job was and he didn't need that. But I cared about him deeply. And right. so if somebody had a bad opinion of him that I thought was maybe uninformed, I was happy to let them know from my own personal experience what kind of guy he was. And, you know, as loud as he was, you've mentioned this a few times this morning, but like as loud as he was on the air, it's the opposite of that off the air. He was a quiet, like he and his wife uh, met me and my wife like a couple months ago. We went out to dinner. Mm -hmm. We walk into this restaurant and the first thing that happens is two guys from across the restaurant, Dory Monson, and they run over and they say hi. He was so red faced and embarrassed. He just doesn't want to be right. Re- he did not want to be recognized. You know, yeah. he was happy and he sat and the guy sat down at our table and talked with us. And it was it was fun and, and fine. But like he's just a, he was just a sweet, quiet guy who was very good at this job. Yeah. And, um, you know, somebody else said this morning, if you listen to him long enough, you did know him. You know, I mean, he was a genuine, authentic guy. And so, uh why did he irritate people so much? Why did why were he had the... strong opinions and he wasn't afraid of his strong opinions and especially you know in certain areas they're not popular opinions and uh, but he didn't shy away from them. He always had an argument for why he believed those things. He always had the courage of his conviction, and uh, I think sometimes that rubbed people the wrong way, as especially pro- in this day and age. They don't like people don't like hearing things that they don't already know. Yeah, and so but as the producer, when he would say something. 
And then he'd say to you, Jake, get, get, get them on the phone. See if they come on the phone. Yeah. You would then have to call somebody, some politician. And what were, what were the people, what would they say when you would say, I'm calling for the Dory Monson show? They'd say bye. <laughs> <laughs> they would. Nobody yeah. want to talk to him because he's, he's a very effective communicator. And he had, he had a reason behind all of his ideas. Everything he said, he had a reason behind it. Yeah. And he was happy to debate with people. Uh, even if they were of a differing opinion, he didn't care. He was happy to talk to you about it and suss it out. And the two of you would come to some understanding, always well-intentioned and a nice guy. He never did it in a bullying, mean way. Uh But, you know, a lot of times people who get into public office or whatever, they don't want to hassle with him because he confronts them on things that maybe they're not super excited to talk about. Right, plus they they don't gain anything. What do they gain from it, yeah. You ever had anybody say yes to come on, and then you're thinking, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I feel sorry for you. Yeah, which was my job. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, You know, you win more uh, friends with honey or whatever, flies with honey. If Uh, if you want flies. If you want flies. I don't know why you're winning flies. (laughs) You catch more flies flies with honey. If flies are your only friends. No, but he would have me me call on things that were ridiculous, and he knew they weren't coming on. And I think sometimes he, he even like just would set me up to call just so he could listen to me call them uh-huh. or hear the story about how I called them. And then uh, we might have an example of something like that. Yeah. Um, that's the Dory and the, the you called. Was it Sound Transit or somebody? This was about Bertha oh and gosh. him wanting to chain himself to the pit. Do you, do you remember when Bertha was being made? It was, there was a promise that it was going to cost a certain amount of money. Yeah. And then it ended up yeah. costing like 10 times that or whatever right. it was. Uh, and so he was a big proponent that this should be done the right way. And he didn't feel it was being done the right way. And so when it was about to break through the tunnel or whatever it was, he was, he wanted me to call and and make a, uh, a proposal to them on on how he would be there for that. Okay. Here's what Dory would love to do. If you guys are up for it. Um, he wants to, he, he's obviously, you know, Dory. Yeah. Okay, what he would here. love to do if huh? you guys what? What? are up. What's on? I don't recall if, if we were allowed to use the other end of this phone conversation. Were we? Is there a person on there? Uh, the audio that I have does not feature anybody but your voice. Okay, yeah, so, so think... we were told after the call yeah. that we could not use that person's voice. <laughs> okay. And so we had to cut that call out. So what you're going to hear is, I think, if the my drops. memory serves, this is just my half of the conversation uh-huh. making a request. Okay, here, so back it up. Yeah. What he would love to do, if you guys are up for it, would it be possible for him to come down on the day that Bertha is supposed to get through the concrete? He would love to, I feel stupid even asking this. He wants to strap himself to the concrete. He doesn't believe that Bertha is going to make its way through, so much so that he's willing to bet his life on it. Is there a second piece to it? Do we to strap himself to the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he was, I think he was being genuine. I I think think he was right. I think he would have done it and we would have strapped him into the the concrete. And uh, it would have been, I think it would have been fine because I don't think it made it through that day. (laughs) I don't think it did either. I don't think it did either. Um, Do you remember when he, um, he got zapped? Is this where he got tased? Yeah, he got tased. I don't remember the why he set this up or, or how he got talked into. Or I'm sure he volunteered to do it. I'm yeah. sure it was his idea. Uh, but right through that glass there, uh, somebody came in and uh, 
he offered to tase him. So he said, yeah, let's do it. Can can we read a letter that someone, just before we play it, sure. someone remembering sure. what their their version of it. Okay. Uh, Erico 253, my favorite Golden Dory Monson moment was when he got himself tased on air. As soon as the tasing started, he went, to, he went into Homer Simpson mode with a string of do-do-dos. He and I were probably the only ones who laughed about it, though. Uh, thanks to the Cairo family for sharing him with us. So, so we'll be listening for the do-do-dos. Here we go. Jeez. Three, ah, okay. two... One, zap him. Go, 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 go. Oh, man. <laughs> Whoa. Holy criminy. That is really. Okay. Dory. All right. You should have seen the look on your face. Oh, man. Why did he agree to do that? He just wanted to see what it was like to be tased? I guess. I, I can't remember why he would uh, do it. He ended up also jumping out of an airplane. Do you remember when he did that? I do. And they, he, he had the idea of being mic'd up. Well, he was going to do it. Here I don't, he is, I don't know if the bungee act- jumping. And there is nothing below me but 140 feet of air. Okay. Okay. What I'm going to do, I'm going to go three, two, one, bungee. Yeah. I just want you to fall forward head first, okay? Okay. Like you're falling with the bed, all right? All right. And when you see that water coming towards you, keep your hands way above your head. Okay. You might just touch with your hands, okay? Okay. I want my listeners to know what I'm doing for my art here. <laughs> all right. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really incredible. So this- what we're going to do, we're going to do it right away on bungee. God, I've never shaken like this in my life. Okay. Are you ready? I am not ready. Okay. All right, gang, let's do it. All you got to do is fall forward head first. Ready? Head first, arms above my head. Ready? Three, two, one. Bungie! Whoa, I am going down. The cord caught. My hands did not touch the water. I'm springing up near the bridge. Free fall again. Down near the water. I did it! Here's a third free fall down to the water. Oh, I feel like every ounce of blood is in my head. And I, honest to goodness, did not think I could do this. Oh! Oh, my word! This is by far the most exhilarating thing I have ever done in my entire life. Jake, thanks. This has been a uh, a pleasure to come down and uh, just be here again. He was a special guy. Green field from a cold steel rain.
try to guess the album and then uh wyman would would guess the wrong song right <laughs> then dory would say no sad that we have to say dory would say all about now past tense it's so odd right at 12 31 in about 15 seconds, he'd come back on again. He'd be like, hour number two. Woo, 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 woo. Jake uh, was his producer for eight? Yeah, almost eight years. Almost eight years. Yeah. 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 Um, so we get a little chance to reminisce here. Yeah. Uh, this is a bizarre, because I called you, we talked last night, and you were telling me about, um, um, it was a lot of the humor, because the thing about the Dor- Dory show, yes, you knew we'd be ranting, he would be, you know, holding politicians and government accountable. But it was these weird, odd moments because one of the reasons it was some odd stuff, he was so competitive yeah. that even the most trivial things he would latch on to and have, then decide he needed to compete on. Have you ever seen, sorry if this mic is making noise. Yeah, yeah it's nice. Um, have pro-y. you ever seen the uh, documentary on uh, Michael Jordan? What was that one that just came out recently? And they just they show him in the background of some event. Okay. And he's playing quarters okay. with the with the security guys. Yeah. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. But okay. I'll just go so this is it. what Dory was like all the time. Okay. And one thing that listeners weren't you know made aware of is all of the time that we got to spend on the air was amazing and a lot of you know that was where we had all the laughs and it was right. fun. But we also shared an office downstairs for years, and he wanted to gamble. All the time uh-huh. on anything. And yeah. literally like, uh, you know, those little like Sharpie markers or whatever that writes on the whiteboards. Uh-huh. We would sit there on one side of the room and we would toss them and whoever got closest to the wall, we'd play for quarters all day and like big money. And he always won because he always had some way to like beat me. And, you know, by, you know, by the time I left here, I was down and I think he forgave, he forgave me my gambling debt as yeah. a goodbye gift. But he was just gambling on everything. Or like, you know, I don't know if you guys remember this, but years and years ago, it's been seven years since I worked here. Uh-huh. But years ago, there used to be a ping pong table downstairs. Oh, yeah. yeah. And 11 o'clock, oh, yeah. we'd be prepping for the show and Dory would be like, let's go get a game. And we'd run in there and we'd play a quick game. And if I beat him, we'd have to play another one. And if I beat him, he'd have to play another one until he beat me. And yes. then he'd be all right, we're done. Let's go. He just had to win, you know, but but he never did it maliciously. No. He was only like, he, he was like, the best way I can describe him is just like a big brother. You know, he was just, just the best. Yeah. Uh, but to set this clip up, 
um, we were talking about something. I don't know what we were talking about. Yeah. Nothing, usually. <laughs> and we got in some conversation about who's a better whistler because I used to just walk around and you know whistle. And Dory's like, no, 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 I'm a better whistler. And so we got in our heads that, that he got in his head that we should have a competition about okay. this. And so we got a listener whose name was Brock to be the judge or something. Okay. And they were going to judge our whistle-off, which is what we call it. Let's skip to the second clip. That's where they actually have the competition. Here we go. Ready? The song is Wouldn't It Be Nice If We Were Older. (laughs) Uh, The Beach Boys song? Yep. Do you know the song, Jake? Whistle a little bit. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Okay. Um... All right, we're going to go silent in here now, Aaron. You take it away. Uh, call for whistler number one. Okay, here we go. Wet your whistles. Whistler number one, take it away. All right, whistler number two, your rebuttal. <laughs> That's not a good start. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do now? <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, give me a chance here. Game over. <laughs> After all that build up. What a wait, wait. I I don't wait. Hold on, Brooke. Wait, wait. Who's in the wrong key? Wait a second. Hold on. Wait, no. Oh, nobody laugh. Off. Nobody laugh. Hold on. Shh, All right. Yeah, give, let's give it a... Okay, one of us. Do it again. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> Crap. All right, Brooke. Who do you pick? Whistler one or Whistler two? I'll have to go with one. Crap. Yeah. Dang it. Dang it. Wait a second. Dory, I had to come back in for this. Wait, wait, wait. That was horrible. You are sweating right now. After all that, stage fright? No, wait, wait. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Wait, I'm dry. Here's the problem. No, 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 here's the problem. Here's the problem. You heard my whistle. It was so... Look at my sweat. Did you hear how beautiful my whistle was? This is no no joke, but Dory is sweating. I'm sweatshirt off. This, your eyes happened. are tearing. I don't know what just happened to me. You got whistle fright, man. It happens to all of us. Dang it. Hold on. Okay. All right. So, uh, do you want to try this again later? Oh, geez. Look at this. Look at you this. are sweaty. Like Why New are you York sweating so much? What is going on here? What is going on? I don't know. You're not having a stroke, are you? <laughs> it's horrible. This might be... You're really wet. (laughs) This might be the worst moment of my radio career. All of your your whistle wetness has been leaked onto your face. I should have told you, you don't drink your Coke, Diet Coke, before you whistle. Yeah, that messed you up. Oh, no. Oh, man. All my whistle saliva came out in my forehead. Okay. And it looks like your back. And you're sweaty. You instantly, I've never seen somebody sweat so hard for no reason. Instantly. Instantly soaked. 
We should go to commercial and get this guy a towel. <laughs> oh Jeez. This is the lowest point in 18 years on the air to lose a whistle off to Jake. Why is he sweating? Look at his forehead. <laughs> you zoom in on that? I'm just so I'm so furious right now at myself. No, don't zoom in. No, zoom in no, on don't this. Zoom in. No, don't, don't zoom Look in. Look at the glisten. What are you doing? No! Get the camera off me! Get the camera off me! Okay, I don't know what just happened. All right. That was insane. Okay, that is your fastest 15. <laughs> he was, uh, no joke, instantly wet. Yeah. With just flop sweat, nervousness, whatever it was. And, you know, I think we made a comment in there somewhere, but like his back. Was covered. He, t- he took off his sweatshirt and his back was just a big wet spot. And, uh, I mean, that's just like a, how long was that clip? That's like a two minute clip or something. Yeah. Four, four minutes. Four minutes. I got the opportunity to sit with this guy for three hours a day, five days a week. And we just did that stuff all the time. And whether it was talking about whistling or strapping him to the front of concrete when he was going to get bowled over by a big Bertha yeah. or talking about my mother uh, as a stripper or whatever it was, uh, this was just the best job. And to be able to come in here and work with a guy like that. Um, it's really tough. Uh, he was really, really good at this job. But he was just the best friend, too. And he never had an unkind word to say about anyone. Yeah. And... Uh, I think you said it earlier. He was just a great coach, you know? Yeah. And it didn't matter if it was coaching girls basketball or if it was coaching his friends at the radio station. He was just very good at helping people along to get better at whatever they were doing because he cared about you. And uh, I'm just going to miss him like hell. And uh, I'm really glad that you guys let me come down here and, and share some stories about how special he was to me. And uh, to his listeners, too, um, we're all going to miss him. He was, we were just such big fans of his. It was, just a, it was an honor to sit here and uh, be in the studio with him. So, Why is he sweating? Look at his forehead. Can <laughs> you zoom in on that? I'm just so, I'm so furious right now at myself. No, don't zoom in. No, zoom in no, on don't this. Zoom in. No, don't, don't, don't zoom Look in. Look at the glisten. What are you doing? No! Get the camera off me! Get the camera off me. Okay, I don't know what just happened. All right. That was insane. Okay, that is your fastest 15. And I saw my reflection on snow-covered hills To the landslide brought me down Oh, mirror in the sky, what is Within my heart, Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my Best of bread. 
Am I right? No, not them. Chicago. Oh shoot! Yeah, Chicago. This is my favorite, my favorite band. Oh yeah. Darn it. Bum bum. If Dory were here, he would have gotten that one. So right now, the listing is <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, if you're just tuning in, and if you're tuning in to hear the Dory Monson show. I have some heartbreaking news. Uh, 8 o'clock Saturday evening, God called him home. So that's the good news. The bad news is Dory Monson's show will not be heard at its regular hours. But Cairo... Management has decided, you know what, let's we gotta do something. So how about nine hours of bets of Dory, cuts from Dory, people that knew Dory, people that love Dory. And um Todd Herman. Um got a text from this guy this morning. He said, If you need me, I'll be there for you. You know, I hear from me. Here you're there, Dor- John. You're here for Dory, Todd Herman. I'm here for you, too. Okay. Thank can you. you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The phone started blowing up last night, and you said it so well. that The good news is that, that Dory's home with the Lord and, and that we're the ones who mourn. And uh, I tell you, I'm thinking about the phone calls I had with him. Every single time, he started with, how is your family? How are you? How is your podcast? How are how is the move? He was thinking of others, um, and there was not a phone call we had where he didn't talk about um, his wife and his daughters, and he wanted to offer. He's so very proud of them and so protective. Um, I learned so much from him mm-hmm. and, and you, uh, but I'll never forget. John, I think you and I can agree that that you can measure a man by what he does for people who can do nothing for him. And the first time I met Dory, I was a fill-in host at KTTH, borrowing a desk, keeping my head down because there were legitimate radio stars like you walking around. Um, And wouldn't you know it that this guy walks right over me and goes, hey, didn't get a chance to introduce myself. Sorry about that. I'm Dory Monson. Yep. And I stood up and said, by gosh, yes, obviously I know who you are. I loved your work. And uh, if I can be of help, let me know. And I said, Dory, can I ask you one question? He goes, sure. I go, what's the secret to this business? He goes, well, look at me. Uh, I I got a face for radio. Mm -hmm. I got a weird voice. I got a girl's name. But I'm not the smartest, but I hustle. And hustling wins. No one will out-hustle me. And and there was a lot more to Dory than obviously the, you know, the amazing charisma, which can't be taught. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw that, and then I saw his obsession, obsession with the audience, and that was, does my audience care? Does this serve them? So I want people to know, most of all, um, and, and, and producer Nicole, who, who Dory loved and admired and, and thought of as a partner in the show, said it beautifully on Facebook. I hope everybody who listens to this knows 
that that everybody he met and didn't meet, if you listen to his show, he genuinely loved you, don't you think, John? Yeah, and you know, it's the thing about people that are in radio or TV or any sort of public thing like this, there's a strange thing where it's like, do they love them? How do you define what love is? And then is it only for themselves that they're hoping to get that love back where their ego is bottomless and no matter how much you tell them that you care about them, they're still in need of that sort of relationship that is only understood by somebody who's public, a public figure and the private person listening through the radio in their car or sitting at home. But he really was so unbelievably appreciative of your time. And I think you've said this a couple of times on your show, your podcast, and when you were over here as well, that the greatest thing you can give to anybody, the greatest gift is time because that's all we have. Evidence of the fact that time ended for Dory at 8 o'clock on Saturday. But I think I had heard you say, and I heard him say one time about the fact that you give us your time, the only thing you can never get back, the only thing that has any value in the world, that you give it to us freely, even as much as we interrupt it with commercials, you give us the most precious thing you have, which is your time. Yeah. Yeah. And and you said that so beautifully. And I know that Dory would thank people anytime he met him. And I, I got to be around him at his, uh, you know, his live event and to watch him interact with people. And the first words out of his mouth were thank you. Yeah. And he meant it. And John, you know, in this business, there's a lot of, hey, love you, baby. And let's do lunch and love you, love you so much um, that there's a lot of fakery. And that didn't exist with him. And and the other thing was, and, and I've seen it in you when I've, I've got to interact with you in the air. There's, there was um, an irreplaceable joy he got when that microphone went on. And, and there were serious segments and, and, you know, hard-hitting segments. And his show played that better, broader than perhaps anyone. And yet, like you, uh, when he decided to be an entertainer, um, the way he could turn that on and you'd see the joy. And, and every so often, if I was in the studio with him or near him, I could look over and see little Dory. Yeah. of doing this. And John, yeah. when that never leaves, that's, that's, I think the magic, that's how, I don't know. I don't mean to speak for your career, but, um, I, when, when people never lose that magic and, and are excited, I'm walking into a radio studio. Yeah. I get to speak to people and he never, ever, uh, ever lost that. And I would just say one thing, John, I think time did end for Dory, but time also stopped. There is no time. It's eternal now. And he stands now um, in the presence of the, the Lord Jesus, who he sought to serve. He stands there, and he knows all of it now. And you know what? I bet he has a similar joy. You better play Guitar Man, because that was the song. You're not going to play Guitar Man? I don't know if we're doing Guitar Bread? Man. Well, oh, John. I'm still, hey, you talk to Andrew. He's taking <laughs> you out with this. Or he might try to put it in there for you. Uh-oh. Right. And then at some point... Somebody's got to play some fog hat. That's All right. right. Here's your guitar, man. All right. Todd Herman, it is. the best in your prayers. Love you, John. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Andrew. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud, baby? It's the guitar man.
gonna steal the show, you know, baby, it's the guitar man. of me. I went down to Vegas to see Barry Manilow. Came back, he's like, why'd you take me? It's like, what am I going to take you for? You should have taken me. Why'd you call me? I like Barry Manilow. I would have liked to want to see Barry Manilow. When'd you leave? I said, I went down for one day and came back. Ah, I thought we were friends. I love Barry Manilow. I know every Barry Manilow song. Now Who are you going to see next? I said, Wayne Newton. I've seen Wayne Newton. Who else are you going to see? I was on this thing of catching all the guys, the old timers, before they passed away. Let me know the next one. I'm going with you to see Rod Stewart. I love Rod Stewart. Oh, my God. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's this weird thing. If you just continuously play sound of somebody, that they're engaged in the joy that they found in life every day, you are kind of bathing in that, and you don't have a chance to stop. And I'm sure on the way home to Cleelm tonight, I will have a hard time seeing the road because it will hit me that he's gone. Penguin, your perfect timing on that one. <laughs> oh my God, Mr. Urquhart. What do we say? What do you say for some guy who is so big? So big, John Urquhart. How do we even begin to fill this time and do him justice? Well, I don't think we can do him justice. That, that's part of the issue. It's, it's everybody's got something to say and it's all important. But uh, it, he, he was he was bigger than life is really what it boils down to, I think. Yeah, but you knew him. The, the, the strangest part of it is bigger than life behind the microphone. But then in a public space where he was with other people that he didn't know that well, he was not. But then if you were with him at his house, um, with his family or to dinner or whatever, like you had spent some time with him. He again was at bigger than life because he was always. You always felt like he was in service to you. No, that, that's exactly right. And you know, I've done, as you know, I was the PIO for the sheriff's office for twelve years. Yeah. So I dealt with Dory all the time, all the time. And then I was sheriff for five years, and that obviously that continued on. And then I've been out of the game, and, and we still talk. I would still do interviews with him, but a lot of the interviews I did were recorded the morning of, 
And so that gave me or gave us an opportunity just to talk, you know, off off the record, uh, not as part of the story, and yeah. kind of get to know each other. And he, uh, as you know, has three daughters, and I have two daughters. And there's there's fathers of daughters have some sort of a bond. I don't know what it is, but uh, we would talk about our daughters. Uh, his uh, one of his daughters who got married recently, and they bought a house, and it was kind of a fixer upper. And he would tell me about that, and coincidentally. My daughter and her husband bought a house recently, and it was kind of a fixer-upper. So both Dory and me were involved in getting the houses fixed up and helping them out and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there was that bond just from that alone. Yeah. What's, what happens to a city that loses somebody like Dory Monson? Well, you know, we were, I was actually just talking to my wife a few minutes ago. Who's going to replace him? You know, who was going to replace Dory and the reputation that he had and the stories that he had and the information that he presented? And, gosh, I, I just don't know who it's going to be. You know, it's, it's a cliche to say that he that someone is, is irreplaceable, uh, but he certainly is irreplaceable on the radio. I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. You know, and they talk about, about Dory being pro-police, and that was certainly the case. But what I appreciated about him was he was pro-police with a nuance. In other words, it wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction. And if we or, or any police department screwed up or the sheriff or the police chief screwed up, he'd call us on it. Mm-hmm. And he'd call us on it in a heartbeat. Uh, and I appreciated that because we're not perfect. We're, we're the government, for God's sakes. Right. <laughs> it's, it's tough to get things right even 50% of the time, uh, much less more. Yeah. Uh, and he and I would go, would go round and round. And I learned early on that you, with Dory, you better not blow smoke, because if you do, you're in big trouble. And I learned that the hard way, because he's smarter and more articulate, and and he knew the issues better than uh, than most of the, of the guests that are on his show. So either fall on your sword, or <laughs> tell the truth, or tell the truth, or have a have a conversation with him. Uh, the last time I talked to him was about a month ago. And he'd gotten a, a tip about something going on at the sheriff's office. And he wanted to, to run it past me and, and ask what I thought. Mm-hmm. And I told him, no, Dory, don't go with this story. It's it's not true. There's nothing there. Yeah. And he, he, he did that. But then we were talking about what's going to be next. And we decided that after the first of the year with the new legislature, they're going to be talking a lot about police reform. I says, Dory, you need to have me on. I got some real strong viewpoints about that. Yeah. He says, Eric I bet you do. And I said, Dory, and we're not going to agree on a lot of it. Uh, and, you know, you talked earlier today about how competitive he is. And that's true. But he loved a good discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he loved, and he told me, he said, John, I want you to push back on me as much as you can. That's what makes for good radio, and I enjoy doing that. And that's the other thing I appreciated about him. You could, you could push back, uh, and if you made a good point, uh, he'd go along with it, or at least he wouldn't. He wouldn't go after you for it. Mm-hmm. He'd appreciate that, and sometimes he'd even change his view. Yeah, right. You know, you are not your ideas. You are your principles that you stand on. But your ideas can change. They can grow. They can develop, and the other person can have ideas that you can adopt, or you can see the other side of something, and that speaks to the the strength of a character of a person that is willing to learn from somebody else and, and not feel that they have something taken from them, but they themselves become uh, better because of it. Uh, no, John, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
So, I mean, for those that didn't like him, and there were many, the, the Seattle Times and others that just would, every time they get to take a shot at him, they would. Um, yep. And But it, they were the one thing I used to, I said, I, I don't think Cairo 7 used it yesterday, was that they said, what do you want people to know about him that don't know him? Well, if, look, if you didn't like him, five minutes, seven, seven minutes, that's all you need. At least you'd see the guy will see you as a human being. Right, see the humanity in you, not put you into some category or put you like a pigeonhole you, you know, oh, you are a liberal, you're conservative, you're this, you're that. But at least listen to you and not scream you down or hang up on you or not give you the microphone in the first place. So that's oh, the, the, you're, you're John, you're absolutely right. And you need to go no further than people that would not come on his show that really had an obligation to come on his show. And that's the mayor of Seattle. It's the governor. It's the county executive. All those people should have come on his show. But like I said, because they have an obligation to, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And he would he would go after them just tooth and nail because they wouldn't they wouldn't show up. Former sheriff is a prime example. Yeah. But if they did, if they did come on his show, he would be respectful every single time. He'd listen to them. He'd disagree with them more often than not. But he never put them down. He always was was willing to listen to their arguments and make his own argument. Right. And that's really all you needed to do. Just come on his show and make your case. And if you can't do that, boy, then you certainly shouldn't be in politics. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Well, you were on many times and you got to know him both professionally and personally. And uh, I would hope and you probably will agree. I hope you will. Anyway, you're a, you're a richer person because of that relationship. And you will carry that with you for the rest of your life, John Urquhart. No question about it. No yeah. question about it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Okay. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thanks, for, thanks All right. for what Bonneville is doing today. Bye-bye. It's small, but it's needed. Thank you. Um, gosh, people have been sitting here on hold for the longest time, but um, we've given you the opportunity to call in. We one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. Patty. All it says here on this little notice is Patty Payne, line three. Patty. Hi. Patty Payne. Oh, my God. How are you? really high. How are you? How am I? I am like everybody else. My heart is with all of us. My tears are mixing with all of yours. I couldn't believe it last night. My phone was ringing off the hook. Uh, John Carlson was over at my house for New Year's Eve, and we were talking about Dory. Yeah. And then, boom. And then, boom. We took the the polar bear plunge on New Year's Day, Uh and I was feeling like, you know, on top of the world, and it showed you. You know, Dory was a a humbler. (laughs) He humbled us all. We listened to him, and I was a devoted fan of his, like thousands of other people. And... You know, you didn't know this, John, but in the 90s, 94, 5, we were at the old building, the old Cairo building together. We worked together for years. And Tom Clendenning, the producer, uh, decided on a talk show. And it was between me and Dory. And Dory got it. And he ran with it to heights that we never could have imagined. Yeah. Never could have imagined. He was a... I mean, he was such a huge presence, and nobody can replace him. Nobody can replace him. He cannot die. I just 
can't believe that a presence that big can ever, ever die. I can't accept it. I can't believe it. I won't. Patty Payne, all the years and your Puget Sound Business Journal and then your work in media and this obligation that people that are storytellers feel to the listener, you see sometimes the people that are telling the story, you feel that they have an obligation to their own ego as opposed to the listener. You know, that you've seen people uh, on stage that do that where like I've heard people to be described shed his ego like a he <laughs> would shed his ego like a dirty coat. If he had an <laughs> ego, you wouldn't know it. Right. You wouldn't know it. Yeah. Because he 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 was such a listener and it didn't matter if he was talking to a hundred and one year old person or a person who was making headlines at the minute. You wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. He was a listener and he brought out the best. And if you heard a an unusual story he his producers were amazing to track down that person, get them on the air. When they got on the air, they got the spotlight that they deserved. Yeah. Story. Yeah. It was he, magical. He used to say, Patty, that he goes, you know, the Johnny Carson show, Johnny Carson said that it's I'm not the star. I'm the person that holds and reflects the light to the guest. That I'm like every exactly. right. So the, I read I, it's my job to make the guests look as good as possible so that that that's what a good host is. And no matter who was coming well, on, it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not our job to make them look good. It's our job to give them the spotlight. Right. Yeah. And and Dory did that. He gave the spotlight. Yeah. And he gave and gave and gave it. And he also gave opportunity to the spotlight where people didn't even want it. And maybe wouldn't take it, but it was always there. Mm. Yeah, come on down. Come on in. Doors <laughs> open. Yep. It was always like that. Y'all come. Yeah. It's so weird. We have a um, tradition in our house where we let the New Year's angel in at uh, on the stroke of midnight. And it, it was. it's just like, I just want to open the door and let Dory in. Huh. <laughs> just do. That's a lovely, lovely image. Patty Payne. I can't imagine Suzanne. I can't imagine no. Suzanne. I want to put my arms around her, and I want to. I want us to all sort of join hands and 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 put our arms around that family. Yeah. And around each other, because well, he did so much to lift, to lift, and it's our job to keep it going. Well, we will uh, do what we can until 6 tonight, and then I'm sure there's going to be some service where, you know, uh, they better have overflow parking. Um, I yeah, remember- I don't think there's a field. Lumen Field <laughs> couldn't hold it. <laughs> couldn't. No. That's what we were saying. Lumen Field could not hold it. No. No. And, John, I appreciate so much what you're doing. Thank you, Patty. Um, I I so appreciate so much what you're doing. So here's my love. Thank you. To all of you and arms around you. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Patty Payne from uh, Puget Sound Business Journal. And as she told you the story that they were going to do a talk show and uh, it was between her and Dory and as competitive as and talented as Patty is. She, Dory got it and uh, off he went and Patty went on and still continues to do great things in media, telling stories and what a beautiful voice she has and a great way, way with words. You know, I, I was, um, in the time remaining, uh, having to, so many people were writing me about Dory and, you know, I, I don't use these words lightly in that, um, the job killed him. 
in the sense that he, you know, my dad used to say you got three eights, right? You got eight hours of sleep, you got eight hours of work, and you got eight with something you want to do. And sometimes, you know, your commute would take an hour back and forth. So you wouldn't have eight, you'd have six or whatever the number was. So, you know, what are you going to do with that third eight? And you just call it the third eight. And I gave that theory to Dory once, and Dory sort of looked at me, and he's like, you know, I got the this, that, but he couldn't come up with this third eight. Well, I got the kids, and I got this. I said, I know, but Dory, like, how much time? Like, what were you? What what's the eight? His work was his life, not in a bad way, but his it filled him with so much joy, and so completed him. He didn't need a hobby. He didn't need something to take him away from it. It was utterly a complete mission, a calling for you, the listener of Cairo Radio and the Dory Monson Show. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose of the world. A time to build up, a time to break down, a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to cast away stones, a time to Playing all his favorites. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Give a little bit. Give a little bit of your love to me. Dory Monson's gone. I'll give a little bit of my love. Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Surrounded by family. Interesting guy. I mean, really an interesting guy. A walking dichotomy. And a, and a guy in public that was unassuming, but a guy behind the microphone was not to be messed with. And the guy, the joy and the laughter and all the struggles and effort he would go to for a good laugh. It knew new, no ends. Tony Ventrilla knows that. Tony joined King Television in 1983, and Dory Monson was his producer. And, Tony, I have to get you to tell this story, because whenever Dory would try to tell me this story, he would get halfway through it, start laughing so hard, he would then go, what, where, where, where was I? And then he would back up again, like he's making a run at something, like a horse. I'll set it up for you. Ready? That you guys... <laughs> had a fake university, a name of a fake team, 
that you guys used to include in your sports cast. Is this, do I have part of it right? Yes, you know, John, you have all of it right. It was, uh, if you did it today, you'd get fired in five minutes, but yeah. we had a blast doing it. So how did it work? Because he said you guys would be down in the basement playing ping pong or doing something or other. But then you had a you had a fake name of a fake team, a fake university, and you used to put it up on the screen and run it. But no one ever bothered to check it. But I forget the name of the team. But I think you guys had the team either winning or losing or was on some winning yeah. streak. It was all done just only to entertain yourselves, right? Well, I think uh, it it was because, and of course, this is pre-social media. you got to keep that in mind. Yeah. Because if anyone tried that today, within 20 seconds, you would be uh, you would be found out. And now, as I talk, I'm trying to remember the name of the school. But it was after a Sports Illustrated article came out back in the uh, in the early 80s. That uh, was a hoax article mm-hmm. about a pitcher down in spring training uh, that was extraordinary that could throw 120 miles an hour. And we thought, well, this is cool. They actually, it was an April Fool's article in Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Excuse me. So I said, wait a second. And Dory jumped right on it. And he said, let's do the same thing. We'll create a school. It'll be a high school in eastern Washington that hasn't lost a game in 12 years. We just made this stuff up as we went. And then every week we would give their score. Yes. And now for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the school because it doesn't exist. Right. Uh, And we had a blast doing it. Our producer, uh, Bill Rocky, was the other producer. He went along with it. He mm-hmm. kind of had to at that point. Yeah. And we just got our news director never noticed. Nobody noticed. <laughs> and that was one of probably 50 different bits that we did uh, over the years and had a blast. Now, I, I will also say Dory was a was a very good journal, sports journalist back in those days. Mm. He'd go out and do interviews, and, and, and they would be spot on, and everything would be good. But we definitely had a blast in the last 30, 40 seconds of every sportscast. And that was part of it. <laughs> and what was the and you guys used to play? Was it ping pong? Or you'd be downstairs in the basement there at King, goofing no, around. What was it? As soon as, he, as soon as he knew that I grew up in Connecticut, where the wiffle ball was invented, and I found out he was a wiffle ball player, we'd go down there in the basement at eleven forty-five, which was after eleven o'clock news, and would play wiffle ball on. No doubt, no, no lie here, John. Till two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I wasn't married yet. He wasn't married. And then we'd go over to the Denny's on, I can't remember, it was near near Ballard. And we'd have breakfast about three yeah. and then go home. Neither one of us were drinkers or anything. So that was the, but we'd play wiffle ball hours on end. He was a great player. I was pretty good. And it was, it was pretty nasty competition. But we never yelled or argued about it. And we had a blast. Did that for years. Right. Down in the basements. King Five, this down there in, um, they had like a workout room and a couple other, but just big, huge, high ceilings on another wall that you guys used to play against. So he, I'm sure he had all sorts of great pitches, sliders and sinkers and stuff like that. And he said, tell me, Tony would get a hold of that thing and that ball would be coming back at me at like a hundred miles an hour and would whack the back wall and then come off. And he said, if we would look down like, oh my God, it's one thirty, we got to get out of here. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the kid at heart, the kid at heart never left. I mean, whether Dory, the joy of the microphone, the joy of seeing his kids, the competitive nature for him to be the coach of a winning team there uh, for girls basketball. He just had this love for life. 
And the one of the stories I remember he told me once was the fact that the two of you were supposed to go to Berlin because you were going to run in a marathon. Correct. Yeah, the Berlin Marathon in 89. I had trained. I had done four marathons. This would have been my fifth. I was in great shape. And I got hurt. I hurt my ankle. Mm-hmm. on a running in Ballard or something. And then I came back that night and I said, Dora, I don't think I could make the trip. So we canceled the trip. And a week later, we would have been there when the wall <laughs> fell. The Berlin Wall came down. We would have done live shots. We, Who knows? Maybe would have been famous at that point. I doubt it, but you never know. Yeah. And he never forgot that in, in, in a joking way. He always reminded me. I think he told that story on the air yes. 500 times in the last three years. Um <laughs> uh, but I will say one other thing, too. I, you know, He helped me put together stuff like the King Five List, the Wrestling Hole of the Week, uh, Bob and Ralph, that spook, the spook on the team that didn't uh, spoof on the team that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say that we, um, one time, one of the trips I was able to go on as part of a contract, I was able to pick five trips a year, and I picked one, the World Series, 1990. Well, it turns out it was Lou Pinella's Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm in the series that year uh, against the A's, I believe it was. So we're back in Cincy, and we decided to go to Kent Griffey's High School. Uh, and I think it was Moeller High School in Ohio. And we interviewed his baseball coach. And that was Dory's idea. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think our news director thought it was worth the money, but uh, Dory and I did. Yeah. And I got one other one for you. Oh, this was one that uh, one day, you remember the uh, interior, the um, – uh, lobby of King Five, you could look up and see all five levels. Sure. Yeah. Um, he wanted me to go to the top floor and drop a grape down to the basement, down to the uh, lobby, and see if he could catch it in his mouth. Uh-huh. And so I did. It took five grapes, and he finally caught the fifth one. I said, You know, you could choke. He said, no, I don't care. I got to get it. I got to do this. Keep dropping the grapes. So that's the kind of competitor uh, he was. And you know, he was really like a younger brother to me. We had a wonderful relationship. We never, ever once talked politics because, you know, I was on the opposite side of the spectrum of most of his views. Yeah. Uh, but it never bothered me that he entertained the way that he did. He was a master at it. And I always respected that, but um, never got into it. Yeah. On anything to do with politics because it wasn't worth it. And loved his daughters. I was at all three of their, you know, when they were born. I've got still, I got VHS video of every one of those kids, Kelsey Haley and Keegan, as you know, just hours after their birth. I don't even know if they had, know that I have that video, but I still do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful friend. And uh, I will always be supportive hopefully, and, and close to those girls and, and to Suzanne as well. Yeah. And one other quick one, John. We sure. went on a tour, on a cruise once, Caribbean cruise back in 95. And the band, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the the, uh, the Beatles uh, band Rain. Yes, so I think cover band. They, yeah. they were on that cruise. So Dory and I go to the seventh deck. We're shooting baskets one day. It was 95 degrees in the middle of the ocean. And here's the... The, the band shooting hoops. So we played with them, played against them. And he was a vicious competitor, a great competitor yeah. and would never lose a lead until we, until we won. Yeah. That's the way well, I wanted to go have a buffet. And he says, no, we got, we have, we have to win. We got to win this next We got to beat the Beatles. We got to beat the Beatles. Exactly. That was, 
<laughs> that was exactly it. And let's see, when I got a couple other quick ones that I wanted to okay. share with you because we did, we also did a play together. I talked him into doing a Neil Simon play in 94, I think, in uh, Mukilteo called Fools. He did a great job playing a doctor in that thing. Uh, <laughs> what else did we do? Let's see. Well, oh, at one point, a lot of people don't know this. At one point when he was just into radio, he was, he was making a stipend in radio, not much at all, making a decent salary as a producer for my uh, sportscast and our sportscast, uh, about three times more than he was making for radio. But there came a time when he had to make a decision. Our boss back then at King 5 said, you got to make up your mind, radio or TV, what is it? He and I went, I think we took a ride on the uh, Cascade Highway in my 1980 MGB all day long and talked about what he should do. And he chose the road less traveled. He said, I'm ditching the 40,000 a year job and I'm taking the 15,000 a year job Yeah, and I'm going to go into radio. That's why I went in and obviously turned it into a wonderful career. But that is who Dory is and will always be. I know we say was now, but he will always be in my, uh, in my life, He'll always be a friend. He'll always be a guiding light for me. And I will uh, be around his family as long as they'll allow it. Tony Ventrilla, I think they'd appreciate a call from you. Well, and we talked yesterday, Suzanne and I, and I'm going to call again. Keegan, by the way, his youngest daughter is my goddaughter. Yes, I know. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the godfather. I don't know what that means. Do I need some sort of weapon <laughs> to, to, to be a godfather? Uh, you know, the slick back, black hair, I'll do all I can. But I love those kids. I love his wife, and I love Dory. And... Uh, Thank you all, all your listeners for all those years and for all the tributes coming in. And thank you, John, yes. for doing this show today. Thank you, Tony Ventrilla. Promise we give the listeners a chance. You know, Carver Radio stopped taking calls. I don't know many years ago, but used to do one. Bob from Burien, go ahead. So, um, Matt is probably known in this business as a super fan or a P one. This is a person that listens to Dory Ra- Dory Monson and Cairo Radio. Matt, um, do you feel like you've lost a, a, a brother or a relative? What's What's missing in your life right now? Hi, uh, John. Yeah, it's it's a horrible feeling. It's just utter loss. Um, it's like like he was the father I never had. Hmm. Uh, just 
don't tell my dad I actually said that. Okay. okay? So, yes. um, Got it. Um, but it was, I mean, I, he meant a lot to me. He was like my Twitter muse when it first started. I was like, you know, I want, I have this thing for Jory and the Twitter line probably, or the text lines probably filled up. And I realized that Twitter was a great avenue to get to him. And it just became our thing. He loved things I was sending and he could have just easily said, Hey, uh, you're a little obsessed. How about we put a little distance between us? <laughs> and that probably would have been fully understandable, but no, he, he embraced me. We became friends. Um, and I'm going to miss him a lot. And one of the things about him and everyone's talking about this, is like how he cared about the audience. And that's absolutely correct. But he wasn't, it wasn't like he was giving a lecture to a room full of people. I think the reason people think of him as family is because he made it one-on-one. Um, it's literally like he sat down in the room next to you. We were just it's like, and it's just a basic conversation. Um, he, he's imparting life lessons. It was great. Yeah. Uh, one of my stories for, for Dory for me was um, when he did, what are the odds? He ended it at, both times, which I was there for, uh-huh. with a story about Coach Jerry, uh, who was on his staff when he won the the um, championship and won state, but unfortunately passed shortly after that. Very moving story. Great way to end it. Mm-hmm. A couple of years later, went to a Republican talk where he did. He ended with that. And then I went to um, the last KTTH um, Freedom Series and know it but dory showed up and he told that story Mm -hmm. and i messaged him like hey dory great job loved that story even though it was the fourth time i heard it just of of the fact and i mean but i mean like who am i like i'm not going to expect him to to change it for me i mean this is a great story i mean i always get something away from it but it's like i mean maybe there's plenty of people that have not heard it so tell it it's a great story yeah and he literally messaged back goes I'm not joking when I said this, but I think I said this to Nicole. Uh, I hope Matt's not there and ha- hears this again. <laughs> and I was like, so there was that. There's that personal level to it that just that is so relatable because yep. talking about it with other people, it's just yeah, we lost a family member, we lost that friend. Um, I've been around enough people where it's yeah, he's part of he's part of this community he's part of the fabric and he was ours i mean he he was born and raised seattle i mean there's a lot of great voices here but he was ours so um very sad prayer for, to suzanne and the family um but yeah i just miss a lot and there's so many other stories i could go right. and so many things and that, that's the only thing that i'm grateful for is the fact that i'm looking back and mm. uh, I'm smiling and laughing about what I'm, I'm glad I got to experience that. So, well, Dory would appreciate right Dory would appreciate this call very much. Uh, everything except for the fact that he's told the story more than four times. But Matt, um, <laughs> listen, the, 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 if if any lesson of any loss of any la- of any human is that you what you have to take what you've learned from that person and then they live on in you right so whatever lessons you've learned from that man from all the years of listening to him on this radio station or meeting him or tweeting him or whatever way you communicated if there's something you admired about him 
make it part of you, and then pass it on to someone else that you love, okay? Absolutely, and you're doing a great job, John. Thank Thanks you for man. that. Appreciate it. Okay. Right. Uh, many listeners and many letters. I am uh, trying to steal my spine to be able to read a very, very, very special letter from a person that had a relationship. God, I can't even set it up. I'm going to make it through that letter. We'll take a break, come back. Please continue to share your thoughts about Dory. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. All those that are sitting on hold. Wow, you've got some serious patience, but you must have something you want to say. We do want to hear from you. It's a strange day at Cairo. Normally you'd be tuning in at this time. For Dory's big lead and then the fastest 15. And then, of course, they would put together the awesome audio and leave you with a laugh. And then he would introduce my show. Um, and we'll do when we come back a little fun moment. Uh, Dory used to do this thing when he would end his show at 2.53 with boop, boop, whatever that sound was. <laughs> Those of you that know the show and know him, they know the reason for that. But uh, we'll play that. Bizarre cut from, is one from Sweden? Is that what it is? Yeah. That plus a whole lot more. We come right back. with the programming department would it kill you every once in a while to play a little fog hat might have been the only radio show in the country that played fog hat every Friday at uh, 204 and you'd always say for this song in particular that uh, he was a fool and Seattle was his city. I see. There you go. We say goodbye. We say farewell to Dory Monson. Goodbye is too good a word, babe. So we'll just say fairly well. Bob Dylan's lying. Um, wow. Two angry, intolerant conservatives on the line at the exact same time. Get ready for a lot of hate, everybody. Jason Rance and Brian Suits. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Are you sharing the Hello. same room? What are you doing? Are you in the same spot? What is, what's going on with you two? We are not after you. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Good. Um, so I'll go to Rance first. Uh, Jason Rance, uh, you and Dory, whether you realize it or not, were competitors in that um, you would find a story or he would get a story. He wanted to get it on before you got it on there. And, I mean, you guys battled it. Nobody knew that this stuff was happening behind the scenes. 
But he was always, you could feel him nipping at your heels or you nipping at his heels. Either way, the, the listeners were better served because of that competition between the two of you. We were both very well aware of that. In fact, that's how we became so close. Every time I would get a phone call from him, and we would talk about once every couple weeks or so, but when I would get a call, I would know, ah, he's got a story before I got one. Mm -hmm. And that would always annoy me. And we would always talk through, and we would plan how we were going to talk about it. And we would share information. I mean, as much as we were competing uh, in the general sense, we, we shared information all the time. And that was... Uh, do in part because we were covering similar stories, but because we respected one another. And mm -hmm. I respected the hell out of all the work that he had been doing. I mean, this is a guy who, and we've heard it many, many, many times today, he was always working. He was always doing show prep. He was always looking for that next story. And I always appreciated that. I'm built a, similar to him mm -hmm. in that regard. But I always, he always made me better at what I was doing because I always knew that he was going to snap something up if I didn't get it first. And I, I really appreciated the, that sort of motivation that he provided, but also the friendship and guidance. What a lot of people uh, probably don't realize is with, with just a, a handful of conservatives in the building, we, we've got a little bit of a little club going on where we would <laughs> talk to one another about yeah. things that were on our mind. And, and, and he provided a lot of guidance for me over the years, yeah. and I, I'm not going to forget that. Uh, Brian Suits, I, I I love your intellect and your humor and how you weave those two things together. And the thing that I thought, which I think Dory did well, but I always I'm always struck by your your um, beginning point of most of your principles begin with family. Uh, your love for your daughter. And Dory's family was also sort of the beginning point that everything started from what's best for the family. Um, government interference into the family, the destruction of the family, that society fails when the family fails. And I know that is part of sort of your guiding principle as well. What else did you share in common with Dory Monson? Well, when I, when I started at Cairo, I had just gotten back from Bosnia and, you know, single, single guy, no attachments, no kids or anything. And I got the offer to do, to take over the 9 PM to 1 AM show. Um, and, uh, you know, and I had always, I was in music radio for a long time, which is a completely different animal, you know, and you're playing two songs and reading a story about the gorilla that broke into the apartment and turned on the microwave. And then you're going back to Led Zeppelin cashmere and all that. Not, it's not, not real. And, um, the, the boss at the time informed me that my first week on Cairo would be filling in for Dave Ross. And I said, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's kind of a big deal. And, uh, Dory was, uh, he was meeting with his producer and and I said hi. I'm I'm a gigantic fan because number one, you have to be a fan of talk radio to to I think do talk radio. And I, and I and he was having a meeting, and I said, can I just sit here and hear what you guys are talking about and how you talk about it? And he he went way out of his way to to just say, look, listen, just be honest. Don't do anything artificial. Um, if you if you have passion about something, feel free to do it in the first hour and the third hour. Do it the next day. He said, just just bring something new to it. And then secondly, 
uh, you know, know the subject. If you don't know the subject, learn about it and then explain it to the audience. He said, but they will see right through you. And, uh, you know, and he, he's, here's a guy born and raised in Seattle, goes to college three miles away from Ballard, never leaves a town. I mean, the, I don't know. In the markets that I've been in, Seattle is one of the, 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 the only ones that I'm, I'm from Port Angeles, went to Wazoo. This is one where you got, you got to be from the audience knows, you know, they know a phony. You know, if you're seeing, you know, uh, up or whatever, you know, they, they, they see through it a mile away. And he, and that was, that was his thing is, is, is he said, never play a character. Don't, don't do a voice. Don't do any of that. Just, just be completely honest. And then, you know, years go by and I, I, I leave Seattle and then saw him for the first time back in November. Um, and, and I heard Matt, the KTTH listener last hour talking about this, Matt, the P1. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, we, we met him, uh, down there in Renton when we did this freedom series, hadn't talked to Dory for years. And so we start, you know, Hey, great to see you, man. Thanks for coming and doing, doing this and the whole thing. And we go, blah, 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 radio, radio, radio. And then he said, but what brings you back here? And I said, well, you know, family I said, I'm, I'm from here. I said, I'm now a single dad of a 13 year old. I'm the chairman of the committee to raise a normal. And I said, I'm, I'm back here. And the conversation completely changed. Yeah. And you know, and he, 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 he you know, we started talking about his his daughters, my decision, my decision to come back. And I told him, I said, dude, you know, anything you want to pass on to me, you're three and oh, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've got one shot. You're three and oh, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he made his family, his daughters so much a part of the, of the show. And number one, I was a fan, mm-hmm. you know, so just like everybody else listening, you know, I forget what the bumper was at one twenty two. But I started crying in the car, mm. you know, and my daughter's looking at me and she's like, you know, can I take the wheel, mm. you know, and all that. And I'm like, no, Odin, take the wheel. And, and, and she knows why I'm crying. And it's because I'm a fan. Number one, I'm a fan. And the second that we started talking about the importance of family and me moving back here with my daughter, completely different conversation. And we started talking about, you know, college selection, schools, what's being taught in schools and the whole thing. And it was like the years absolutely disappeared. It was like I saw him the day before. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it was, uh, you know, and, and that, that's one of the principles I've always taken with me is, is n- you know, number one, be passionate about the thing that you're talking about or be objective and be a teacher. Fine, but just provide that content. But emotion is, is content. And, and that's what Dory was masterful about. Uh, was talking about the simple act of teaching a daughter how to ride a bike, you know, and, and stuff like that, because everybody out there, you know, no matter who you are, you, you've, you've, you know, the, the vast majority of the audience has that experience of the, the traffic sucks, the potholes suck. You know, I taught my daughter how to ride a buck, bike, whatever, you know, just sound like the, the, the person that's sitting in the car. And, and the other hand, the third thing that, that Dory taught me, uh, and he's absolutely right about this, is, is he said, never, ever complain about work because you're talking to people that are driving to real jobs. You know, you're, you're, your ass is sitting in the studio talking into a mic for three hours and they pay you. And he, and he said, never, ever in this town in Seattle, never, ever tell someone who's driving to Painfield or whatever, um, t- don't tell them what a hard life you have because they're driving to a real job. Right, right. Brian Suits. Thank you for that. And, and I wanted to ask Jason, and both of you can jump in on this, but I'll throw it to Rance. Rance, 
being a, a, a media personality, a pundit, uh, a commentator in this town is hard when you uh, represent. I know the town talks about how much it wants to celebrate diversity, but it doesn't want to celebrate diversity when you have an idea that is counter to their the mainstream ideas. How did you and how did Dory respond to the haters? Was there a difference between your response to them? And did you learn anything from how Dory responded to the people that wanted to silence him? So I, I don't know if I, I learned anything because he's so much better at dealing with the crazies that, than I am. He yeah. was, and, and we used to talk about this a lot, of just the relentless criticisms that aren't based in reality, that are done in bad faith. He never really got upset with the folks who were just going after him and making it personal. He, he was annoyed by it, but he never really got too upset because he understood where they were coming from and the hate that was in their hearts. And he was always someone who, at least with, with me, was able to just push forward. And I always looked at that in, in, in awe because I'm just not that person where I do want to pick fights. I do want to push back. And he, he just he just didn't want to do that. And I yeah. think part of it is because, you know, his, his focus, not just on the content, but his focus on his family and his wife and his daughters. And that would just take away from, you know, his enjoyment of what he did and loved when the microphone uh, was turned off. Yeah. Well, listen, I thank you. And I appreciate your words for, uh, for Dory at this time, Jason Rance, you have to find somebody else to nip at your heels and uh, make you as great as you are, because you've lost one of your nemesis out there when it comes to bringing the story first to the people of Cairo radio or KTTH and Brian suits, get some sleep, give that kid some love. Don't forget you're in charge. You're raising a normal. Okay. Normie. <laughs> Normie. All right. I, I look forward to hearing both of you guys on the radio tomorrow. Thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it. I really You're doing yeah. a great job. And uh-huh. it's, it's hard to do what you're doing right now, but you guys are absolutely nailing it. And nobody nobody like Dory Monson would appreciate the great radio that you guys are doing. You can make me cry because of a bumper. You guys are absolutely coming together, and you're, you're doing a day of – Great radio that Dory deserves. Thank you. Well, we're trying. We're trying. Thanks, Brian Suits. Appreciate it. Uh, Nathan, my God, you must love Dory because you've been on hold for I don't know how long. But you are a longtime listener and probably a first-time caller unless you were calling back But when Cover Radio used to take calls. Hey, so let me ask. Uh, I was calling back during yeah. those days, John. Yeah, you were. You were. Um God, what are you going to do tomorrow morning at, or tomorrow afternoon at noon? Well, it's, it's going to be a change. You know, it's, I was uh, thinking that this morning when Dave Niehaus died, Dory came on and told a story, and, and Dory cried, and he shared how he felt with the uh, listeners. So there's no uh, no shame in anyone on air uh, wearing their emotions on their sleeve today. I started listening to Dory back in 1991 when he was over there at uh, King. And I can share my favorite story with you in a moment, but uh, Dory, you know, it was clear he loved radio as a medium. He studied it, listened to Larry King's nighttime uh, mutual radio show for all those years. And uh, everyone's talked about how industrious he was, you know, on uh, five out, uh, five days uh, a week uh, doing the morning drive uh, sports, uh, uh, going over to uh, 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 TV, uh, which uh, Ventrella talked about. And then on uh, weekends, he'd 
do a, a couple of shows on uh, a Saturday. Then on a Sunday, uh, mm-hmm. weekend sports shows, even did a, sh- a show on uh, Sunday morning at 6 a.m. with a priest, rabbi, and a minister called God Talk. <laughs> yes. Which, uh, it, was a, it, it was an interesting show. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he did so many other things, uh, you know, in the late 90s. He was uh, doing the uh, in-game uh, sports updates, you know, promoting the show, but also uh, doing the in-game uh, updates uh, there on the Diamond Vision screen at the uh, Kingdom and uh, Safeco Field uh, during the Man- uh, Mariners games. My favorite story of his, and I like this one even more than the story when he was a youngster speaking Icelandic to a friend of his mother's, which I'm hoping someone will share uh, mm-hmm. later on uh, today because uh, that was a great one. But it, it took place back at the uh, Kingdom. Dory was about 17 years old after the Mariners game. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he was uh, working out of the station in Everett at the time, or he also did a nightly uh, syndicated spot uh, uh, doing a uh, Kingdom report on all the events of the Kingdom, uh, aired on small stations in Hoquiam, Menachee, and whatnot. But uh, the Red Sox were in town, and they lost a close game to the Mariners. Dory's in the clubhouse, and he goes up to interview Jim Rice, now, Jim Rice is a big guy, future Hall of Famer, and Dora here he is, 17, 18 years old, and asks him something to the effect of, well, how do you feel after losing a close game like this tonight? And Jim Rice just goes off. How do you think I feel? What kind of question is that? Yelling, cursing, calling him every name in the book. Uh, needless to say, uh, Dory learned from that experience, and uh, it certainly uh, made him a uh, better interviewer and a uh, broadcaster. He's there is a story about when he was interviewing Adam, George the Animal Steel. I, I do. I do. Yeah, that, that that's the guy that apparently didn't speak at all. It was like right, and you know he was just he would just grunt about stuff. And Dory is interviewing him live, and he's doing the whole animal growling stuff. And then they Dory throws it back to the studio, and then George Animal Steel goes, "I hope that was okay. Did I did I did I do a good job growling?" And it was so hot, this sort of surreal moment of when George Animal Steel was more concerned about did I growl enough for you? Um, the show must go on. Um, listen, you uh, and the reason Dory was as completely and utterly dedicated to this uh, medium was because of people like you. Nate. Well, no one knew uh, local media better than uh, better than Dory Monson. Uh, no one uh, in local media knew Seattle uh, better than him, and that was clear uh, over all those years. Yep. Thank you, Nate. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. That's the hardest part of this: the job is that if you're going to be the watchdog, right, for media and the watchdog for government, you better have a very, very, very good memory. And you better be able to say, I remember in 87. I remember in 94. I remember when they said this. I remember when they said that. I remember when they didn't or did deliver. I remember what the budgets were. And that's why Dory was able to do what he was able to do. Because it was legitimate. It was heartfelt. It was impassioned. It was informed. It was entertaining. It was humorous. And he never left you without hope. You always had hope. That things would be better.
explain yourself on this one. Uh, every Friday, 2.30. Uh-huh. This is the song that we always play. Um, and it's really, it's just a song that Dory really liked. It was uh-huh. a reg- Sean picked it out as a regular bumper way back when. And Dory liked it so much that he made it a regular staple. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how many years ago that was, but it's been here for a long time. You and Sean have a very unique relationship with Dory in that you sit behind a piece of glass, bring him in, bring him out of the show, occasionally get involved. Um, you never know when he's going to come to you. Uh, we had that bizarre moment. Uh, we'll play it. I'm going to plan it again. This is, um, was it, uh, is it the strangest? Oh, most awkward moment. This is, this is Sean. You ever heard this one, Andrew? I might have. We'll see. Okay, this is Sean. And Nicole and Dory. There's an awkward moment here. Hey, you know that Swedish politician who wants people to have paid hour off to go home and have sex? A bunch of listeners have pointed out there's no way you can get home and back here in the Seattle area in an hour. So it just wouldn't work around here. Traffic's too bad. You have to do it in the car, probably. I only live a block away. All right. That was awkward. (laughs) Everyone knows where they're going. (laughs) Wow. That might have been the most awkward moment in the show's history right there. (laughs) We also have a family bathroom downstairs. (laughs) All right. So so if you're close to East Lake... In the South Lake Union neighborhood, uh, just get older. Stop, stop. (laughs) Sorry, it was just too easy. (laughs) Man, oh man. All right, with that as mere prelude. Oh, Sean was the worst. (laughs) That stuff. But uh, I'm going to give you a chance to gather your thoughts. Because at some point I do want to talk to you, Andrew, because um, I saw you in the hallway. We're walking back there to get a cup of coffee. And you're like, this is weird. This is weird. You know, I can think of people that um, in my life that I'm always amazed by. It's like, God, I can't believe that person's getting in touch with me. Todd Lightwicky is one of them. I met Todd Lightwicky a long time ago, uh, president of the Seahawks, and then went off to the, the Tampa Lightning and then came back. He was the number two guy under Roger Goodell, and now he's over there at um, with the Kraken. But he's the real deal. You could call up Todd Lightwicky, write you back in two minutes, three minutes. Like, God, Todd Lightwicky talking to me? That, and he's, what do you need? You know, whatever it is. There's just real legitimate, genuine people. There's a lot of them out there, but there's a lot of phonies as well. And you can tell, by the way, somebody that has the power of a microphone or a camera of how they treat somebody that is, you know, just probably one of the least powerful people out there. And there has to be no one less powerful than a a little kid on the phone. With Dory Monson back in 1990. And not just any little kid, but a little kid who stutters. So this kid calls in back in 1990. He's nine years old. His name is Casey. He's going to answer a trivia question. And although this call only takes two minutes, the effect of this call has lasted a lifetime. Okay, uh, well, should we take another call here, Moz, before the break? Okay, let's see. Holy smoke, Casey's been waiting forever. Uh, let's give him the numbers first. 441, oh, C- no, there is a Seattle line available. 441-KING-441-5464. Casey, thanks for your patience. Welcome to Talk Radio King 1090. Hello. How you doing tonight? 
Well, good. How about you? No complaints, Casey. Good. Where are you calling from? Uh, North Seattle. All right. Welcome to the show. Yeah, uh, I have the answer to uh, that question at the... Get out of here. You know the answer to that? Yeah. All right. You're not old enough to know, Casey. Who told you? What? What's the answer, Case? Craig Reynolds. Is Craig Reynolds. Craig Reynolds? Is that right? That, that, that's as good a guess. Yeah, I, 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 I would, I would uh, trust Casey's judgment on this. Are you sure of that, Casey? I'm sure. This is crucial. How do you know the answer to that? You just know it? You're just... My dad told me. Oh. Right. Well, you know what, Casey? You get a prize. We're going to give you a prize. This is the first prize we've ever given out on this show. We have a, a Mariners autographed baseball from last season. And since you got the answer to that trivia question, we'd like you to have it. It's got, Plus a tape of this show, I think he should have, too. No, no, Casey, we wouldn't do that to him. Casey, uh, do you want the Mariners autographed baseball? It's, it's the original autograph. It's got Ken Griffey Jr. on it. Might be worth like 20 bucks in a few years. Right? Yeah. Okay, tell you what, Casey, let's see. Uh, we're going to put you on hold, and Astara, if you could get Casey's name and address, we'll get you an autographed baseball of the Mariners, Case. How about that? Right. All right, we're going to put you on hold. Astara, that's Casey on line three. Now, we've had this baseball sitting here since last season. We've been, we've been trying to give it out, and our producer, Mazvita, just just pointed out that we should give it to Casey. That's perfect. And they, Craig Reynolds is probably the best shortstop the Mariners have ever had. That's true. Okay, let's uh, let's get another call in. I'm, I'm pumped that Casey got us that information now. I'm, I'm ready to roll now. Did the ball ever make it, Casey? It did, and I still have it at my parents' house. And you are how old now? 42. So you talked to him for two minutes, and then you never talked to him again? No, that's the thing, is is Dory was above and beyond for years. He followed up with me after that. Man, it's hard not to tear up. Why, why did he follow up with you? That's just who he is. You know, he didn't need to be as kind as he was. He could have taken 15 seconds with a kid and said, all right, here's your 15 seconds on the radio. Right. I got serious sports to talk about. Right. But he was, if you listen to that clip, a lot of people have said, oh, that's cool. You were such a great kid on that clip. That clip, if you listen to it, it's his enthusiasm. It's his mm-hmm. sincerity. He's so genuine. That's what makes that clip great. Mm-hmm. And that's who Dory was. Dory, for the next 30 years, stayed in touch with me. And at different points in middle school and high school, he'd send me a note and say, how you doing? You know, and, you know, and, and that's just who he was. He didn't have to do that, but that, that's exactly who Dory was because he was authentic. He was, he was so genuine. He really cared about people. And earlier you were talking about how do you separate, you know, or how do you talk to people who see Dory only as a political commentator? Mm-hmm. But if, if you really got to know him, you, you had those genuine moments that he was, had so much more depth than, than politics. And I wish more people were able to see that like we were. Yeah. That is so odd that you call up randomly. Your dad gives you the answer. I guess he was so touched by the fact that you were nine years old and you're listening to radio. He felt an affinity to it because you said really no more than maybe 15 words at the most. Right. Right. Yeah. But then so he gets your phone number, or he gets your address and they mail you the ball and the ball they've been trying to give away for yeah. a year. <laughs> it's got an autograph on. It's probably right. worth more than twenty five dollars at yeah. this point. But then along the way, every once in a while, and this is before it was so easy to just text somebody. Right. You'd have to write a letter, put yes. a stamp on an envelope and mail it to the person. And I, just like the baseball, I still have those letters. I really do. 
Yeah. You know, it, it, and my parents, and part of like you were saying earlier, when I was a kid, every sentence I would stutter and I was terrified to make that phone call mm. and some about the warmth of Dory on the radio. I thought maybe I can do this, you know, and it was still, I remember, I remember where I was at my parents' house mm. and my heart was racing and I thought, am I going to get stuck on the air? You know, and sometimes I still do, but it was, he, that enthusiasm and that kindness, I really felt that in that call and it, and it maintained for decades that he made me believe like, Hey, I can do this. It's all right. And when you don't have the context of, of those scary moments, Mm -hmm. you don't have the confidence that I had after that because of Dory. He helped me realize that you're okay exactly the way you are. And that was the kindness that he showed that day. And, and he did truly for decades. He didn't talk about those kinds of things very much. No, he didn't. But he sure he sure acted it, you know. And, and he he showed those things. He didn't he didn't talk about it a lot. But if you knew him, and, and if you if you got to really know him, you saw those moments and you felt those moments in his circle a lot. Yeah. You know? And and I'm not sure that I was in his inner circle, but I certainly would count him as a friend. I just, you know I was talking to him earlier this month, and you know we saw him this summer, and and it um, he he. He didn't talk about it a lot, but you could sure feel it. Yeah. You, could, you could sure feel that, that love he had for people. How have you taken that and given that to others? You're a father now, and right after the birth of your, your son, I assume, was your first, was your boy. It was, yeah. And you heard from Dory almost immediately. Yeah, it was, um, you know, in the first couple hours, the whirlwind, you know, when you yeah. become a new parent, and, you, and there's so much, you can't believe it's happening. Yeah. One of the first people I heard from was Dory, and he sent me a note, and he said, you're going to have the most fun. He said, being a parent is the best gift you'll ever get. And to get to do it with, with your wife and, and made me think of Suzanne and his daughters and how much, you know, what, what that him reaching out and saying that made me think two things. Here's a guy who's extending that same kindness that he did to a nine-year-old kid mm. who he'd never met. And he still had that. And he still had that follow through, the same preparation that made his shows great and made his work ethic what it was. He was doing that with kindness and who... It, it was his genuine self. And it also made me think of his daughters and Suzanne and that, that was, that was his foundation. That's what he, what he, what he was, was also saying, I think indirectly is those moments for him were the most enjoyable of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. His kids, I mean, they were each one very, very unique and he loved them all, but uh, he loved each one of them specifically for who they were as individuals. Just one yeah. thing, this kind of umbrella thing. It is. It's so odd how lives come together, right? You you're on hold. My God, you're on Casey's. He's been on hold for a long time, and then a nine year old kid makes an impression within two minutes, and then that's with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And now here you are at two forty one on a, on on a very sad day here yeah. to share this story. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for me be a part of it. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm going to play it again now that people know exactly who you are. And what Dory had given you. Okay, uh, well, should we take another call here, Moz, before the break? Okay, let's see. Holy smoke, Casey's been waiting forever. Uh, let's give the numbers first. 441, oh, all the, no, there is a Seattle line available. 441-KING-441-5464. Casey, thanks for your patience. Welcome to Talk Radio King 1090. Hello. How you doing tonight? So good, how about you? No complaints, Casey. Good. Where are you calling from? Uh, North Seattle. All right, welcome to the show. Yeah, uh, I have the answer to uh, that question that the... Get out of here. You know the answer to that? Yeah. All right. You're not old enough to know, Casey. Who told you? 
What, what's the answer, Case? Craig Reynolds. It's Craig Reynolds. Craig Reynolds? Is that right? That, that, that's as good a guess. Yeah, I, 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 I would, I would uh, trust Casey's judgment on this. Are you sure of that, Casey? I'm uh, sure. This is crucial. How do you know the answer to that? You just know it? You just... My dad told me. Oh. Uh, well, you know what, Casey? You get a prize. We're going to give you a prize. This is the first prize we've ever given out on this show. We have a Mariners autographed baseball from last season, and since you got the answer to that trivia question, we'd like you to have it. It's got plus a tape of this show. I think you should have to. No, no, Casey, we wouldn't do that to him. Casey, do you want the Mariners autographed baseball? It's it's the original autograph. It's got Ken Griffey Jr. on it. Might be worth like twenty bucks in a few years. Yeah. Okay, tell you what, Casey, let's see. Uh, we're going to put you on hold, and Astara, if you could get Casey's name and address, we'll get you an autographed baseball of the Mariners, Case. How about that? Thanks. All right, we're going to put you on hold. Astara, that's Casey on line three. Now, we've had this baseball sitting here since last season. We've been, we've been trying to give it out, and our producer, Mazvita, just, just pointed out that we should give it to Casey. That's perfect. It would be the uh, last few remaining minutes of the Dory Monson Show if this was a regular day, but it is not a regular day. It is a day of, um, well, profound sadness and transition here at Cairo Radio because we will all face this where people sit around and talk about you after you are gone. Dory passed away um, 8 o'clock on Saturday night. What a way to go out, the last day of the year. And now we have spent, since 9 o'clock this morning, saying goodbye to him. Uh, people are calling, they're texting, they're writing, and we're having guests come on and off. And uh, Nicole Thompson, who has been up for, Dory's producer, who's been up for, I think, probably 42 hours straight since she heard that Dory had passed. Um, she's at home. She didn't want to come in. She goes, I don't want to just sit in there and cry all day. So she's at home crying and writing and finding cuts, and she's... She said to me this morning at 7 a.m., God, the most frustrating thing, she says through the tears, is that I know I won't get it all there. I won't find it all. She just texts, you got to play this one. When I was a little boy, I would send uh, pizzas and taxi cabs to the, the guy who we were always feuding with and fighting with, and he was drinking every day. And the guy still lived in the house until just a few months ago. And uh, imagine my shock when I saw our my my boyhood neighbor's Dick. His, that's his name. Wait, wait a second. My boyhood neighbor, Dick's house. Wow. Dick is his name. Whoa. Dick is his name. Yes. That's a drop. <laughs> no, no. It should be a dump if he had any healthy appreciation for the show. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's my blood pressure cough? Oh, look. Anyway. The, uh, 
As as Nicole pointed out, she said, Look, there's so much. I wish they had given me more time because she says, I know the show will end and it will be the last time I have to make people think or make people cry or whatever. So she's at home. <sighs> Finding all this silly stuff like how Dory pronounces sorry. Just because I say sorry, which is the correct way to say it, by the way. But other than that, I enunciate and I, I pronounce words correctly. Don't you? Haven't you found that to be true over the years? Uh, yeah, most I think so. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot of um, con- you know words that we have these conversations about. I guess other so, than what is it the Biden says right exponentially. Oh, exponentially. That's right. That's right. Yes. And then, so there's uh, not a lot of controversial words like that. Right. And then Trump was huge. Everything yes. was huge. Yeah. Uh, and yours is sorry. Which is correct. Sorry. Sorry. Which is correct if you live in Minnesota or uh, Canada. <laughs> you know, we talk about the fact that Dory would always have an opinion about something, whatever it was. And then if you had a counter opinion and if you were an elected official... He would always say, get them on. Nicole, have you called them? Nicole would say, have you called? They're not returning the call. Or they've called, they have declined. Or they're not going to come on or whatever. So Dory was always amazed. Not amazed, but he was always pleasantly surprised when somebody who had a counter-political opinion would agree to come on the air. There was a time uh, the governor used to come on, but then he stopped coming on. Um, and he was always, anytime the phone is there, the mic is there, it's all yours. Tell me where I'm wrong. Help me better understand. Those weren't just words. So there was this time, there was, it was last couple of months ago, um, we get a call, Dory gets a call from Tina, how do you say her name, Pawlodowski? Pawlodowski, yeah. Yeah, who's head of the Democratic Party. She's the chair. So they had come up with this idea that they wanted you to please, whatever you do, don't do the write-in candidate. Don't do the write-in candidate. And as Dory pointed out, it seemed kind of fishy, like maybe the Democratic Party was telling you not to do the write-in candidate so that you would do the write-in candidate so that their candidate would win. So then Dory has her on the phone and starting to ask her these questions. Watch this. Well, we have you on the line. I've got to get back on the road, Dory. I'm so sorry. He lies completely about his credentials and his background. Does your party still support Clyde Shavers? You know, I think that Clyde has cleared up where there has been misrepresentations for it. What I don't think we have is somebody. What I don't think. What I don't think we have, though, is somebody who is honest and Brad Clippert in Secretary of State lying about election results. And that's why it's so important for folks to be able to do this work and make certain. Oh, Oh, sorry. What was misrepresented about Clyde Shavers? Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Tell me what was misrepresented about Clyde Shavers. Hello? 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 Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Tina? (laughs) So, Tori felt like maybe that was... uh, 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 Hello? That they could hear him perfectly fine. They just didn't want to continue to engage. So, and I think he said that it had happened a couple of times with some other people as well. We don't ever know, but it was just part of the uh, 
the back and forth when Dory would open the mic or at least give other people an opportunity to express them their opinions and but better be ready, better be well armed is a as um, Sheriff John Urquhart pointed out, that if you did agree to come on Dory's show, realize he had done a ton of research. He was ready. And he was going to ask you to be accountable to the things, the actions you take, the things that you say, because ultimately, if you are a public servant, you are serving the public because they are paying you. And you better be doing your job or he is going to point that out quickly. I might just be strong enough after all When I hear your footsteps echoing in the hall Baby, here we stand again Where we've been so many times before Even though you look so sure as I was watching you favorites all right i at some point i'm gonna andrew's gonna get a chance to crack up with the microphone are you gonna be able to talk oh yeah i'll be able to talk okay we're saying goodbye to a friend you know it's so weird because it's like you know sometimes people have been on the radio or tv they retire right and then you know all of a sudden it's like like for instance barbara walter she died over the weekend and then you look back at her lustrous career, but she hadn't been on in like, I don't know, seven, eight, ten years or something. She'd done The View. So then they're kind of playing over, oh, then this scene, and then this, and then might, might remember this. Well, hell, Dory was just on this microphone like a week ago. Brandy Cruz sat in while he was on vacation. But he was raring and ready to go and sending Nicole stuff and calling me and could do this story and that and this and that. And then this call that comes in on Thursday to us that... uh he had a heart attack, and then the call I got just before midnight. It's about to go to bed on New Year's Eve, and uh, as his calls up and uh, tells me he's gone. You know, if you're fortunate, you don't get a whole lot of those. They're gone calls, but it's it is one of these moments where all of a sudden everything stops. Everything. And the only thing I could hear on that end of that phone was a woman trying to hold everything in place. Just through the will of her voice to stop time just for a moment so she could take one more breath without crying. And then breathe that breath into words and try to make order to her life. A life that'll never be the same.
husband. To the sound of fireworks off the distance. As life went on for others that celebrate the beginning of a new year. I sat on the edge of the bed and listened. They were distant, some were stronger, but they were all in celebration of an end of a year and a beginning of a new one. And then I kind of, after Suzanne had hung up the phone, I sat and my wife and we talked about how life is so fragile. It is a small silver thread that holds us here, that connects all of us through a series of experiences and feelings, some good, some bad. There was John Milton Singh, the Irish poet, said that we were all but bubbles on the ocean. You think of time and how long things last and how short life is. And if someone passes, the greatest gift that they can give you is that reminder, that clarion call that this too is brief. This too is brief. And live. Live. Because you don't get a second shot. It's words should not be wasted. Action should not be meaningless. Gesture shouldn't be empty. Because you only have this one chance. And you know, Damn to those who spoke ill of him. You robbed yourself of a friend. You cheated yourself of a smaller. You cheated yourself of a bigger heart. Your loss to the haters. You missed it. You were too busy. Too concerned with stopping him. Because you didn't agree with him. But you never bothered to really want to communicate. You know, I I think that when Dory was suspended, and I would call him in the morning and I would call him in the evening twice a day to see how he was doing. I sensed the hardest thing for him was that he was wrong. Not about what he said, but wrong that he had misjudged someone's character. You see, Dory always thought of himself as a great judge of character. And not necessarily in a boastful way, but just simply as a guy that grew up on the mean streets of Ballard, whose father left him when he was a little kid. So he had to kind of fend for himself and understand who was 
really had his best interest in mind and who cared about him. And that's what you sort of do when you're a kid and you don't have a father figure. So he honed that skill. And I think when I would call him when he was off the air indefinitely, as they said in the paper, he was really shocked that he had misjudged the people that he thought were going to be there to defend him and protect him and care for him because he had given everything he possibly could for 20-some years. He was stunned, really stunned and hurt deeply that they would cave to a small group of people that hated him, not for who he was or what was in his heart, but for what he represented. And when you hate or you love only for the thing that somebody represents, but not for the humanity of the individual, you miss the opportunity to really learn and grow and have a real relationship that means something. Where words are not empty and gestures are not meaningless. And you hear the real voice of a real person. And the fireworks in the distance have a place. So, well, it's going to be a crappy intro for, a, <laughs> for Mr. Rose. I'm sorry. Um, sorry about that. I was going to bring you on and be all happy and nice music. I blame that on Andrew. Oh, John, I mean, you know, our hearts are broken here at Fox 13. My heart is broken. I cannot wrap my head around the fact that Dory is gone. And I'm so grateful to you and everybody at Cairo Radio for doing this tribute to him today. I last spoke with him the Thursday before his final show, before the holidays. We were trying to work out something. He was so generous with his time. He was going to have me on to talk about a story I was breaking. I just... He just cared about the community. And if it was something that impacted the safety of people, he just, you know, it didn't matter that it was our story or, or you know, a competitor's story. He wanted to highlight that. Yeah. He was a giant in media and just, and just an advocate for the small business owners and for the people who have been wronged, fought for them so hard. Um, and I tried to stand by his side every step of the way. And, and I told him the last year, I thought he'd done the best radio I'd ever heard huh. him do. He was on fire. I mean, so full of passion. And that's why I don't, I just can't understand, you know, how we're going to move forward from this. I mean, it's such a huge hole in everybody's lives yeah. today. Yeah, there, there is. I don't know whether just he came at the right time. He's on the radio at the right time. And the changes were so huge in this city, so sudden um, that then he filled that void, especially also with the with the predominance of social media where the the fast and the thoughtless or the hackneyed and the empty of tweets. Somebody fills in with void of, and, and, and includes facts um, and battles feelings with facts, but there's no one else out there. I mean, somebody might come up through something, but as it is now, um, there will be a gigantic sucking sound as Ross Perot used to say, and that's going to be nobody holding anybody accountable. Yeah, Dory, Dory was fearless. And I know for a fact that people in power, 
they listened and they were worried about what Dory might be doing because they knew he would dig into an issue. But I, he was also fair. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I always noticed that if people came on that he had a difference of opinion with, he would be very respectful in the interviews with him. Yeah. Um, and really give them, you know, challenge them to give them, give them their time. Now, if they would just shut him out, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dory was Dory, right? But uh, what a legend, what an incredible talent. Um, spoke from the heart, and you could hear that on the radio every day. And, I, you know, I'd sit in my car and listen to him and Nicole. Uh-huh. And I do this with you and Sherry also, but I, with him and Nicole. And I would I would be sitting in our garage here. I was supposed to be coming in for an editorial meeting, and I would just be, you know, laughing at something because she really brought out that lighter side. Oh, yeah, yeah. And really, you know, I just he could laugh at himself, which I also love. He's so human. Yeah. Um, and I would sit in the car and listen to him, you know, for until, you know, until I had to come in, until yeah. the break. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, those are always driveway moments. Ron and Don just talk about driveway moments all the time. Um, I have a letter from Don. I'll read it in just a little bit. But uh, David Rose, the Dory's gone, but uh, hopefully you take some of your memories and some of your lessons with you um, from him. Dory was a mentor for me. And... I think in some of the work you see me do, especially on the spotlight, you can see his influence, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, challenging the way things are not standing for, you know, letting criminals get away with it. And and a lot of that comes from that's where he that's what he believed. And he grew up here and he he knows it could be better and knew it could be better. And I'm going to take that torch and carry it forward in his name. And I'll tell you this. I called my heart doctor today, and I made an appointment to go. <laughs> doctors want me to get this scan. Yeah. I did it. I called today. and It's just you know, kind of a non-invasive scan after yep. my last physical. I called today. Good. And I also got back in the gym today. Very you know, wow. I mean, I mean, anything else we can take away, it's like we got to live every day. That's right. With the passion Dory had. Right? Good. There you go. Good. Well, best of luck with the scan. They check the heart, then they did that thing going up your neck there, your carotid artery, to well, make sure there's no blockage yeah. in there. So let us know, David care. Rose. T- uh, tell you got it, tell Nicole. Thank you, Dory. I mean, thank you, David Rose. You got it, buddy. All you right. did a great job. Thank, thank you, you so Bye-bye. Much. I got a bunch of lists from uh, Nicole that sent me interviews of people that uh, Dory really enjoyed talking to. Here's um, This is Olivia Newton-John. Um and Dory, they had a chance to talk. I don't know how long ago this was. I have to ask this. Uh, as I said, I've been happily married for 29 years. But if you and I had met 35 years ago, based on the conversation we've had, do you think I would have had a chance with you? <laughs> um, gosh, 35 years ago, where was I? I don't even know what I was doing 35 years ago. I was probably married. Myself, they're probably okay, not. Okay, if we had met 40 <laughs> years ago then. Come on. I, I need this, Olivia. Well, of course. Of course you would have had a chance. I would have had a chance with you. I've been waiting 40 years to hear that from you, Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Donald Trump? He had bad things to say about both you and Hillary. You following that story at all? Well, I have uh, followed it, and I think it's... Uh, I think it's personally not a good thing. I think it's I think it's a terrible thing. And uh, you know, he'll uh, maybe he should find a country that works better for him. Let him try. It won't happen. Wow. Oh, that was with Kaepernick. Yeah. And then finally, Eddie Money. Dory loved getting certain uh, musicians on the phone. He really loved it. Eddie Money um, had. Oh, this is funny. I remember Eddie, this. Eddie, you're part of the soundtrack of my life, and I loved having you on with me this afternoon. 
At Dory Monson's show, I want to say hi to Bridget, to Marianne, to Pizza Face. He doesn't have the world's greatest complexion, but he plays a lot like Jimi Hendrix. And I tell you, <laughs> Seattle, Tacoma, it's the greatest place in the world to live up there. The air is nice and clean. You get a lot of rain, and the people are the greatest. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, come, come by the studio and visit with me in person next time you're in town, okay? You know me. My wife loves salmon. I'll get up there, and we'll have a lot of fun. Any money. Yeah, he, Dory would talk to anybody that we'd, somebody would be on and like, oh, I like that guy. And Nicole's like, really? Yeah, yeah, get him on the phone. Yeah, they had different people get on all the time. It's like just as some of these musicians that you didn't think much of, or at least Dory remembered them from the 60s or 70s or 80s or whatever. And man, they were, um, he was genuinely excited by having them on. And then um, they would also be so flattered with the fact that Dory had done some, so much research that they felt that they weren't just sort of passing through, but they really were guests, guests on the air. And um, uh, that was, he hoped everybody felt that exact same way, no matter who they were. From the nine-year-old boy that we had on just a little while, who's now a 43-year-old man who still has the baseball that Dory Monson gave him when he won a trivia contest some 40-some years ago. It really is remarkable. And you think about, especially... You know, how one person's life can affect someone else's life. And we're all tied into this together. And uh, the radio station here at Cairo tied people in from 3 o'clock or from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock Monday through Friday. And Dory Monson taking few days off because of this sense of incredible dedication that he had for you. And I, I remember when I used to listen to him occasionally, he would. And I mean, he always ended the show with, you know, that he I love you. And I thought to myself one time, really, like, what does that mean? What kind of love is that? But I think what it was, it I think he saw you, the listener. I'm guessing, I'm just kind of guessing on this one. I think he saw you as someone whose voice needed to be heard and then echoed, and your concerns weren't represented. And he heard from you daily through text messages and phone calls and any other way that you were able to communicate with him, and that he wanted to make sure that yes, someone heard you, that somebody saw your concerns when they locked down and destroyed the the families and destroyed uh, children's lives and they destroyed students and they destroyed the the businesses. Um, Dory was your voice and he would have these guys on that refused to close down their bar or refused to close down their barbershop or, you know, did whatever they could to make sure that people knew that they were still out there when everybody else in the media was banging the drum and carrying the flag of lockdowns. It was Dory that was saying, you know, there are people here that are really being hurt. There are people here whose lives are being devastated. I remember hearing the story, he and Brock, I think Brock was um, going to see a, a, a family whose son had committed suicide. And I remember listening to Brock and Dory on the phone and neither one of them were able to speak. This was about a year ago. Um, because Brock was coming back from traveling over into eastern Washington after visiting a family who was dealing with a devastating heartbreak of finding their son who had killed himself, who was going to be a baseball or basketball star, I forget what it was. And uh, it was that it was that rawness, that ability to not hold anything back and show his heart on the radio that, that made Dory so unbelievably compelling. Um 
And we do have to find those cuts when Dory used to have the old World War II guy on. He'd love that guy. And Nicole would say, well, who do you want to have on? Well, let's get let's get that guy on. Let's get that. I, I can't remember his name. And Dory remember his name. Remember that guy? And Dory just loved him. He loved him. I don't even know if he's still alive, but man, he was so taken with that man. I think what he represented Oh, my. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. If you're just joining us, well, Dory Monson right now would be home. It took him about 20 minutes to get home. He would get a snack. He would kiss his wife. He would relax for about a half hour more. And then you know what he'd start doing? Working on the next show, the big show. Of lust, greed, and glory. Rip off the mask and let's see. But that's not right. Oh no, what's the story? Look, there's you and there's me. Andrew is going through the file of all Dory's favorite songs. But we're picking all the sad ones because we've already done Fog Hat. Done Fog Hat. Yeah. Uh, we've done plenty of Super Champ. We're going to have some more of that. <laughs> um, maybe some more Eddie Money. Yes. Uh, yeah. I got a few more. Rod, okay. Rod Stewart, maybe. Oh, yeah, Rod Stewart. Barry Manilow. Yep. You got anything from Ed Troyer? I don't see anything in my system here for Ed Troyer. <laughs> Ed Troyer's never had a number one hit song. Ooh. No. But you're here because... Um, you know, Dory Monson was your buddy. Yeah, he was. You know, it was interesting how we met, um, obviously, through some adversity like you do with the reporters. But the thing about him was that when we started talking, we had the same love for horse racing, uh-huh. Vegas, uh, live bands, the Seattle scene music, and kind of the music style we're listening to tonight. I've been, uh, you know, some of those artists I've met over the years, and I'm glad that there's still people that like those artists. And we, so we had this other connection. So it was really fun when we got together on major news stories. We would just talk about the topic for five seconds, then talk about all that, then go right into the interview. We never had to have pre questions. I trusted him, mm-hmm. and he knew I wasn't going to embarrass him or anybody. And so we just worked really well together over the years. And he's always been such a big supporter of law enforcement. I can't tell you the amount of texts and, uh, direct messages and everything I've got from cops and from all over the state and police chiefs and sheriffs who are just saddened by this. Yeah. You know what's, I think, remarkable about Dory and then also will be a real problem uh, for media is the fact there's nobody behind him. There was nobody. He didn't have a sort of a protege following behind to be the voice, the watchdog uh, to make 
the government accountable for the people. He was a veil of protection for a lot of people. He was the person that they could go listen to and had a voice of reason. And he was out there and he defended uh, the meek. And he also defended law enforcement and he was a justice guy. But you know what? If you were in law enforcement or you were in that field and you messed up, he held you accountable. I mean, I had a little incident myself, as some of yeah. us already know. Mm-hmm. And he stood by me and the whole entire time. And sometimes, you know, and here we go again. We had something in common in that we had the same nemesis, the Seattle Times and the AG and the governor when he tried to make a thought. But the whole thing was that we kind of all... Uh, I bonded with him on that, and he really helped me through the last year and a half and talked about things sometimes when I would just get a a brutal beating. Mm -hmm. He'd be there, and we'd talk, and uh, away from all this, you know, away from even being on the air. And um, friends, his his wife sent my family a nice card, Uh, just things that people don't hear about. Like I've been listening today about the nine-year-old kid and somebody in relationships that last 10 years. I mean, that's how we were. And he knew I wasn't going to lie to him about what was going on. And if there was something going on, he calls out on it, holds accountable. Mm-hmm. And when he saw something bad, he's usually right. Yeah. I, I know that he had a real problem with bullies. And I think he saw particular people in, in elected office as bullying people, right? Or having no regard um, for who they are because, and they could be dismissed because they were politically powerless or they couldn't hurt somebody. Uh, and he didn't like to see people in power positions of power that would use that power in order to step on somebody over someone to lift themselves up to that next position of power. Well, that's exactly it. And in this state, we see that happening right now at the upper levels of our government. It's really scary. And you're right. Who's going to stand up next? I mean, I think we have some people as and listen to Jason and Brian earlier, and we have, um, you know, Brandy, obviously, Brandy Cruz, and yeah. we have you. Well, and I mean, you're I'm, you're a little bit more comedic based, which is good after listening to three <laughs> well, listen, out, three hours of him. I'm not, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're 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 you know, um, and I, and I do want to say, and some people said Curly's doing a great job today. I don't know how you've been able to do this all day long. So, uh, kudos to you for doing this. It would be really really hard listening yeah. to some of those stories and moving on because he was a great guy and. We ran into places and we had contact way away from all this and uh, just makes me sad. Yeah. Do you remember, uh, so you did you find out Saturday or Sunday? I found out Sunday. Okay. Um, his agent is a good friend of mine mm-hmm. and I think he might be a lot of other people's agents. I yep. won't say his name, but he's really he was at my swearing in and... He's really helped with a lot of the charity stuff that you guys have done over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, we go back to Ron and Don and Cairo and all the stuff they used to do. And Dory loved it and started doing it himself. In fact, you, the two of you and Nicole, last time we had our deputy Don Collada killed, right. I'm literally sitting at the funeral and I see the Everett police get up and run out. And I can tell right away you're leaving something like that in that high speed. Something right. bad's happened. Right. The Everett police officer died in a line of duty during our guy's funeral. Right. You guys, you and Dory and Nicole stepped up and very quickly raised $75,000 for those two families. And that was, I mean, that was the type of things that uh, I hope don't go away. I no. hope those don't go away because I don't know where those are, those are going to come from anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so I hope. We don't lose that for the community, for our law enforcement, for the people that stand up and speak the truth. And like I said, protect us. Yeah. You know, and, and I felt protected when he talked that somebody had the same 
ideals and stood up for law enforcement and stood up for the right thing. And like you said, bullies. Yeah. Um, when you talked about bullies, when I was little, I was actually a very little kid. And I read your um, eulogy today about pulling hydros behind bikes and all the things that he used to do. Mm-hmm. That's what me and my friends did. I mean, yeah. it was literally was a copy of my young life. And some of the kids I met as little kids on trikes when we were four or five years old. Yeah. That's how we grew up doing those same things. I had a single mom. We just had a lot in common. Yeah. The whole thing is, and I'm, you know, I told you I'm only 19 days younger than he is. So as David Rose said earlier, I'm on that same program. They've been trying to get me on that for six months to go get checked and do some things. So I think there'll be a lot of doctors getting calls from 60-plus-year-old guys over the next couple weeks. Yeah, right. You know, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're all going to go. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody gets out of here alive. Not yet. you, You want to extend that period between... The life of things you got to do and what you want to do. Correct. When you're little, it's mostly what you got to do. Got to do this, got to do that. And then as you get older, you get more want to do's mm-hmm. and can do's on your own. And then as you get older, all of a sudden it's got to do. Got to go see the doctor. Got to sit here. Someone's got to do something else for you. So you have just this brief period in your life where it's what you want to do. What you want? I want to do this. I want to go on a cruise uh, with my wife, I want to go. And Dory's lists of want to do's grew bigger and bigger. And I think at some point he just wasn't willing to stop this, this service, because right. he felt it was in service. But eventually he was going to have that time. Yeah. And if anything, the lesson learned is now at this point for you, 19 days younger than Dory, Ed Troyer, I think the last year and a half has taken some time. Taken some years. Takes yep, a absolutely. year off. And, you yeah. know, your wife's health and everybody else. So the lesson, take the lesson that lived your life because this is... We all got to take that. <clears throat> we all got to take that and, you know, take something like this to maybe kick into gear and start thinking about what are you going to do and all those things you want to do. Gosh, um, I know he, we talked a lot about what he wanted to do and some of the things that he enjoyed and going to shows and you know i've i've met him at shows and places before and and um i know he was looking forward to years and years of that so if there's one thing you can take away from this is don't wait you know don't wait get 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 your things in order make sure you're okay for your family and make sure that you're okay for your friends and somebody like him who's bigger than life obviously affects hundreds of thousands of people right you know and and i know there's a lot of people out there hurting because i've got messages from people i don't even know that knew that we were friends and we were close and i know i'm going to hear from more of them through the day and I know there's a lot of people I want to talk, and I appreciate you having me on here, and you're doing a great job. Thanks, Ed. And um, I look forward to being friends with Cairo and you and yours to come, and let's see how we move his legacy forward and yep. keep doing the good things he did. Thanks, Ed Troy. Thank you.
Send him a picture of myself. Take it out. Left each other I sent him a picture of myself in a Barry Manilow Christmas sweater with a yellow bow on. Eat your heart out. So stupid. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's funny. It's something like Dory in your life. You send a text message to him, and as you're finishing the text message, you're like, oh, this is gold. This is gold. And not only because it's, you know, you know it's funny, but it's a challenge to that guy. And I would wait, and I'd see the three little dots show up, and I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. And it was always a surprise. It was always like, oh, God, I didn't see that coming. That is funny. For the sake of all those times, love made us lose our minds. Could I ever let you go? Always. Oh, God. I'll miss those three dots. Or I get a call at 7.30 at night. Dory and I missed it and I call back hey got a minute I've said this before and I'm thinking this is not going to be a minute and then while I'm talking to him Nicole his producer will send me a note about something Dory's going to call you just letting you know and I'm listening to Dory but I'm texting back at the same time I'm on with him now and she'd say have him call me when you finish and Finish would take like two hours. Uh, I delighted. Messages, his texts, his calls, his voicemails, his radio show, his friendship. Yeah. I will make it through this letter. All right. How much time do I have? As long as you need. All right, I can do this. Okay. This is from Dory's producer and um, Nicole, who is a dear friend of mine. 
And uh, she put this up on Facebook. Okay. Ah! You ready? You're going to kill me with this music, Andrew. Sorry, I had two of playing at once. Ah, that's all right, fine. This is from Dory's producer. This is to all of you. I hope you felt the love. That he truly hoped you would. He loved his family and his friends, the ones who, whose names he knew, and the ones that only knew his with every fiber. He talked often about his final show. He talked about it a lot, about of how he would hope it might be, but that doesn't really matter. The last thing he said on the air to all of us was, I love you, and he meant it. And that's, well, that's the perfect ending. You see, the last seven years have been a giant dream come true for me. Career dream, travel dreams, concert dreams, home dreams, friendship dreams. He'd probably rather that I call them goals, but bottom line, I could not have achieved any of these without his support. You see, he believed in me, he fought for me, encouraged me. I am eternally grateful, beyond thankful, and so blessed. He was my... My... My teammate. My partner, my mentor, my... Best friend. And because he was unsuccessful at locating a husband for me, and neither of one of us slept a lot, I had many, many hours to give him each day. He got most of my 24. My heart cannot process that I will not hear. Hey, your old pal door when I answer the phone ever again I cannot understand why he was taken from his wife and his daughter so soon before he was ready thankfully his faith in God was so strong that I know he's ready and asked the answers to all the questions and he is at peace he'll be here we'll still hear him in our hearts likely in times when we feel the most lost or defeated he'll never lose hope it won't seem fair or feel like enough there will always be a dory-sized hole in the Pacific Northwest and in my heart. But, thankfully, the show was not just noon to three news and entertainment. It was a legacy. And we're all part of his legacy. And we will roll on. Roll on. We have to. For him. 
thank you. Thank you for all the love and the kindness. I hope you feel it too. Sincerely, Nicole. Dory's producer. Listen to Cairo Radio, and um, the, uh, the goodbye show for Doreen Monson. It's like, how do you produce a show for a guy that's been in the media and in the public eye since 1982 when he got into radio? I wish I could find the story of um, he went to the Ron Bailey School of Broadcasting. He went to uh, University of Washington. He's was going to drop out because he didn't have enough money. And an old DJ that he knew just briefly came to his house some afternoon and uh, handed Dory a brown bag with cash in and all the money that he had basically to get Dory to get Dory to stay in college. I was trying to find that story. The guy, there's so many stories because there's so many lives of so many people that he had touched. Um, he was the voice for the little guy, and he fought back against the bullies that were uh, wielded lots of political power and stepped on human beings in order to better themselves. Ed Troy talked a little bit about that. Brandy Cruz, you um, you got a chance to first meet Dory when you worked here at Cover Radio. Yeah, twelve years ago, a little twenty-two-year-old. Yeah, in the. In the building, I felt overdressed. By the way, I might add. Oh, am I? I'm still overdressed. No, not now. Look at me. But back then, you'd always wear like fancy dresses and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> where's she going? I was going to work. I was 22. I was trying to impress people. I felt so out of my depth. I was out of my depth. Um, and you know, Dory for me, it's really hard to explain my relationship with Dory because. I would say that next to the the death of my father, this is the most significant loss I've had in my life. And, and really, in a lot of ways, for the majority of my adulthood, Dory was a better father figure to me than my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've talked publicly about my dad's issues with alcoholism and um, and Dory knew about all of that. And I, I think that, you know, he just had this paternal instinct I mean, same with me, same with Nicole. Yeah. Um, but Dory, you know, here I am, like 22. It, it was my first job out of college, feeling like I have to fake it every day. And I did fake it most days, I will be honest. But Dory, I don't know what he saw in me early on, but he would get the best news tips. And he would hand them off to me like, hey, here, run this down. Mm. And of course, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. He, one, he's talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> Two, he wants, he's like entrusting me with this. And so I would go, I'd run him down. I would, it didn't matter what it was. I mean, he gave me a news tip once 
on Burger King undercooking its burgers across the country. Uh-huh. I spent every I spent like 24 hours straight running this down. And because we did this story, like Burger King had to change its equipment in every location oh, wow. across the country. Mm-hmm. But it was just one of these things where it's like when someone you admire believes in you, you just excel sure. like 10 times what you would have otherwise. And, you know, Dory to me was the first person professionally who didn't just believe in me, but actively took steps to try to advance my career. And for a young woman in news and someone in Dory's position, that that's significant. Mm-hmm. You know, he would do that by having me on a show often. He would do that by giving me tips that, you know, he could have taken the credit himself and, you know, had dug into it. And he'd give me tips and let me run it down. And, you know, even when I quit um, Cairo Radio to go try my hand at TV. I mean, there are so many times where I almost failed at TV, like every I thought I was going to get fired every day for the first year in TV because it just was not catching on for me. And I'd call Dory in tears (laughs) and he'd just tell me just, okay, deep breaths, deep breaths. And we'd work through it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just it's hard to even. I also, you know, I think this was an underappreciated part of who Dory was, this element of just trying to help other people. Because you just mentioned, you know, what people did for him. Mm hmm to try to make sure he stayed in school, to make sure he could continue on his dream. And I really think that he took all of that goodwill and kindness that had been put his way when he was younger, when he was struggling, when he grew up without money, and wanted to help other people. And he did that with me. He did it with some other people. I saw at Terry Holloman. Oh, yeah, T. Holler. Um, he sent us this really nice tweet. He said, Dory gave us our first opportunity to be on the radio. He gave us a platform on his show every week for a year. He sat and watched my daughter play hoops with me, and most importantly, he believed in me. He was my friend, and I'm forever grateful for him. And he posted a picture of him in the barbershop, in the studio, and then just— He and Marcus Dufont, so much fun to listen to those two. Yeah, and um, also he sent a, he posted a picture of him and Dory sitting there watching uh, Terry Holloman's uh, daughter's game, just sweaty Dory next to him. I don't know if Dory was out there like shooting hoops at halftime or something. But it just, those things mean so much. And I will tell you, it's been important for me in my career too, even thus far, to try to help people up. And that's just a legacy of Dory. Mm-hmm. That's looking at what people like Dory did for me. You know what's interesting? P- people may or may not know this. That his father left the family mm-hmm. when he was young. So Often you learn to be a father by watching your father and making those choices to either be like him or not to be like him. But either way, you're choosing a path based upon what you're seeing, right? But to not have your father there for those really important formative years, something had to – then he had to find mentors that were father figures in his life. And he used to speak of the different ones that he had met. But whoever it was and the people that crossed his path that really enriched him, he enriched the rest of us. Um, I have a cut here. This is Dory's last appearance on your podcast, Undivided. Yeah. Why'd um, you choose this? Because, so Dory came on, it was so funny. He's um, such a dork. You know, he'd invited me to do, once I left Fox 13 to do this independent podcast, he immediately gave me this weekly reoccurring segment on his show. And it's because mm-hmm. he wanted to, again, still yeah. lift me up at 34 and like, hey, I want to help you, you know, start your own business and your own thing. And that's why he gave me a weekly thing. I mean, we talk politics, we have a lot to talk about. But so then I um, 
had him on my podcast for a segment called Fridays with Friends. Uh-huh. And I invited him on, and of course, he waits until we're we're rolling to say that he was offended that he, I had a segment called Fridays with Friends that he hadn't been on yet. Oh, okay. Until I informed him that it was the first, <laughs> it was the first <laughs> segment that he was my first friend to be on. And why I picked this is it's it's great advice for anyone. So Dory had his detractors, right? He had his haters. Yeah. Um. I mean, even death doesn't spare you from the horrible people on you know social media. And um, he was talking about that. And I just thought the advice that he gave about how he runs his show um, and also how he deals with people who don't like him and kind of feels bad for them was just so, so memorable. This is just a couple months ago. This is from Brandy Cruz's Undivided. There are a lot of people who their their politics is their life. And I really feel sorry for them. I, I I, I truly believe that I would go nuts. Everything I talk about on the radio, I 100% sincerely believe, and we wouldn't get the kind of listeners we have if uh, there was any phoniness involved. I believe it, but I would go crazy if that's all I thought about. And, you know, I get, uh, there's are a couple people, and they send me hate emails at 8 p.m. and at 3 a.m. and at 7 a.m., and... I feel so sorry for them. Now, I mean, just the fact that around the clock, they are obsessed with disagreeing with me about issues. And, and I really do feel bad for people like that. And, and that's why I, don't, I choose not to live my life like that. I'm passionate. I spend 12 hours a day preparing and performing. The radio show, but I have to have some time where I'm thinking about other stuff, or else we're all going to go nuts. Well, yeah, and and you're right. I mean, you'll see people on Facebook who they they hate what you're talking about, but they're always there, and it's like, why? If you hate it so much, why are you soaking in it? It's very confusing to me. <laughs> right. I just, yeah. I, I agree. It's really sad. Um, but in case there's anybody watching this who isn't familiar with with you and your show and your career. Um, just give a brief, and I'm assuming most people will be, but a uh, brief explainer about what your show is about. And it, and the ratings are really off the charts right now, right? Yeah, they're crazy. Yeah, I have 27 years, and they're the highest by far. I mean, not, I, we've been really good for 26 years, but for the last year and a half, it's been just amazing. Uh, the show's about my... I really consider every listener uh, individual friend. And the show's about what I would talk about with my friends if I was talking politics. So uh, I, I spend, you know, probably six to nine hours finding interesting stuff, stuff that interests me. And then I just try to find entertaining or unique ways to tell those stories. Uh, and, you know, my my viewpoint, I think I said this to you a couple of weeks ago, because people say, you know, you're conservative, you're libertarian. And... In fact, I did say it to you. No, I'm a Dorytarian, which all it means is I look at every story. I give my honest opinion on it. And sometimes it's not going to fit a box. It's not going to, you know, because I think people who identify as conservative, they see some news story and they say, okay, I have to put this in my conservative box. And now I'm going to make my opinion fit that. And that's not a way to be sincere. That's not a way to be authentic with people. So I just give my opinion, and I don't care which box it falls in. Sometimes, once in a while, it even falls in my liberal box. Oh, you so have a liberal box? Oh, yeah. It's tidy, <laughs> but, but I have it. It's the one I keep a dime in. The other one's the one I can keep bricks in. But yes, yeah. 
Well, and your show has always been branded as a watchdog of government. And given what we've gone through in the last two years with the pandemic and, you know, government overreach, do you think that's why it's doing so well right now? Or what do you attribute that to? I think that we are in a time where people are very, very frustrated, especially after the last couple of years. They didn't like being ordered to wear masks. I mean, just on Friday, just uh, today, as we record this, the CDC says they are approving injections for five-year-olds and under. And there are an awful lot of people who think that that's nuts. I happen to be one of them. I'm not anti-vax in the slightest. I'm boosted. I think it's crazy to inject stuff into three-year-olds. If if you have a three-year-old and they have made it to you know June mid June of 2022 and they're fine why in the world would somebody inject them at this point so i say stuff like that that i think an awful lot of people think and feel and believe and they see in the media elsewhere people who have shaped their opinion because too many people say that they have to be pro vax i'm pro vax if it makes sense for you in my age group, I'm pro-vax. For a three-year-old, I'm anti. And and so, you know, maybe that's even a slight little nuance that I don't just have, you know, one opinion about this vaccine. I have one opinion about vaccines for me, and I have another opinion about vaccines for kids. I think it's that approach, because there are a lot of people who just are not. You happen to be, along with me, you know, our friend Jason Rand, we're all voices of, I think, common sense right now. And, and it's because we don't try to just fit a liberal narrative. Yeah. And I love I love that because to hear him say in his own words what his show was about, yeah. you know, this was just a couple months ago. Um, and and I feel that so much when he says I approach my show like how I would talk to my friends about politics mm-hmm. and reading some of the responses and emails people have sent me. They do feel like they lost a friend. Yeah. You know, I had a woman emailed me who said her whole family's devastated. I had somebody email me say, I've never cried over someone's death before. Mm. You know, and I, I can't think of a time I ever cried over someone's death who I never met, who, you know, I never met in person or wasn't related to. And you have these people saying, I'm in tears because he just felt like it was the friend you talked politics with. Every yeah. Day. Well, the intimacy of radio, right? You're in the car. And if it's a regular thing that you listen to Dory Monson from 12 and 3, and he was really good about doing these things called benchmarks, which is, you know, the uh, fastest 15 and the, you know, the, the big lead and the awesome audio, which you've been really good about covering and, and being <laughs> staying t- true to to all of that. Uh, so they they were just they were part of people's the regular part of people's lives. He was there. So maybe your life was fairly routine and that you went on to went into work and you drove the same road and you saw the same people and you sat in the same desk and you did the same entry data entry or maybe you solved the same problems and put the same people on hold every day. But the thing that would change for you, although it was consistent from 12 to 3, it was his take, his news, his stories that he had found for you. And, you know, again, I, I, I know because it's so hackneyed that people say this all the time, but really did it not to serve his own ego because he didn't really. I mean, as big. You thought he had a giant he ego. He did that, not. He really, which was the weirdest part of it. You People would always say, what's Dory Monson really like? And I go, you know what? I can't even begin to s- explain to you what he's really like. Oh, I, that guy, he blah, blah, blah. I said, believe me, if you met him 
you would be embarrassed mm-hmm. to have those feelings. Well, and he wouldn't even talk politics with you. That was the thing. Is like, like that's the that last stuff. thing he wanted to talk about. Right? Or really anything football. Else. Yeah. Or football. He wanted to talk about your kids or your life or your choices or your travel or your health. And it was sincere. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, I've been planning a wedding. Yes. And I know you, I heard you talking to Troy earlier about just sort of, you know, living life and, and making the most of your, your time. And I've also just kind of learned from this, don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today. And, sure. Um, Mike and I, we're going to ask Dory to officiate our wedding. Oh, that would have been great. And we were waiting for like the right time to do it, right? Sorry. We were waiting for the right time to do it, and we were thinking, well, let's wait till we have a you know a, a date and a venue and a guest list and all that stuff. And yeah, so you know, Dory was on vacation, and so sometime in January we were going to do it. And it's like, I just wish we'd asked him earlier, yeah, because I know he knew how much I, he meant to me. And and but one of the things that first made me realize that Mike was the one is Dory liked him because <laughs> <laughs> you know? I saw Dory is such a good dad and such a good husband and Dory's like oh I really like Mike you know yeah. I really like him he's such a good guy I can yeah. just tell yeah and I was like okay that's the seal of approval right and um so you know I've even like envisioned us getting married and Dory sitting there and I just wish I asked him sooner yeah well he would have been a great what would he be? Would he, would he have to get ministered, ordained ministry or something like that? Would he have to do something like that? I order? have no idea. Something yeah. maybe. Some sort he of licensing. Been wonderful. You know he would have cried. Oh, I know. He would have gotten through it. I know. He was yeah. such a softie. <laughs> yeah, he was a softie for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, he'll be there with you in spirit wherever you decide to get married. Maybe it's Cleelum. I don't know. <laughs> I'm hoping so. Okay. Well, thank you. Yes. And by the way, I have to tell you, for the, all the, as a listener of the Dory Monson Show, I so much appreciate you sitting in for him and taking the reins that you did for last week. He was just on vacation. That's all it was. And he was yeah. supposed to be back today. That was, And you were going to go back to your show, yeah. uh, Undivided, and all the time you put into that. But um, just think, you were a young 21-year-old overdressed here in the... <laughs> Studios of Seattle Cairo Radio, and he has gotten you to where you are today. It's um, no doubt, no doubt in my mind. I wouldn't be the the person, the news lady, or the the woman that I am today without Dory Monson. Brandy Cruz, thank you.
Dave Wyman, you got to name this song. Uh, Closer to the Heart by Rush. Is that Rush by any chance? It's no? oh, absolutely it's Rush. Got it. Did Dory have gotten that one? I don't think so. <laughs> I never uh, used Rush because I knew Dave would get it right away. Oh, right no away. Chance. I got it. I got it. I got it. I threw you a bone there. I got to tell you, I am through and through a huge fan of the Dory Monson show, and I would tune in specifically for specific Brock Yord. Uh, Dave Wyman, uh, Brandy Cruz, the regular contributors to the show. And you guys have, I think, one of the oddest relationships because your sense of humor and his sense of humor and you, your throwaway lines, Wyman, and, and to get Dory to laugh, wasn't it like... You know, it was like throwing a dart from from forty yards out. You like, hey, whoa! I hit the board. Whoa! I hit the bullseye. You know, and your little jokes, you get them going. You get them going, and just your throwaway lines just made for such rich, entertaining moments on the radio. And I also know that you're not a guy that deals well with this sort of stuff. So we hesitated to call you, but we knew we wanted to have you on. But. Um, this you've what have you what have you gained by your relationship with Dory and then what have you lost? Well, I mean, I, I lost one of one of the best friends I've ever had, and uh, he he was simply the sweetest guy. I like I always say I'm not going to say chicks and dudes, but like he was kind of a, a girls guy. Like Dory was was sensitive, like not sensitive, like touchy, but like in a really good like i never had any of my friends talk to me the way that that he did like one time we had a misunderstanding and he told me how much like that hurt his feelings and everything and mm -hmm. i was just kind of surprised because guys don't have those conversations sometimes i know it's a stereotypical but um you know uh he was just he was just that way he was just very sensitive type of guy and i never heard i never heard a harmful hurtful nasty word come out of his mouth i he never he never swore and you know he just was uh i don't i i felt like i was kind of like his you ever see uh my bodyguard yeah yeah i, I felt like i was kind of like that to him and i was very protective of him because of that because mm -hmm. you know like he's got he's got three of the sweetest daughters and you know relationship with his wife for i don't know how long him and suzanne were married 35 something yeah. like that college sweethearts yeah and i just i was just very protective of him because he's so nice and you know and the he, politics were never talked about it like it'd be kind of like me going to a party and you know wanting to have fun and people come up and start asking me the details of the seahawks you know mm -hmm. like he but he just never brought that stuff up he was just the the nicest sweetest guy would give you all of his attention and I'm sorry, there's a lot of us at the station that have a job because of him. Because nobody's brought in more ratings and more money than Dory Monson. And I'm one of them. Yeah. Because when I started with him in 2004 in the pre- and post-game for the Seahawks, like he saw something in me, and we just had this, like we just hit it off. Yeah. You know, and... Um, yeah, I just it's it's just such a huge loss. I mean, we would talk at least twice, three times a week. We did a we did say I've been doing one thirty on Tuesdays for I don't know how many years, but about I don't know three months ago he he gets on and I'm recording from home and I'm like he goes what what do you got you got anything I'm like I got nothing mm -hmm. and he, I go what about you he said I got nothing we did 
two 10-minute segments that were just awesome. <laughs> we just sat there and talked and, you know, kind of on the same wavelength, felt the same way about our wives um, you know, and our families and kind of bonded over, you know, we both had uh, challenges, parenting and things like that. And just just a prince of a guy. Yeah. So he being gone, we end up just going through hours and hours and hours of clips and bits and pieces. Yeah. And uh, Nicole, who's been up for, I think, like 42, 48 uh, hours, oh she's at home working all this. So this is Dory and Dave with Moyer in London. Do you want to set this up? Do you know what this is? It's only one minute oh and 11 God, seconds. I hope I don't sound like I'm drunk or something. <laughs> Uh, well, well, you know what? I always tell people, like, how can you tell? I always sound like I'm drunk. So <laughs> I think, right. were you drunk? Had you been drinking? Well, I don't, it, his show was at like midnight or something in, in London. So uh-huh. there's uh-huh. A, a fair chance, Curly, that uh, okay. yeah, All right, a here we go. I think they're handling it better than the Raiders. What do I base this on? The owner of the Raiders' haircut. Yeah. He's <laughs> a jack. It's a bull. Yes. It's a bull. He and I hear that he pays a lot of money for that. Mm-hmm. And when I look at that guy's hair, I go, he's a clown. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, he's probably this not Mark Davis, Al Davis' son. As yeah, well I'm not as sure. Seahawks. Oh, yeah, that one. Myself. I know the words anymore. Oh, for crying out Eric Carmen. Nice job, Dory. Wow. wow. You know what? Kudos to you, sir. Thank you very much. You can spill a drink in my lap anytime. No, no, you can't. You guys can go back to the pub now. Your work is done here. (laughs) Thanks for coming by. Really appreciate it. You can ice my crotch anytime, Dory. Um, Dave, can you guys hit the quick? Dave, do not go back to the pub. No. (laughs) (laughs) I rescind. Thank you. I just said. Go to my room. Yes, go to bed. It's the first time I've seen you speechless. (laughs) You went. I got no comment for that one. The big lead of two is coming up next, live from London. Did very impressive. Did you guess? You should be very proud of that. Yeah. By the way, when you die, when you die, that's all the clip. The clip we're going to be playing. Yeah. Um, What? Didn't you share a room with him? Yeah. When we were at the Super Bowl, uh, the the one we won, Super Bowl forty eight. I guess that was. And yeah, yeah, we were we were roommates. And there was a couple of times where he was snoring so loud, I was throwing like rolled up socks at him and Uh stuff like that. Yeah, it was like we were back at camp or something. But. uh, And then Dory was very competitive, and I remember about that trip that he uh, he lost in bowling, mm-hmm. and um, so and he was he was pissed about it. He really was, and so uh, I went and got him one of those black and white cookies because he really liked those, and those are kind of famous there in New York. And yeah. I I put it on his bed and I said, Dory, I'm really sorry that you lost at bowling, uh-huh. and kind of you know got him to laugh at it, uh, about it. But yeah, he was a competitive dude, man. Really, I'll give you a great, great story. At Super Bowl Forty, we have Jim Gray on, uh-huh. and, and Jim Gray was kind of being a jackass. Okay, so Dory's trying to, uh, you know, interview him, and he he keeps like shaking his head at Dory's questions, like what? And he keeps looking over at me, and I'm not part of it. I don't, I don't want to be in there. And he's the expert interviewer, and it's uh-huh. like my second year. Yeah. So he keeps, you know, like what kind of question is that? And he's looking at me, and I'm like, dude, I, I don't know why you're looking at me. But then Dory 
just gets more and more focused in. And I swear he was like stepping closer to Jim Gray. And then all of a sudden he brings up the thing with the Pete Rose gambling. And I don't remember what the story was. Uh-huh. And he kept giving him two word answers. And Dory was getting closer and closer. And then he just broke open like an egg and just spilled everything about Pete Rose. And it just ended up being like one of the greatest interviews. But I'm kind of like, hey, you get a guy, you know, who doesn't want to talk and he doesn't want to say anything and he's being kind of a smart ass. You're like, all right, why, why don't you run along now? Uh-huh. Uh, but Dory was just like so competitive that like he, he inches closer to him. And he's getting like, you can just see in his eyes, he's getting dialed in. Like, this is like my Super Bowl right here. Yeah. And he ends up getting Jim Gray, like I said, to just spill all this stuff about Pete Rose and, you know, <laughs> the whole thing. Like, it was exactly what he was trying to get. But it just took him like five or six minutes to get there. Yeah, that's the competitive nature. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, so Nicole writes me, Dave made Dory laugh more than anyone. Well, I, I'll tell you what, I I love that. It was like getting a, putting a check in my back pocket. Yeah. It, it was kind of like when I was in the NFL. It only happened a couple times, Curly, because I wasn't yeah. that good. Okay. But there was a couple times where guys that played my position, we'd you know, meet out after the game. And one time, Gary Reasons, a linebacker for the Giants, comes because hey, I've been watching you on film. You do a really nice job, man. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. I mean, that, that felt so good. Yeah. And I kind of get that same feeling if I got a laugh out of Dory. Oh, yeah. He's been on the air for 28 years or whatever. I feel like he's pretty much heard everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love that, man. I, I love that part of it. And we had so much fun and laughed so hard. And, you know, lots of lots of love, man. I mean, yeah. and we became, you know, he's, like I said, one of the better friends, one of the greatest fathers, three of the sweetest daughters and the sweetest wife. And, like I said, never a harmful word. The, the only thing is that he happened to think differently than other people. And so people got, you know, hateful about that. And I keep telling myself all week that vengeance is not mine. And that part of it, I I get angry. Like I said, I'm still very protective of him. And that was it. This is super tramp, by the way. Long way home. And, uh, you know, that's that's all it was. That was the only thing. He thought differently than you, okay? That's it. Everything else, if you meet him anywhere on the street, like I said, always the nicest, sweetest guy that you could ever run into. Thanks, Dave Wyman. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks for letting me uh, get through it.
Fleetwood Mac at 4.49 in the afternoon. Old-time radio voice. That's how I just did that. Setting up another old-time radio voice. Pat Cashman. Hi, John. Hi, John. It's been a while. It has been a while. But listen, the uh, we... Um, we get together to talk about Dory Monson's passing. We've uh, been on the air now since nine the morning. This guy, this yeah. guy's legacy is so big. We could do it in like a year's worth of Dory Monson, and um, yeah, he, he could be a format all by himself. Yes, yes. Uh, I, uh, I, I just, uh, I'm sure you said this too. I wish he could hear all of this all day because he would, he would be most pleased to see how much people think about him. But, you know, at the same time, he would also be highly critical of how we're doing this. That's the other problem, because he'd be like, you forgot this. You should have led with that. Why that yeah. music? I don't want the super tramp there. Move Wyman up. Move Pat Cashman over here. He no, wait a minute. Thought of it again. Bump Pat Cashman. Cashman <laughs> <laughs> will get in tomorrow. Dory and I uh, kind of hit hit radio about the same time on King AM Radio. Right. I was brought on to be the morning host. He and Lisa Brooks were sidekicks. And uh, uh, in short order, I, I don't want to tell a long story here, but Dory came up with this idea that we would do a fake live commercial. We do it all week long. Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, I don't think the program director liked that. He said, well, you're undermining the actual advertisers on this station. I said, yeah, this is a good bit and Dory's idea, so let's do it. (laughs) The idea was that Dory said he started playing basketball again. He wanted to lose a few pounds. Uh A new advertiser has just come forward selling a product called Slim Quick. And so the idea was that every day Dory would jump on the scale. I had this rusty typewriter table Uh next to the microphone. It sounded like one of those scales he would step on. Mm Mm-hmm. And every day we would weigh him to see how the, he, his diet on this incredible product was progressing. Yeah. So the first day he gets on the scale, let's say he's 195 pounds. Okay. Next day, we do the whole commercial again and say, so let's have you hop on the scale, Dory. Let's see the great results. He's now 204 pounds. <laughs> so you can see where this is going. So each day... Pretty soon, by the end of the week, he's saying, Pat, I gained 43 pounds on this stuff. <laughs> so, so, so then we, we decide, well, we got to get to the bottom of this. And I got one of our salespeople to pretend to be the president of the, of the Slim Quick company. Uh-huh. He gets to the bottom of it, finds out a disgruntled employee has switched all the labels on that product with their only other product, GameFast. <laughs> But but Dory sold it so well. Right. There was never never a hint that this was a bit. Right. Which it obviously was to anybody who sent you it. But yeah. uh, it was it was great. That was so Dory, and I just amused. And I have the whole recording someplace. And yeah. I, I sent it to him years ago. Well, the other the, thing about Dory is, uh, sorry, John. But the other the, thing about him I, I want to mention is that the guy, not just in his job, but in everything, he did to the hilt. Mm-hmm. We used to play pick up rat basketball every week mm-hmm. and uh I, you know we'd play and then we were in playoffs we'd play other media type teams mm-hmm. you know or newspapers or whatever and one time we got into a big playoff game 
and we show up. Dory's seen me play, hmm. so he knows he knows I'm. I tend to foul a lot. So he said, Pat, only five of us showed up today. For the love of God, please do not foul out. We we got a chance to win this game, but we need all five players out there. I'm not kidding, John. Yeah. I fouled out in the first quarter. <laughs> and the man, the look he gave me, and I realized, I just thought this was kind of a goof. But to him, if it's worth doing at all, it's worth doing well. Yeah. And uh, that's the way he went about his life. Yeah. You know, it's crazy, Pat, in that people people that didn't know him but heard him on the radio, just they they didn't get it. Because no, it wasn't no. it wasn't an act on the radio. No, he, but he was it was authentic. Yeah. It was. But then you would think the same guy would be the same guy sitting across from you at a local bar, that it would be the same big, you know bloviating, opinionating, you know, mm-hmm. cracking jokes and moving along, but he wasn't. So, how do you explain somebody that has both of that those both of those pieces of their personality but, you know, fit so well together into one person? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, but I think uh you know, you could say, well, well on the radio he's a performer and then in real life he's a much different guy. But I I don't think he was a there was a, you know, a Jekyll and Hyde to him. Yeah. It was just that he, everything he did, he took seriously, and he realized, you know, I'm, now I'm not on the radio. I don't need to try and impress anybody. I want to just sit and maybe I'll listen yeah, or tell a joke or whatever. So right. he really was a complete person, and, you know, his kids and his wife are testament to that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's just going to be so missed. But we started on the radio together, and... uh he showed me the ropes first day I can remember. I sit down. Dory says, Pat, this is called a microphone. <laughs> you speak into it, and people on the radio can hear you. I said, so I don't need to just open a window and yell. No, no, just talk into this. <laughs> Not too loud. He was a great guy. I God, I miss him. And... uh he always let me come on his show to plug anything I was working on. So you want to no. plug something now? <laughs> well, uh, well, we're out of time. Too bad. <laughs> so when the lights John Curley here behind the microphone as we have been since 9 o'clock this morning because, well, you want to talk about Dory Monson. You have to dedicate at least nine hours or more or ten times that amount because the impression and the thoughts, the feelings, and the people that he's touched and entertained and irritated through the years is a long, long list. Um, Michael Medved joins us because Michael Medved and Dory shared a wall between studios. And um, when Dory is on, Michael Medved is on, um, entertaining and informing people. And um, I've always, whenever there's a death, a major death of Margaret Thatcher, the Pope, or somebody of, of great significance who's changed the world, I always make sure I listen to Michael Medved either on his podcast or let's try to listen live. There's just something about how you take 
um, the Bible or how you take history or, and how your, Michael, your ability to be able to summarize how life moves, I find to always be so comforting. And I'm hoping you can say something like that to me right now. Uh, it's it's tough to be comforting other than to do exactly what you've been doing and doing so well, John, which is uh, giving a due tribute to somebody who is a remarkable person and a remarkable example of the best that a not, not always terrific industry has to offer. And uh, Dory... Uh, the, when you talk about uh, as the old school, Dory was a classic, uh, incredibly successful local host. He had no question about where his roots were, mm-hmm. uh, where he grew up, uh, the, the community that he was part of. And I think part of what made him so phenomenally popular is uh, the fact that he was the guy next door. He, he was the guy who could talk to you over the fence and uh, really connect with the people and not just, quote, ordinary people, but ordinary people who have that little bit of twist in them that says Seattle mm-hmm. and uh, the Seattle area. You know, uh, you two share something in common, and I'm going to say this on the air, and I don't know if this has been brought up before. But when the whole Trump thing happened and right wing radio went Trump, you, a man of principle, said no. And pressure was put on you to Medville, Medved conform or you're going to lose money and you're going to lose stations and you're just better off just sort of going with the flow. But you held the line for the principles of what you believed in and what you've been writing about in all of your books and all of your history tapes and all the lessons that you give. And you refuse to sort of bend. And Dory did, I think, the same thing. Often there would be he he held the line. He didn't always he wasn't always coming from preaching from the pulpit of the conservative or the Republican. He said he didn't have a party necessarily. And in that way, both of you holding your lines in place and being true to yourself, it it cost you something along the way. Well, it's it's true. I, I will admit it. And in in terms of Dory, it was one of those reasons I was so proud to actually be just on the studio down the hall from him, even though we were uh, competitors, you could say, because we were on at the same time of day. But Dory uh, was was Dory. He was the same guy that you hear on the air is the same guy that you see in the studio and who actually believes the things that he's saying on the air. That's not true of everybody. And uh, the, the, the other aspect of it is it's not predictable. In other words, human beings, when you know them personally, they aren't predictable. There's a great deal of talk radio. And I think it's an unfortunate tendency where it's almost like political operatives are writing the scripts. Mm. Uh, you're either rah, 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 rah for the red team or rah, rah, rah for the blue team. And I actually think you do better when you follow what Dory's tradition was, was uh, not red or blue, but red, white and blue. Mm. Yeah. What happens with somebody when someone like this leaves? You know, often somebody that's 
Dory in his position here locally, you just take up a lot of space. You take up and and end up carrying the flag and and up up up. I lost him. Did I lose him? Michael Medvedev. No, I'm right here. Oh, okay. And and so I'm he right ends here. up. So who 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 fills in after that void? That's and it takes a while for that to happen, doesn't it? It does, and probably nobody. I mean. You talk about on our station, uh, we lost Rush Limbaugh. Right. And uh, who who takes up the space for Rush? The answer is no one. No one's been even close to that. And again, when you're a singular talent and you develop the kind of uh, deep connection with people that uh, Dory definitely enjoyed and that he worked on maintaining and sustaining and never insulting his audience. Mm. which I think is is a, a, a very great part of his popularity. I, I, I don't um, – I was actually, uh, John, I was at a, uh, an event once at the Reagan Library with uh, Peter Robinson, who was one of Reagan's speechwriters, and somebody uh, asked him, who do you think is going to be the next Reagan? And he said, there is no next Reagan. Mm. <laughs> he, he is singular. He he was a remarkable individual saying, so who's going to be the next Churchill? Right. There won't be a next Churchill. And again, this is not to go too grandiose and compare Dari Monson to uh, Reagan or Churchill, but within the field, within our little community of people who have this great privilege of being able to talk and, and to give our opinions for a living, uh, Dory counts as somebody who is not going to be replaced, and no one, I hate to say it, is going to fully fill those shoes. What is it, Michael Medved, that you say when someone who has passed in their memory, blessed be their name, blessed be their memory, what is that you say sometimes in your show? Yeah, may its memory be a blessing. Zecher Tzadik Livracha, which means literally in Hebrew, uh, may the memory of a righteous one be a blessing. And, uh, and, and of course, you think that when you first hear of a death, the traditional thing that you say in Hebrew is Baruch Dayan Emet, was blessed be the true judge, recognizing that God has his own purposes, he has his own message that he's sending somehow on Christmas Eve by, uh, not pardon me, New Year's Eve by, by taking Dory home. But, uh, again, it's, it's recognizing uh life life never seems so big and and so much a distinctive and I- incomparable blessing as in the face of death of, of somebody who you valued and loved we'll leave it at that michael medved thank you what a pleasure and thank you for the good work you're doing and i'm so proud and pleased to be honored to participate in honoring dory thanks michael Thank you. Michael Medved can be heard, of course, on KTTH in the afternoons and then, of course, his podcast as well. Uh, a man that has uh, always been able to let you know exactly where he stands, as he says, much like Dory. And his uh, principles are evident in um, his commitment to his family and to this country. Michael Medved, thank you. Um, I got a letter from Don O'Neill and I uh, I wrote him back and I said um, – do you want to come on the radio? And Don O'Neill wrote back that no, he would just spend too much of his time crying. And uh, then Jacob called him to get Don on. 
Ron and Don, of course, who had done radio here at Cairo, I think, for more than 13 years. So it was uh, Dory would finish, and then Ron and Don would come on, take over the studio. Uh, Ron and Don's studio, where their prep room was downstairs, Dory's was downstairs as well, and then um, they moved all the rooms around. You know, the thing about doing this talk radio stuff is that you never really get a chance to spend much time with the other teams because you were so busy. I said, I described it to somebody one time, it would be like signing up for a college course, not attending any of the classes, showing up one day, and that's when the president goes, oh, did you know there's going to be an exam today? And you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And you're just cramming as much information into your, can I borrow your notes? So you're just always reading, 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 getting ready, getting the sound. So you didn't really have a lot of time to pop from one uh, show to another. But we would see each other quickly passing if there was time. And often when Dory would turn the microphones over to Ron and Don, there was always that friendly exchange of, you know, whatever you're working on, or at least letting the other guys know how much you enjoyed what they talked about. So uh, uh, a voice you haven't heard on this radio in a long time, and uh, I think it's uh, sorely missed, uh, Don from the Ron and Don show. So you wrote, and um, I'm not saying I was surprised to hear from you at all, but I was surprised that you didn't want to come on the radio, Don. I'm too sad. Ugh. Could you read it? You want me to read it? Well, you're yes. killing me. On you. <laughs> yes. you, know, you read it. Yes. Screw you. Hang on. Ah, um, you. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, while I find it, while I find it, while I find it, you... Um, your you first met Dory when Dory invited us to come to lunch. I'm sorry. That's all right. Sorry. Where were you when you came to lunch? You came to lunch here at Cairo when you guys were at another station. Yeah, yeah. We had just been blown out by Katrina. And we were doing nights. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dory listened to us at nights and said, I think you would be great in afternoon drive. So we started that discussion. Mm-hmm. We have the same agent, Paul Anderson. And he helped me in my radio career. Uh Yeah. He was a coach and a mentor and a friend. Uh, And the greatest part about Dory is that you never felt like if you if you went to him for constructive criticism, you never had to be on guard because he knew how much it took to do radio sincerely. So he knew if you were sincerely doing it, then you were sincerely exposing your heart. And that exposed heart was extra, extra sensitive to anything that could be too critical. So he was able to assess that um, he had to tread lightly and coach you up, but never make you feel embarrassed. Does that sort of sum up how you felt sometimes when you'd ask him for help or he offered help? So great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was Dory Monson. And even though our politics were completely different. Mm-hmm. 
we were best friends, best friends till the end. So anyway, yeah, uh, you are doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Nicole is doing a great job. Cairo Radio is doing a great job in honoring my friend today. I'm sorry I'm so sad and can't say more, but I've written about this. And I will read it. I will read it for you because I don't want you to have to apologize for crying. Thank you. I'm going to hang up. Okay, Don. I am so sorry. Don O'Neill, thank you for your courage. I'm going to read your letter. We'll read it on the air from Don O'Neill, from Ron and Don, and of course the guy who had Dory part of his life and so many of us but to be able to have dory as a a fellow um broadcaster so don writes today is one of the toughest things a radio host friend for dory can do this is perfection your tone your laughter your storytelling your respect while showing your sadness is authentic keep going you are a perfect host for today's topic dory monson this is what don writes for me and then dory would love this and Don writes back at 2.47, since many are asking, yes, I've heard about the passing of my friend, my colleague, Dory Monson. We are, well, we work together at Cairo Radio and we shared the same agent. And I am so deeply, deeply saddened for my friends and family. Dory and I probably shared 200 phone calls over the years he was one of the first to call and welcome us to Cairo and then invited Ron and I to lunch with a complimentary ride in his convertible. And he paid, of course. He often called, encouraging me to continue to do our cause radio brand of broadcasting, even, even though it was a foreign concept to the format of the time. He was the first host to invite us to Crosstalk, which marked the beginning of our two shows dominating Seattle radio for 13 years together. And through the years, he also called to welcome me to fatherhood. He called again when my baby sister died and called again when we were asked to leave the radio station. Our politics were very, very different. We often strongly disagreed and we... We talked about the controversies and always from a place of listening and civility. But our love for our families and our community was what we always returned to on those calls. He loved nothing more than being a dad to his three daughters and beating the governor in a one-on-one -on -one basketball game. I was there. <laughs> I saw it. Dory. Only had eyes for his wife. He loved his Super Bowl ring given to him by the Seahawks. He loved performing in his one-man play. He wrote about growing up in Ballard. And the mean streets of Ballard will never be the same. I last heard from Dory one week ago when he wished me a Merry Christmas and asked about my dog and my son. And he wanted Ron and I to know the kind words that had been just spoken about us at Cairo concerning our years of philanthropy for the kids. Always checking in, always, always encouraging, always with great kindness. This is how I will always remember him. It's a short life, everybody. It's a brand new year. 
knowing Dory, he wouldn't want us to squander it. And Dory, I know I'll see you coaching girls basketball in the sky. Don O'Neill, love, hashtag Dory Monson. Don O'Neill, you don't have to say a damn thing. You said it all right there. With your heart, which you've always shown every single day when you crack this microphone on here at Cairo Radio, you've left a legacy behind just like Dory has. Take the gifts he gave you. Carry them on. Pass them on to your son. God love you. Thanks, Don O'Neill. Thanks. Thank you. America. America. Venture Highway. That's the one. Walking down the road. Chewing on a piece of grass. Walking down the road. Tell me how long you're gonna stay. A chance to say goodbye to him. Uh, you know, I, I always thought if I knew that, you know, say, say the stuff you need to say, and uh, be authentic with people. There's a there's a book called the uh, the the four agreements and the one is being the be impeccable with your words. Number one, take nothing personally. Don't expect anything, and then do your best work. And if you they say if you live by those four agreements, impeccable with your words. Don't spread gossip and don't be mean with your words. 
be truthful and authentic with them and then don't expect anything. Don't expect that things are going to necessarily work out. You'd be disappointed. Just do your best work and then, you know, don't take anything personally. If someone tells you they love you, don't take it personally. Boy, is that hard, huh? And then if somebody tells you they hate you, don't take it personally. That's probably just as difficult, if not worse. So that's the four agreements. And if you try, they say, live by those and and, and you'll be guided towards the the, the light that uh, can can shine brightly in you. Um. I think Dory probably tried to live by those. He certainly didn't let the haters hate, hurt him. Uh, but he was always flattered by the love he got from the listeners. And in this case, there's a guy that Dory had, I don't know how he had come to this. And Nicole Thompson, his producer, somehow they, they, they found this guy, Phil, is it Solman? Yeah. He was a, a Vietnam, or not a Vietnam, I mean, World War II vet. And Dory had such great appreciation for older people, especially the um, uh, that generation and what they fought for. Um, and he just admired the strength and tenacity and the commitment and the patriotism, all the stuff that has sort of become so, I don't know, verboten now. He just couldn't get enough of this old guy. He would have him on his show often uh, to hear stories of what it was like in the war. Um, and he just loved every minute of this man's life because he knew it was so brief, but he wanted to just hear it and consume it so that it would live on because he knew that this man, Phil's life was soon to be over. But his 12 minutes of Dory reveling in what this man was. I learned a long time ago that I'm a, I'm a very emotional person. And I guess if you listen to this show with any regularity, you probably learned that too. And this is one of those days where it's, it's going to be really hard, at least at the beginning. But uh, I just found out not long before went on the air that I lost my hero. And I want to explain a little bit. When I was a little kid, I thought my heroes were ball players. You know, Brooks Robinson, he was the first one. And then I started covering sports and I realized eh, these guys aren't any more heroic than anybody else. In many cases, they're somewhat flawed many times. As I got a little bit older and as I got married and my wife and I had our kids, I realized who my real heroes were. And in a lot of cases, it's it's you. It's people who just live their life with dignity and respect and they work their butt off to provide for themselves and for their family and they raise kids who have a decent set of values, or you don't have to raise kids to be a hero. You take care of your own life. You maybe do nice things to other people. But those, those are the real heroes that we have. Just the people when all this stuff is thrown at us, you know, that want to tear us down. You know, emotionally and, and spiritually and in, in every way. We got stuff in our society, 
in our world that's just always trying to tear apart people who are just trying to, to live their lives the right way. And my heroes are those who persevere, who despite all the challenges in life, they embrace the joys too. Because now I talk about this all the time, that to really know you're alive, it means experiencing great highs. It means experiencing great lows, great joys, and great sorrows. And I know an awful lot of people who go through life on a flat line. They don't have any big highs, but they don't have any real downside surprises either. Every day is the same. Yesterday's like today. Today's like tomorrow will be. And every day is pretty much the same. Go through on a flat line. And I did realize at a really young age that I never wanted that to be my life. Because I kind of grew up seeing a lot of that. People just wanted to get by, not do anything really cool or fun or extraordinary, but not put yourself at risk so that you're going to have any great sorrows or heartbreaks or any of those things. That's no way to live life. And I think that's probably why I'm as emotional as I am, because very early on, you know, I realized that, you know, if every day you laugh, I think it was Jim Valvano who said this in his classic speech. If every day you laugh a little and you cry a little, you know, just joy and sorrow and just experiencing human emotion, that that's living. And even the great sorrows in life, whether it's a first love or you know, losing somebody you love, you know, whatever it might be, we should embrace that as well because when you feel such intensity of emotion, you know you're alive. And sometimes that emotion isn't always a joy. But I think we should embrace all of it because even the, the tough parts give you an intensity of emotion that sadly a lot of people just don't experience. So why am I rambling on so aimlessly here? Uh, as I said, my heroes were always people who just persevere in life and provide, but they also experience those, those highs and those lows, and they take great risks, and they experience great accomplishments. Those are my heroes. A couple of years ago, when we were right in the depths of the stay-at-home shutdown, I think all of us were flatlining a little bit. We weren't getting out much. We weren't with the people who made us laugh and made us experience joy. And we weren't, I mean, there was a lot of sorrow a couple of years ago because we lost way too many people to this pandemic. But... I think for the most part, people were just kind of living life on an even keel. And we all hated it. We hated it. Because we collectively started to realize there's no way to live. Where every day is the same. 
Every day was the same a couple of years ago. And somehow in talking about that a couple of years ago, I somehow started talking about our greatest generation, whom we are losing so many of on a on a daily basis. But I'm talking about the men, and they were primarily young men who had a mission 80 years ago to save the world in a very literal sense. It was their mission to go save the world from Hitler and from tyranny. And as I was talking about on the air, I got a a message from a woman who listens to the show. And she said, oh, you should talk to my dad. He has stories, and he's a really good storyteller. And she told me that her dad was a World War II combat vet. That's when we began every six weeks or so for the last couple of years visiting with my hero. I didn't know he was my hero the first time we visited at first. I figured it out just... uh, about 60 seconds into the conversation when I heard this man who was still so funny, so full of life, such a great storyteller, and was able to take you and me into the the battlefield with him. And he explained, it's been almost 80 years, Phil. Why do you still get so emotional 80 years later? I don't know. I don't know. I I feel that uh, I I shouldn't be here. Um, I I was too lucky. Uh, 195 days of combat. Somebody shooting a rifle or a pistol or artillery shells uh, at me personally at me, and I figured if I could live through the first first day of, of engagement of the enemy, um, I'm going to make it through. No question about it. But um, that's the kind of guy I am. I, um, I, I can uh, get weepy at uh, thinking about uh, my youth, for example. Just, just uh, I'm a soft-hearted guy. My hero. Phil... I'm sorry. Nah, I'm not going to apologize. I was thinking maybe I should pre-tape my opening segment because I know this is going to be tough. But you're just going to have to put up with me. So Phil graduated from Seattle's Garfield High School in 1943. He was a Seattle All-City track champion. He was one of the fastest kids in Seattle. He was growing up on the streets in what's now the Central District. I guess it was then, too, right around Garfield. And right after graduating from Garfield, Phil gets a letter. He's been drafted. And he had to go off to basic training, and then within just a few weeks or months... He was off to to Europe to save the world, along with many other American and allied men, 
They're going to go save the world from from Adolf Hitler. I mean, think about that. Think about this this kid, an athlete, fastest kid in Seattle, and living a pretty good life. But they were vaguely aware, growing up at Garfield High School, of the horrors of war. By 1943, when they graduated, they were aware of the horrors of war. But they weren't afraid of the horrors of war. In fact, they were ready because there was a selflessness. They were ready, if called, to go and fight. Fight for this country, fight for freedom, fight for survival of mankind. And we got word right before going on the air that Phil passed away last night. And I'm not really crying with sorrow. I am so honored. I am so filled with joy that I got to know this great man to be my age and to finally figure out and meet your hero. What a blessing. You know, I never take this gig for granted, but what an absolute blessing that has been for me. I don't believe that too much is a coincidence in life. I think that things happen for a reason. And him being able to share his stories was just one of the greatest blessings of my life and one of the greatest joys of all the years that I've been doing this. But man, I will never forget Phil Solman, rest easy, soldier. We'll be right back. We'll play the uh, last broadcast that Dory had at this microphone. Final words in the passing of Dory Monson. Your friend and mine. We'll be right back. Super Tramp again? <laughs> it was his favorite band, and this one I think is a particularly important to play now. Yeah. Dory Monson, 61 years old, who was uh, behind this microphone for more than 25 years at Cairo Radio. People's 12 to, 12 to 3 won't be the same ever, but it was never the same. I mean, you never step in the same part of the river twice. I remember watching a TED Talk once of this Buddhist monk who talked about how if he goes to funerals, he never cries, even if he loved the person. And when somebody had seen that he was there at a particular funeral and 
the man waited for the monk to leave, and he caught a caught him as he was stepping down the last concrete step. He had stopped to pull up the uh, his robes with his right hand to make sure he didn't trip, and that paused just long enough for somebody to catch up to him and asked him, "I didn't you know the deceased? Why weren't you crying? I, I thought you would it would it would hit you harder." And the monk said, well, then if I cry, then everything that I believe is a lie. Because I have to believe, I do believe, and I live to believe that this life on this plane, this dirt, this spot, is not why we're here for real. This is not the end. This is not paradise. So why would I cry if somebody is no longer stuck with me down here? Shouldn't I cheer and sing and dance that that person has left this and gone somewhere better and left me with memories, gifts of their laughter, of their tears, of their words, of their thoughts, to inspire me, to help me be better, to allow me to someday dance with them in a place far better than where we are now. A lot of tears shed. Since 9 o'clock this morning, my, everybody that came on, sometimes you wouldn't hear them. They would catch them off the microphone. And Brandy Cruz was good about blotting the tear before it ran on her makeup. But um, they're selfish tears. We're not crying for Dory. It's for ourselves. That's why the tears are bitter, because if they were sweet, they would misrepresent what they're about. They're about us. We cry for ourselves. We cry for what we've lost. But you have to believe, or if you do believe, and you have faith, as Dory had, or I have, that he's in a better place. And it's not hard to imagine a better place. But before he left, he helped us all know that while we were with him from 12 to noon, he made us think, he made us laugh, and he made us cry. As Jimmy Valvano said in a great speech there at ESPN. And I'll end with this, and then we'll play the final bit of sound that Dory left on this microphone right before he went on vacation. And Henry David Thoreau said that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with a song in their heart. And that is not Dory Mott's. I want to say thank you to you as we are approaching the end of the year. This has been, without question, 
the best year in the history of this radio show. 28 years, uh, just more fired up than ever because you are listening. Uh, I am going to take next week off. I hope that you are surrounded going into this holiday Christmas season by people you love and that you are just feeling the love of these holidays and that I love you. I really do. I appreciate you so very much, even if we disagree sometimes. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Uh, the John Perry and Sherry Elliker Show is coming up next. I'll see you soon. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You're really a fantastic audience.